All right. Can you hear me? I hope you can. Welcome to the mop-up for April 7th, 2022. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is 51 degrees and wet, and so am I. I'm really wet. What a life. I got an email today from a new listener. We're picking up a lot of new listeners because we've juiced the YouTube channel, and it's bringing in new people to the show who don't quite understand what's going on here. There's a doctor who keeps writing to me. He wrote, who is David Feldman exactly? What are his credentials in any related field of study? What experience does this man have in any field related to public policy or social sciences in general? That was his uh, question. He keeps asking me this question. The lighting looks horrible. Hang on. Uh, hang on for one second. I'll tell you one thing. The, uh, my expertise is not in TV production, although it should be. So uh, this guy's pissed off at me, obviously, because I have a lot of opinions but lack the credentials, like the doctorate or medical degree this listener has. I think he's saying, who the hell does David Feldman think he is talking about Ukraine or the labor movement or Medicare for all? And you know what? The guy is right. I don't have any credentials. I'm just an American citizen with a podcast, and we should probably change that, shouldn't we? We should only listen to experts, especially those experts with degrees, because they have such egalitarian impulses that benefit everybody. People with degrees have no sense of entitlement and never for one second think they're lucky. They never think that what works for them should work for everybody else. And if it's if it isn't working for you out there, it's because and only because you're not trying hard enough, right? They never think that way because people with degrees would never, ever think there are two types of people. They would never think that there are people with degrees and people without degrees. People with degrees, we all know, think that all citizens of America are equal. People with degrees and credentials never look down on those without degrees. People with credentials don't think their credential automatically makes them entitled and more deserving. So you know what? I have no credentials. So why should I vote? Why should I have an opinion about anything? I'm not part of the best and the brightest. By the way, the best and the brightest is a pejorative. It's being misused lately. David Halberstam wrote The Best and the Brightest about a group of highly functioning idiots from Harvard, specifically Harvard, who got us into Vietnam. When he titled his book The Best and the Brightest, he was being ironic when he called them the best and the brightest, but somehow the term has come to mean the best and the brightest. It's not. So to my listeners, to my new listener, who wants to know what my credentials are, I have none. I just read and ask questions. And when I get something wrong, unlike a highly credentialed doctor who demands uh, to know what somebody's credentials are before he will trust that person, I correct myself. I admit when I'm wrong. That's my credential. I'm willing to admit I'm wrong. For example, it was the Boland Amendment and not the Logan Act. Throughout Monday's show, I kept referring to the Boland Act or the Boland Amendment as the Logan Act. It was the Boland Amendment that prohibited the federal government from providing military support for the purpose of overthrowing the government of Nicaragua. 
It was the Boland Amendment, not the Logan Act, which specifically outlawed the CIA from funding the Contras. I was wrong. That is my credential. I'm willing to know when I don't know and admit when I get it wrong, which is more than I can say for the entire American medical establishment, our military, our CIA, our government, and practically everyone who can't decide whether they respect you until they find out what you got your degree in and from where. What school did you go to? My credential is I don't talk down to people and that I have a pretty good track record. It's better than most credentialed people. If you listen to this show long enough, you'll discover that I'm usually right. And that's because I don't trust anyone who calls themselves an expert. I actually give good money advice that my new doctor listener should pay attention to because doctors are notorious for making bad decisions with their money because they think they're smarter than everybody. And anybody who thinks they're smarter than everybody is a sucker. Here, your new listener doctor, index funds, passive investing, index funds, because I don't trust the experts and neither should you. I give good advice. I give good advice when it comes to public policy, like Medicare for all. I'm right about Medicare for all because I don't trust the experts, especially the doctors, because the expert doctors, the people who are experts on public policy, pu public health policy, are all owned by big pharma and the health insurance companies. My track record is pretty good because I hate experts. I give good advice when it comes to which college or which school you should attend. Your kids should only go to public schools and public universities because people who go to private schools and private universities are not getting an education. They are paying for an expensive piece of art to hang on their wall and call it a degree. And I sure got Amazon right. I sure got Amazon right because I loathe the experts. That's why I got Amazon right. I told you Stuart effing Applebaum and his retail, wholesale and department store union would fail once again in Bessemer, Alabama, and that Christian Small's Amazon labor union in Staten Island would succeed. And that's the way it turned out. I was right because Stuart Applebaum has credentials. He's a Harvard Law graduate. And Christian Smalls, he's a rapper. So take your credentials and your law degrees and your CPAs and your MBAs and shove them up your fucking ass. And I mean that, shove them up your fucking ass. Never let a highly credentialed expert educate your child because they couldn't care less about your child unless your child is a success story waiting to happen. Never let an expert invest your money because experts in money are bought and paid for by the institutions they work for. And never let a Harvard educated lawyer run your union. Never let Stuart Applebaum run your union because you should never let anyone negotiate your salary. The safety condition on your job and your medical benefits, you should never let that person 
do all that negotiation if that person person isn't negotiating the very same things for himself. Stuart Applebaum lost in Bessemer, Alabama, because unlike Christian Smalls, Stuart Applebaum wasn't fighting for his life. He was credentialed. He's credentialed. This whole country is run by experts who have no idea how real people get by and they couldn't care less how real people get by. For example, a prospective juror for the sentencing of Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz told the judge this week that she doesn't have time for jury duty because she's married and she has a sugar daddy. Dates in, in, in July that you're not available. What are July those dates? July 7th, July 4th, which is close, and July 18th. But you're, then again, I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry? My sugar daddy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. But well, I'm married and I have my, my sugar daddy. Okay. I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back. I'm married and I have my sugar daddy and I see him every single day. And the judge, the highly credentialed judge with her fancy law degree, didn't understand what a sugar daddy is. The judge who's probably locked up hundreds of prostitutes had no idea what a sugar daddy is or why a married woman in Florida would have to meet with her sugar daddy once a day to help pay the bills. People think this is funny. Half this country can't come up with $500 for a medical emergency. But the expert, that judge, is unable to understand that. She's unable to understand that a married woman cannot do jury duty because of the financial hardship and she needs to service her sugar daddy. And you know what? I would rather have that woman who needs to visit her sugar daddy sitting on the jury when I get arrested because whatever crime I commit, she wouldn't be so quick to lock me up like that expert in the robes who didn't understand what a sugar daddy is. Speaking of people who don't have a clue to what the ordinary American is going through, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tested positive for COVID-19. A spokesperson says Pelosi is asymptomatic and feels nothing. Yes, she feels absolutely nothing, but when did Nancy Pelosi ever feel anything? When did Nancy Pelosi ever feel anything for the Americans who are getting evicted, Americans who can't get their lives started because of student loan debt, and the millions of Americans who refuse to see a doctor because they can't afford it? I would say back in the 1980s, that's the last time Nancy Pelosi ever felt for those people. But that, you know, then she decided to become the Democratic Party's largest fundraiser, and she stopped caring about the 99%. Before testing positive Pelosi appeared maskless at the White House where a maskless Joe Biden as well as a maskless James Clyburn and a maskless Steny Hoyer all attended a post office bill signing ceremony. The collective age of that group who sat around the table for the bill signing ceremony Conservatively speaking, 700 years. And when you talk about the Democratic leadership, you are speaking conservatively. Biden, Clyburn, Hoyer, Pelosi, all have both feet in their grave. And they live in a bubble of privilege. Medicare for all, 
as far as they're concerned, we already have Medicare for all because everyone they know is on Medicare. Why aren't they wearing masks? The Democrats are supposed to be the party of science and the science on masks says people should wear masks indoors. But the rules or the suggestions or these acts of patriotism, wearing a mask, that, that's for others. They don't apply to the Democratic leadership. And boy, are they gonna get their asses kicked in the midterms. I'm still rooting for them because I love my country. So I'm rooting for the Democrats. I don't love the Democrats. I just think the Republicans, well, it goes without saying. Um, they're gonna get their asses handed to them. They deserve it. The American people don't. We don't deserve the Democratic leadership and we don't deserve what's gonna happen when they lose the House because Joe Biden is gonna get impeached Joe Biden is going to be impeached. He's not going to get removed from office. The Senate won't. You need too many votes in the Senate. But that Hunter Biden laptop that they try to cover up, that the entire mass media was complicit in covering up, it is going to get Joe Biden impeached, not because of what's in there necessarily. It's not what's in the laptop isn't necessarily an impeachable offense. It's going to get Joe Biden impeached because a Republican controlled Congress will turn it into an impeachable offense. Let me give you a preview of what life is going to be like come January of 2023. This is what to expect. Was it common for President Biden to do favors for Hunter Biden's international business partners, like writing college recommendations for their kids? I have, I've seen the report. I have no confirmation or comment on a report about whether or not the president, when he was a private citizen, wrote a college recommendation letter for an individual. I, a college recommendation letter, though, from at the time a former vice president would be a big deal. So do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like that? Again, I have no a confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote when he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office. That's even the report. But he's the president now and you're his spokesperson. Correct. And he was not the president at the time of this report. Uh, so there's evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C. It's not accurate. That is not accurate. So when Hunter Biden is emailing a landlord, uh, please have keys made available for new office mates, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden, that you're disputing. They were not office mates, no. They were not office mates, okay. Great. Great, 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 great. I'm out of here. I'm going to MSNBC, that's Jen Psaki. I'm out of here. I hope you get used to that. I, I, I hope you can get used to that because that is gonna be the two years leading into the presidential election. Had there been a proper screening process in 2020, the Democrats could have dealt with the laptop during the election. They either would have gotten rid of Biden or they would have known how to answer these questions. Instead, they just covered it up. And instead of dealing, it, dealing with it before the convention, Biden uh, will have to deal with it starting in January of 2023 and until he leaves office. Nothing is going to get accomplished after the midterms. Nothing. The Republicans will control the House and the job of the Republicans. That's their job is to grind the gears of government 
to a halt. That's why they go to Washington. That's why they're elected, to break the federal government, to make sure nothing gets done. And there is no better way to break the government than by distracting the nation with an impeachment. Forget health care. Forget free tuition at all public universities or immigration reform for the dreamers. Not going to be done after the midterms because it's not getting done right now. So after the midterms, the Republicans will be in charge. And I don't want to hear about Manchin and I don't want to hear about cinema. We got Biden. We, they, they sold us Biden because he was the deal maker. And he's not made. The only deal he made is with the devil. And he has six months left. And he's not helping the American people. He's barely helping the American people. I'm rooting for him. He's my president. Trump was not my president. I love my country. I'm a Democrat. These people got to go because they do not help the American people. Instead, because they can't help the American people, they have decided to gin up war in Ukraine when they should be ginning up war against the powerful corporate interests that are literally killing Americans. And now we're gonna lose the midterms, the Democrats, we are gonna lose the midterms, and it's gonna be Hunter Biden's laptop. And quite frankly, from what I can tell, there is really some damaging things in there that should have, we should have been exposed to uh, before the election. The brother Jimmy Biden, Hunter Biden, they're making deals overseas to benefit the big guy. That would be Joe Biden. There are emails where Hunter spells out exactly how Joe gets paid. This shit should have been dealt with in the 2020 elections, but it was covered up by the media. The entire corporate owned media covered up the Hunter Biden laptop. It took Rudy Giuliani Rudy Giuliani is the voice of reason on the Hunter Biden laptop. The pictures of Hunter Biden smoking crack with prostitutes. Forget that that's a crime to, to smoke crack. And, you know, prostitution is illegal. Forget that. Uh, we should have at least seen that just for the sake of business. It's good for mainstream media to show us pictures of Hunter Biden smoking crack with a prostitute that sells newspapers. You tune in to the nightly news to see this. But they kept it secret and we're only as sick as our secrets. America is only as sick as our secrets and had it come out during the election season, we wouldn't be dealing with it after the midterms. The climate has 10 years. I don't have time to discuss Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's psychosis. The, the, the climate has 10 years. And quite frankly, I don't mind Joe Biden getting his ha ass handed to him during the midterms. But once the Republicans are in charge, the American people are gonna get Joe Biden's ass handed to us. And I don't think that's gonna be pleasant, having Joe Biden's ass handed to us, the American people. And Biden can't even wear a mask. How clueless is the Democratic leadership that they pose for pictures without masks on? Do they know that COVID is still rampaging throughout America and the world? Why is this doddering president and the doddering Democratic leadership posing for photo ops right on top of each other and not wearing masks? I understand that they don't care about others, 
But what about themselves? They're old. They're immunocompromised. And COVID is not over. Half this country is seeing a rise in cases. And yes, if you're vaccinated, and that's a big if, and if you got your booster, and that's a big if, and you get it, then COVID is mild. But not everybody in America is vaccinated. And most importantly, it's still, with the vaccines and the boosters, it's still not safe for people who are immunocompromised. So if you're old or chronically ill, you need people around you to wear a mask. Maybe it's safe for you, but it's not safe for the people who are immunocompromised. Half this country is obese. That's a... Half this country is obese, which means half this country is pre-diabetic. You, you, half this country can't get COVID. You all need to mask up, not for your own safety, but for those around you. You know, sacrifice, sacrifice for others. You know, our own leadership, our own democratic leadership can't even go through the window dressing of sacrificing for others while people are still getting COVID, people are still dying from COVID. We have a massive outbreak in Shanghai. Congressman Adam Schiff, Joaquin Castro tested positive this week. And even Jen Psaki, the White House spokesperson, she tested positive last month. Now she's out of quarantine. And Jen Psaki is out of quarantine and pretty soon she's going to be out of the White House soon to join the war effort by shilling for the defense industry over at MSNBC. That's where Jen Psaki is going over to MSNBC, which has been drumming up war against the Russians since Trump first took office. You know, I didn't believe how warmongering MSNBC had become during the past five years. We talked about it on the show, but I really don't watch any of this shit. And I was visiting somebody in the hospital and she had MSNBC on, and I'm gonna play you a clip. This is straight out of propaganda, Richard, written by Edward Bernays. This is how you go to war. They are, this is, MSNBC is a propaganda arm for the military industrial complex. It is disgusting, revolting, unpatriotic, un-American, and evil the way MSNBC is leading us into war. It is, uh, it's, it's really offensive. Uh, so I'll get to that in a second. Uh, this is why the, the Democrats are going to lose in the midterms. Uh, here's Joe Biden going off script. He spoke before the North America Building Trades Union in Washington on Wednesday. And here he is going off script. Alone. And by the way. By the way, Amazon, here we come. Watch. Watch. See the way he, see how he looks off to the side? Like, did I go wrong? Did I, did I do wrong? Am I in trouble again? Did I say the wrong thing? Amazon, here we come asking for donations and jobs. He, he threatened Amazon, and you're not supposed to do that. You are not supposed to go after Amazon. 
And here is White House spokesperson Jen Psaki clearing things up the next day. No, later that day, later that day. Can I ask, uh, President Biden today told union members, Amazon, here we come. Was he endorsing the efforts of union of, of workers to unionize Amazon facilities? What, what he was not doing is sending a message that he or the U.S. government would be directly involved in any of these efforts or ha- take any direct action. Uh, what he was conveying uh, is that uh, is his longtime support for collective bargaining, uh, for the rights of work- workers to organize, uh, and their decision to do exactly that in this case, uh, something that he has long supported broadly uh, over the course of his career. Uh, really? When? Uh, no full-throated endorsement of uh, Christian Smalls or Bessemer. He just says you have the right to vote. That's it. The president should be on the side of the unions. The federal government should be on the side of the unions, but they're not. And either is his press spokesperson, Jen Psaki, whose old firm, Global Strategy Group, that's where Jen Psaki worked uh, before she joined the Well, She was at West Exec lobbying for the weapons manufacturers, but before West Exec, and by the way, she goes lobbying for uh, the weapons manufacturers at West Exec, goes to the Biden administration and then goes back to lobbying for the weapons manufacturers on MSNBC. I'll get to that in a second. But her previous firm was Global Strategy Group. That's a Democratic lobbying group. And they worked intimately this year with Amazon to defeat the union drive in Staten Island. And of course, they failed. They failed. But Jen Psaki's firm, her old firm, built the website and spread the lies trying to convince the Staten Island workers to vote against the unions. That's who speaks for Joe Biden, people who hate unions like Jen Psaki. And of course, Joe Biden's previous spokesperson, Jay Carney, who is now director of communications for Amazon. You look at Jay Carney's Twitter feed, it's all about how Amazon is helping the people of Ukraine, but nothing about their own workers. Silent, Jay Carney, silent about the union drive last week. So why should any working people, why should the 99% trust this administration or the Democratic leadership? Especially, you know, this is supposed to uh, be the party of labor. So anyway, Jen Psaki joining MSNBC to push for war in Ukraine. Do the people at MSNBC realize they are no longer owned by General Electric? General Electric is a war profiteer. General Electric is part of the military, one of the original members of the military industrial complex. Does MSNBC know that they are no longer owned uh, by General Electric? I, I know that MSNBC has no idea what is going on in the real world, other than Donald Trump is bad, Putin is bad. But someone should tell MSNBC that they are no longer owned by defense contractor General Electric. You don't need to gin up a war. It's not in your best financial, it's not in your parent company's best financial interests for there to be a war. You're owned by Comcast. They're a cable company. You don't need to to push for war. In fact, if you really wanted to help your parent company, Comcast, you might try doing the news. So let me first address Vladimir Putin's lies about Ukraine. Let me address those first. And let me 
discuss how he's pushing for war. And then I will return to Joy Reid, who is a disgrace. Joy Reid is a disgrace. I watched her last night, and she is a disgrace. Uh, but first, let's talk about somebody even more disgraceful than MSNBC, Vladimir Putin and his push for war. Now, some people on the left are reading too much Putin propaganda, and they are defending his push for war. There has been talk that Ukraine is run by Nazis. This is what Putin says all the time. And some guests on this show keep suggesting that Ukraine has plenty of Nazi sympathizers in their ranks of the military and their government. Someone said on Monday that Ukraine sided with the Nazis during World War II. And so in order for there to be a war, you have to not just demonize the leader of the country you want to fight. You have to demonize the people. You have to train America, or if you're Putin, you have to train the Russians to hate the people who live in the country you're attacking because your people will see images of dead children, dead women, dead civilians. And in order to fight that war, you have to make your people inured to the suffering of the country you're attacking. Otherwise, you'll be against the war. So you have to demonize, not Putin, you have to demonize the Russian people. This is what Joy Reid did. I'll get to that in a few minutes. What Putin is doing is he's demonizing the Ukrainians so that when you see the suffering and you're rooting for Putin and you you think the Ukrainians are Nazis and that they sided with Hitler during World War II, then it trains you to think, well, they deserve what's coming to them. That's propaganda. That's Edward Bernays. That's how you fight a war. You can't just hate the leadership. You have to hate the people being led by that autocrat because the people being led by the autocrat are the ones who end up maimed, dead, and starving. So first, the lies from Putin. Did Ukraine side with the Nazis during World War II? The answer is no. Ukraine sided with the Nazis during World War II the same way the French sided with the Nazis during World War II. The French invented anti-Semitism in the West. The Ukrainians invented anti-Semitism in the East, in Eastern Europe. It doesn't mean that the Ukrainian people or the French sided with the Nazis. Some of the French, some of the Ukrainians sided with the Nazis. A little history about Ukraine. After the fall of the Russian Tsar, Ukraine declared independence from Russia in 1918, okay? Ukraine did not like being under the grip of Russia. They declared independence in 1918, a civil war ensues. Russia's Red Army, the communists, they invade and they conquered roughly two thirds of what we now call modern day Ukraine, which by the 1920s became a Soviet Republic. It was a mess. Ukraine is also Poland. Poland is Ukraine. They're united. They're divided. But the point is most of Ukraine 
was taken over by the Soviets in the 1920s, and the Ukrainians were not thrilled about this, or at the very least, they were ambivalent when it came to the Russians, the Soviets running Ukraine, especially in 1932 when Stalin, uh, under Stalin, millions of Ukrainians were starved to death in a man-made famine to punish Ukrainian farmers for refusing to be part of the collective. Millions of Ukrainians were starved to death by Stalin in the early 30s. So you can understand that at the beginning of Barbarossa, you can understand that the Ukrainian people, or at least some Ukrainians, might resent the Soviet Union. And in 41, when Ukraine is invaded by the Nazis, perhaps a few of them might think life will be better under the Nazis. Can you see how some would view the Nazis as liberators, especially when Stalin had committed genocide in Ukraine? But even with the famine forced on the Ukrainians by the Soviets, more than five million Ukrainians, according to the BBC, died fighting the Nazis for Mother Russia. Five million Ukrainians died fighting for Stalin, the guy who starved millions of Ukrainians. Now, along the way, 1.5 million Ukrainian Jews were slaughtered by the Nazis, and the Nazis in Ukraine worked with some Ukrainian collaborators the same way the Nazis worked with some French collaborators. How does someone conclude that Ukraine sided with the Nazis when millions of Ukrainians enlisted in the Red Army, the Soviet Army, to defeat Hitler? It's, it's just factually incorrect. Putin is lying. Uh, given the Ukrainians' antipathy to Soviet domination and the millions of Ukrainians who starved to death at the hands of Stalin, it would be understandable that at first the Ukrainians might have viewed the Nazis as their, libera as their liberators, but they enlisted to fight with Mother Russia. It's a complicated history. And yes, again, thousands of Ukrainians collaborated with the Nazis, especially when it comes to killing Jews, the same way thousands of Western Europeans collaborated with the Nazis when it came to killing the Jews. There were massacres of Jews that took place in Ukraine, started the minute the Germans got there. And yes, the Ukrainian police, not all, some Ukrainian newspapers and Ukrainian citizens assisted in rounding up the Jews, the same way they did in France, Poland, Hungary. Should I continue? Czechoslovakia, you want me to keep going? About all our NATO allies who assisted the Nazis in rounding up the Jews, the Germans are responsible for the Holocaust, but it couldn't have hit the numbers it did without the occupied countries helping. You know, our friends at NATO, the war was over 
World War II was over and Hungarians were still trying to find German soldiers so they could hand them over more Jews. They, you don't want any, we got Jews, you want, that's who the Hungarians were. Poland, uh, they're trying to rewrite the past in Poland. Uh, the, Pol the Poles uh, helped the Nazis big time. And in the past two years, they're trying to rewrite history and they've started naming streets after every single pole who tried to hide the jews during world war ii every single pole who helped hide the jews during world war ii now has a street named after them in poland which means there are exactly three streets named after members of the polish resistance who helped the jews Ukraine did not side with the Nazis during World War II, at least no more than any other country in NATO, and probably far less than others. So that's the truth about Ukraine. When, when you hear somebody say that Ukraine is run by Nazis, that they are Nazi sympathizers, they are spouting Putin's lies. So Putin can justify the invasion to insist he's denazifying the place. There are as many Nazis in Ukraine as there are in Russia. And don't forget, uh, before Hitler and Stalin were enemies in World War II, they were allies, okay? So <laughs> Russia officially sided with Hitler during World War II. I'm not precisely sure why Putin invade, invaded Ukraine. You know, he says it's to protect the Russian-speaking Ukrainians. Seems like a lot of effort on Putin's part to save Russian-speaking Ukrainians when he obviously doesn't give a shit about Russian-speaking Russians. I've read that this may be about Eastern Ukraine, the oil reserves, and just that. That it, It's been suggested that Putin never intended to seize all of Ukraine, that this is a brutal chess move, and his plan all along has been to create enough devastation that the Ukrainians will finally cede the oil-rich Donbass region, and of course Crimea, in exchange for Russia agreeing to leave the rest of the, the country. That's one reason I think he might have invaded Ukraine. I also suspect he genuinely fears NATO expansion. Also, and this is also about America, uh, war is the ultimate distraction. It, it's, it's shop war and it's a threadbare explanation for war, partly because it's true. War is the ultimate way to change the subject when you're shitting the bed. When you can't satisfy your people at home, you go to war someplace else, change the conversation, and it is working for Putin. Putin is more popular now than he's been in a decade in Russia. Not working for Joe Biden quite yet. Uh, the more Joe tries to gin up war, the less popular he becomes. And in order to, uh, to get the Russian people on board the invasion of Ukraine, Putin, uh, is convincing Russians that their brothers and sisters in Ukraine, the Russian-speaking Ukrainians in Ukraine are being exterminated and that Ukraine is run by Nazis, which brings me to the other propaganda coming from our side, and that would be MSNBC and CNN 
and their warmongering. Here in the West, the people are suffering. We all know that wealth has been concentrated in the hands of just a few families. And so while we have the largest economies in the world, the people who live in the West are not the beneficiaries. It's a lot like the Russian oligarchs living in London or Lisbon or Israel. You know, uh, technically they're Russian citizens, uh, but they left with all the money. That's kind of what's happening in this country. Have you noticed all the yachts that our billionaires seem to be building? Our economic system can't address wealth inequality. It can only exacerbate it because the moneyed class accumulates more and more money, which allows them to accumulate more and more power. And with that power comes the ownership of the airwaves, the news media, and then of course, democracy. Once you get the airwaves and the news media, you own the democracy. In America, the, the, the problem is partly Washington, D.C., but the real problem is the American people who have been made stupid by CNN and MSNBC. We are an intellectually malnourished people because we get our information solely from corporate media whose job it is to report the news in a way that erodes critical thinking. I am I never thought critical thinking was all that important until I realized how shallow most Americans are. We are just fed the surface. All we are given is the surface. Something happened, no historical context, not why it happened and then next here's the next next story. So the ruling class doesn't really need to make it harder for Americans to vote. All we need are people like Joe, Joy Reid and Morning Joe and Larry O'Donnell and Wolf Blitzer. That's all we need. You don't need voter suppression. You, you can let the American people vote, every single American, and they will vote for the wrong candidates because this system, this economic system which controls our airwaves, our newspapers, and of course, cable news. This system has made the American voter so stupid, the ruling class might as well let them vote because we are stupid and shallow and we can be convinced of anything. We can turn on a dime. We could go from hating Putin today to loving him in three days. Americans, we get our our news from a handful of corporations. You saw what they did with the Hunter Biden laptop. We weren't allowed to see the pictures or read about what was in the laptop. It would take three days for those five corporations to suddenly decide that, you know what, just for the hell of it, let's convince America that Putin is Dr. Martin Luther King and that we need to help him in his war against Ukraine. And like a tuning fork, we would just all vibrate together and go to war in Ukraine and uh, topple Zelensky. Take the health insurance companies. It's, you know, you, 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 you think you can trust our media when it comes to the invasion of Ukraine. Look at the health insurance companies. They murder more Americans each day than all the terrorist attacks on U.S. soil combined each day. You wouldn't know that, though. You wouldn't know that Medicare actually works, right? You wouldn't know that Medicare for all 
is the solution, not perfect, but it works, you wouldn't know that Medicare for all is not only less expensive than private insurance, but also more efficient and saves lives. Every study, every study from the uh, OMB to the GAO to the OPP. I don't know what the OPP is. I know it's something that uh, was a government. OPP was a government agency that Donald Trump grabbed a hold of a lot. That's all I know. But every study from the OMB to the GAO shows that over a 10 year period that if America switched to Medicare for all, if we outlawed private health insurance, we would save billions of dollars and millions of lives. That is a fact. The same fact. It is a fact that Ukraine did not side with the Nazis during World War Two. That's a fact. It is a fact that Medicare for all will save the American people billions of dollars and millions of lives. But there's no way to get that message out to the American people. Medicare for all is like Hunter Biden's laptop. We're not allowed to see what's in it. You saw what happened during 2020. Bernie had to scream his Medicare for all plan out over the taunts of 17 corporate-owned Democratic candidates in that 2020 election. Remember the debates? Bernie could barely get three sentences in a row out to defend his Medicare plan. How are you going to pay it? How? it was, and then, and then, when it was finally just Bernie and Biden, Bernie, a miracle of democracy, uh, it was just Bernie and Biden and COVID hit, and Bernie had that famous debate with Joe Biden on CNN at the height of COVID. And by then, the entire party, including CNN and Wolf Blitzer, had rallied around Biden. The, the, the establishment, the Democratic establishment, decided that, including Bernie, including Bernie, they all decided that Trump was a bigger threat to America than our health care system. They decided, you know what, we got to get rid of Trump. That's more important than saving the millions and millions of people who don't know that Medicare for all will not only save millions of lives, but billions of dollars. And so Bernie, he couldn't go for Biden's jugular. And when Biden misrepresented Bernie's Medicare for all, right? Remember during that debate? And then Joe would flash his dentures, you know, his dentures they're so bright you have to the only way you can look at joe's dentures is through a hole in a shoebox uh not a not a single debate moderator ever ever when it came to medicare for all had the decency the patriotism to pull a candy crawley to get the facts right on Medicare for all. Do you remember during the 2012 debate between Romney and Obama when Candy Crowley corrected, I think that's her name, it's Candy, I think it's Candy Crowley. She corrected Romney's big lie that Obama didn't call Benghazi a terrorist attack. I know this is hard to remember because it's so inconsequential, but that was what the 2012 campaign was about, that, that Obama after Benghazi didn't call it a, a terrorist attack and Romney was just lying and Candy Crawley during the debate corrected Romney's lie and said no Obama immediately called it a terrorist 
attack as though that has anything to do with anything. But that was the big moment of 2012, uh, which is why we ended up with Trump in 2016. But Candy Crowley stepped up and corrected Romney's lies, but not a single moderator in 2020 at any of the debates did their jobs, did their patriotic duty, and helped Bernie give a factual representation of Medicare for all. Because like our politicians, CNN, MSNBC, all the television, CBS, NBC, they're all owned and sponsored by Big Pharma and the health insurance industry. Do you really think Big Pharma has to advertise on Rachel Maddow? Why do you think Big Pharma throws all that money at MSNBC? Do you think television advertising for Big Pharma works on the customers? No, it works on shutting up Rachel Maddow and Joy Reid and Larry O'Donnell and Ari, whatever his name is. And you know what? I just wish you would shut them up permanently, not just on negotiating drug prices. This is Congresswoman Katie Porter talking to Dr. Collins from the Commonwealth Fund. I've been playing this on the show and I'm going to keep playing it. Here is the argument for Medicare for all. It's a soundbite. Have you seen it? I mean, other than on this show, I know Sam Cedar showed it on his show, but uh, I haven't seen this on CNN, MSNBC, uh, you know, because they're too busy uh, playing footage of the atrocities in Ukraine over and over. But no time to show this clip of Katie Porter. And if we look at just billing costs, just billing and insurance costs, Medicare is at one percent. Wait, private companies spend 17 times more on administrative costs than Medicare? What are private insurance companies spending on that Medicare is not? Does Medicare spend hundreds of millions of dollars on television advertisements like private insurance does? Dr. Collins? No. Does Medicare spend millions of dollars on stock buybacks to shareholders? No. Does Medicare um, spend money on marketing? Private insurance likes to put its name on stadiums and PGA tournaments. Is there a Medicare arena? No. Does Medicare spend $23 million on executive pay like private insurance companies do? No. We know how much it costs to run a high quality health insurance program. $1 out of $100 Research shows that Medicare spends 1.1% on administrative costs. We spend $4 trillion on healthcare every year. We could save $200 billion on administrative costs with Medicare for all. And those savings, they could go to expand Medicare. We could spend that money to let patients see dentists. We could spend that money to let patients pay for hearing aids, to help older adults afford eyeglasses, to bring down the cost of prescription drugs, to finally pay mental health professionals for the work they do. Instead, all this money is wasted. We're not talking about paying to keep the lights on in operating rooms or improving the quality of care. All this money is used to, to, to pay big insurance to push paper. It's death by 200 billion paper cuts. All that video of dead children and dead women in Ukraine, nonstop video, pornographic images. In America, that's pornography of dead children, of dead women in Ukraine. And no time to show that clip of Katie Porter. 
proving that Medicare for all will save billions of dollars and millions of lives. We can see photographs of dead women and children in the streets of Kiev, but they'll never show you the dead babies, the dead women brought to you by Aetna and United Healthcare. Those we're not supposed to bear witness to. We, we can bear witness to all the dead kids in Ukraine because that requires us to buy more bombs and fund the war industry. But our media, we cannot bear witness to the, the, the dead children, the dead kids who are denied health care from the health insurance companies. Don't forget the homeless. We're not allowed to see all the homeless people. That's that's it's, it's you know, it's the dinner hour. We don't want to show that they won't even show you Katie Porter asking these questions. It's Hunter Biden's laptop. If they don't want us to see something, we don't see it. And yes, we've shown some pictures here on this show, but this isn't a respected podcast run by a highly credentialed PhD. It's easy to discredit the truth when the highly credentialed are owned and operated by the five biggest corporations in the world who present the news. And therefore, go ahead and let everyone just vote. Forget voter suppression. The American people, they're convinced Medicare for all is unaffordable. They're convinced that Medicare for all is going to kill them because the American people have been made stupid by five corporations in America. We've become shallow and we will always vote against our own self-interests because we're told bedtime stories by the people who are about to rape us. That's how it works. They tuck you in, they read you a bedtime story, you fall asleep, and then they rape us and tell us Medicare for all is unaffordable. Has anyone seen Katie Porter's soundbite there? No, they've made us stupid. So let us vote. Let everyone vote. Trust me. Trust me. We will vote to get ourselves killed. The ruling elite, the oligarchs who run America, they have nothing to worry about. You've made us all stupid and ill-informed and therefore nobody trusts democracy. That's why fascism rises, because nobody trusts the American people to vote, including the American people. We all, you talk to most Americans, they'll say, they're not talking about themselves, but they'll say, no, nah, most Americans are too stupid to vote. This is how you end up with fascism. Five, five companies controlling the information, making us stupid. And then you think, you know what would make this country better if we took the vote away from ordinary citizens and just gave it to a highly credentialed strongman. And that's where we're heading. We're kind of there in a way. It's a du jour. It's kind of it's kind of du jour. After the midterms, it's going to be de facto and it won't be the Republicans fault. It'll be the Democratic Party's fault. The same way as a parent, if I get drunk and my kid opens a window and drops 30 floors to his death, uh, that's my fault. I'm the one who's supposed to be protecting my kid. And that's why I'm so disgusted by the Democratic Party. It's their job to protect us from the Republicans. And they're leaving the open 
the window open for us to defenestrate. And I finally got to use the word defenestrate on this show. I may not be a credentialed intellectual with a degree, but I'm pretentious enough of an asshole to say defenestration. That's uh, the point I'm making. So let's get to this monstrosity called MSNBC and the tough-talking Democrats. Uh, you know, the people I'm supposed to like uh, want war in Ukraine. You know, you look at Fox. You know, I hate Fox. They're not my team. But they're not so quick to go to war in Ukraine. They're, you know, they're defending Putin because they're being paid by Putin. But at least they're not beating the war drum. The so-called lib liberals, the lovable Democrats who sell themselves as enlightened children of the 60s, they're the ones who are talking tough. It's like listening to a war drum beaten by Ringo. Ringo is beaten is beating the war drum. I love Ringo. He's the underdog. He's beaten the war drum now. And it turns out, by the way, Ringo was for Brexit. Ringo was, I love Ringo. I, I really do. Uh, but he was for Brexit. So be careful who you think is the underdog and who you think is lovable. Now, Joy Reid. There's an, an anchor over at MSNBC named Joy Reid. And I used to love Joy Reid. Oh, did I love Joy Reid. I remember I stopped her in an elevator on my way to John Fugelsang's show. I saw her and I said, I don't mean to bother you. I love you. My mother and sister love, love you. You are so brave taking on Trump. And, you know, she smiled and, you know, it was, uh, you know, I called my mother, I called my sister, I met Joy Reid. Oh, you did? She hates Trump. Joy Reid, uh, MSNBC, she has a show now. I was at a hospital watching MSNBC, I believe it was seven o'clock, and she's a disgrace. And not just because she's a graduate of Harvard, but that's part of it. And she majored in film. She's a got her degree in film from Harvard, because that's why you go to Harvard to steep yourself in the great films. You can get a degree from Harvard watching movies all day. So with her Harvard diploma, uh, Joy Reid uh, went off and did all this kind of work, and she decided to start a, a blog using her Harvard-trained mind. She wrote essays uh, some of those essays uh, opposed same-sex marriage. Well, you know, that's within the Overton window, but then she said that gay men are disgusting. It grosses her out to see two gay men kissing. She said that gay men are attracted to young boys, thereby helping to promulgate the blood libel that homosexuals are child molesters. That's what Joy... A lot of gay men get beaten up because they're accused of being child molesters, and that's a blood libel. It's not, child molestation has nothing to do with homosexuality. Somebody didn't tell Joy Reid that over at Harvard because she was too busy writing her thesis on E.T. 
Uh, but uh, so she spread the blood libel that homosexuals are child molesters. She admitted in writing to being homophobic. Did I mention she graduated from Harvard? These posts were all discovered in 2017. In 2017, we learned uh, that from 2005 until 2007, Harvard's very own Joy Reid was a truther. She was a 9-11 truther, encouraging everyone to watch the movie Loose Change, which, if you'll remember, insists 9-11 was a planned operation, which it was. I mean, you know, you know someone, somebody planned it. You don't fly planes into both towers and the Pentagon without someone coordinating it. But uh, she's in truther territory uh, 10 years ago, 2017, 2007. So it was about 15 years ago, 15 years ago. She graduated from Harvard in 1990, 91. She wasn't a kid when she was writing this stuff. She also uh, was discovered to perpetuate stereotypes about Jews, about Jews and money, and she denied uh, Israel's right to exist. She wrote all this stuff about 15 years after graduating from Harvard. In other words, it wasn't a youthful indiscretion. She wasn't a kid. When these post-Harvard blog posts came out, many people, over, you know, who watched MSNBC wanted her fired. The LGBTQ community uh, and others. Uh, a lot of people wanted her gone. The LGBT community, the Jews, my listeners, basically. And uh, that's pretty much who listens to my show, the LGBTQ community and Jews. So, so Joy did the right thing, right? She was exposed. It's embarrassing. She knew it was wrong. And she admitted she was wrong, just like I did at the top of the show. And that is the greatest thing you can do. Not being a highly credentialed individual, it's admitting you're wrong. And Joy Reid apologized. She said the usual stuff like, I wrote these 10 years ago when I didn't know any better. You know, 15 years after I graduated from Harvard, I didn't know any better. I was in my mid to late 30s. Who doesn't say homophobic things in their mid to late 30s. My brain was still being formed, but she apologized, right? And then it didn't sound right because, you know, this is something you write before you go to Harvard. <laughs> but if you went to Harvard and you're in your 30s, your late 30s, and you're calling homosexuals child molesters, you're admitting in writing to being homophobic. I mean, it's one thing to be homophobic, but to put it in writing and then to talk about 9-11 being an inside job and all Jews are rich. It's hard to then say, you know, I'm a work in progress. Uh, no, you're in your late 30s. You're no longer a work in progress. You're done. And she should have been done after that, right? But Joy sprung to action. She apologizes, and then she goes, whoa, 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 wait, 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 hold it. I was hacked. And she had her lawyers call the FBI, and Joy took back the apology. She said, you know, on second thought, I don't remember ever saying those things. Really? If you don't remember saying you're homophobic, 9-11 was an inside job, 
you know, uh, instead of call, you don't remember writing that crap? Then instead of calling your lawyers, you need to call your doctor. You have early onset of Alzheimer's if you can't remember writing and believing that uh, you need to remember those things. Otherwise, you should not be working at MSNBC. Your memory shot. And then further investigation showed, yeah, I did say those things. I was a truther. I'm homophobic. I spread stereotypes about the Jews. But NBC, this was 2017. NBC didn't fire her. It was 2017. Do you remember 2017? Uh, Back then, Joy Reid was the only person working for NBC News who hadn't raped anybody. So th this was the least of NBC News's problems. <laughs> She's not a rapist. We're keeping her. NBC was such a rape culture, you could be forgiven for thinking you were working for CBS News. That's how bad NBC News was before 2017. CBS News turned out to be an even bigger rape culture. It was run by Les Moonves, who is a rapist. And 60 Minutes? 60 Minutes. Rape culture. Rape culture. 60, you know why it was called 60 Minutes? Because take off your shirt, doll face, and let's see those titties you got on you was deemed inappropriate for the seven o'clock hour. Leslie Stahl's last name is Stahl because the bathroom stall was the only place she ever felt safe while working for 60 minutes. Back to Joy Reid. One of the benefits to hiring a Harvard fraud with a questionable, indeed fireable past, like Joy Reid, is you have something on her. She becomes your useful idiot. You stood by her when everyone wanted her gone, and now she returns the favor by being an obedient stenographer who will parrot everything you want her to say. So here was Joy Reid last night. Uh, it's kind of Maybe she believes this. It, it, it feels like a, a hostage video where the person being held hostage is reading a statement written by Hezbollah. This is uh, Joy Reid doing exactly what she was told on SNBC and not quitting. She has no principle. She's a disgrace, as is all of MSNBC. Here she is beating the wardroom, doing exactly what she was told because they want us to go to war. And in order for us to go to war, the American people can't just hate Putin for his war crimes. We have to hate the Russians because you cannot fight a war unless you train the American people to hate the enemy. And if it's Putin, then it's the Russians and the Russian people. We have to hate the Russian people just as much as we hate Putin, because we're not going to kill Putin. We're going to be killing Russians. We're going to be killing their children and their women. And our economic sanctions are going to starve them to death. So we have to learn to start hating the Russian people because we are going to kill them. 
with our weapons and our economic sanctions if the ruling elite in this country and MSNBC get their war. So look how Joy Reid conflates. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this and then, uh, then I'm done. This is evil Bernays propaganda shit that's straight out of World War I. This is teaching the American people to hate the Russians and it's fucking evil. It is fucking evil. Uh, not as evil as my not being able to find it. Uh, where is it? Hang on. Ah, uh, fuck me. I'm saying fuck, I don't care anymore. Well, it was going well until, uh, ah, here we go. Here is Joy Reid uh, beating the war drum for the five corporations. And yet it is now clear that no regime of this century better resembles the Third Reich than Putin's Russia. Okay, that was at the top of her show. Here is, uh, here is her uh, proof that, uh, if I could find it, here we go. There's an even longer and darker history behind all of this. Because we are seeing, what we're seeing today is reminiscent of the 1933 Russian genocide in Ukraine known as the Holomador. That's when Joseph Stalin purposefully starved to death upwards of four million Ukrainians under his policy of forced collectivization. So she's giving a little history lesson and she's conflating the famine in the Ukraine to under Stalin to the mass slaughter in Ukraine today under Putin. And it's all part of the same. Well, I'm I don't think you can hear me. Hang on. So what she's doing is she's. Uh, creating a, a, a through line from the, the, the starvation of the Ukrainians in the early 30s by Joseph Stalin all the way up to the war crimes committed by Vladimir Putin right now. And she doesn't say they were the, it was the Communist Party back then and now it's an autocrat, an oligarch, a kleptocrat. It's the Kremlin. It's all the Kremlin. And it's all the same people. There's no difference between Stalin. There's no difference between Stalin or Putin because they all worked out of the Kremlin. It's the same government, the same evil people. They did this to the Ukrainians during the famine. They're doing it now. And it's the Russian people. And they show the pictures. It's what, what happened. They, 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 they tested the pictures of the dead Ukrainians in Kiev and people were getting bored. So they decided to go old school and show us pictures of starving Ukrainians from the 30s. Do we have to see that? Yes, we have to see that because this is America and we have to go to war. And this is what MSNBC is doing. They want a war. They want a war. Some of you are too young to remember what it was like in 2002. MSNBC fired Phil Donahue. They fired Rosie O'Donnell. They fired anybody who said the Bush administration was lying 
about weapons of mass destruction because MSNBC wanted their war. MSNBC, are the, they're the liberals. That's the Democratic Party. And that's why they are going to lose, the Democrats are going to lose the midterms and all of us are going to be fucked. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke, he knows quite a few. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a human man with an enemy for right. Some days he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Yes, it's time right now for the David Feldman Show. Get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming away. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Welcome back. I want to apologize for saying fuck repeatedly. Uh, I've been visiting somebody in the hospital, so I haven't had time to work on my notes and, and write better. So when you're kind of faking it and you say the word fuck when you haven't clearly thought out what you're thinking, that's why John Stewart stands next to Chuck Schumer uh, on the steps of the Capitol speaking for the victims of the burn pits and says fuck because he won't spring for writers. That's why Jon Stewart is constantly saying fuck because uh, he's more of a performer than he is a thinker. But anytime somebody resorts to fuck, it's because they're lazy. And I was lazy, so I said fuck. Grace Jackson joins us, sorry for my language, and, uh, and I was kind of poking at you a little <laughs> during this. Me? I, yeah, a little. I was uh, teasing you a little. Oh, there were some. Oh, oh, did you see the opening? No. Oh, you're like okay. I was preparing I, for my segment. Oh, I'm so. I'm. I apologize. I had some veiled inside <laughs> jokes at your expense, just to. Uh, uh -oh. But uh, we'll talk about it later. Grace Jackson is the host of. Uh, what is the name of your podcast? Uh, the podcast I do with. Matt Leck and Alex Guns is called Literary Hangover. Literary, I think I have a, a literary hangover. And you, uh -huh. are, you are our expert on China. You are explaining Ugh. a, uh, what, what is it, like one-sixth of our population? One-seventh of the population is... Right. Yeah, well, 1.3 billion is the number that we, that we hear. I'm really, I, I get really... Um, anxious when 
you refer to me as an expert on China. And I don't, this isn't false modesty. I just truly feel like it's, it's so hubristic to use that word. But anyway, you know, I, I, I accept, um, I have an interest in China and some experience of it and have studied it a little bit, let's right. put it that way. And when you use terms like hubristic, hubristic, I, I would think that would make you an expert on Greece. Uh, bad. Well. I, I think I need uh, to start drinking again. Let us talk mm. about China. What what would you like to talk about today? Because it's fast, fast. It's important. This is like it's important. very important. Yeah. So what do we need to uh, know? Well, the fact that you just mentioned Greece actually uh, is is relevant because I want to talk about a piece that was published in the Guardian today, a long piece by Kevin Rudd, who's the former Prime Minister of Australia. He was in charge of Australia from. Uh, 2007 to 10 and again in 2013 he's Australian Labour Party and Kevin Rudd is a Mandarin speaker who had a diplomatic career before he became Prime Minister and he's a bit of a China hand he's got uh, a pretty good knowledge of China he's quite well well respected I guess within sort of China watching circles and he's got a book coming out called The Avoidable War the dangers of a catastrophic conflict between the US and Xi Jinping's China. And so The Guardian have published a, a long excerpt from the book today, and I, I just finished reading it. And in this excerpt, he mentions the Thucydides trap, uh, which I'm sure many listeners will have heard about. The Peloponnesian, uh, case, the history of the Peloponnesian it, Wars? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we should have Arjun on actually to talk about this. Oh, from, he fought in the Peloponnesian Wars, Arjun, I believe. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't surprise. Um, <laughs> wouldn't put it past him. Uh, so anyway, the Thucydides trap is a is a term that's been thrown around quite a bit in the past. Uh, I would say five years, and it's it's based on this idea. Um, so Thucydides was, he was an ancient Greek historian writing in around the 5th century BC uh, in Athens. And he wrote a history of the Peloponnesian War, which was fought between Sparta and Athens and which Sparta eventually won. And in his history, Thucydides concluded that it was the rise of Athens and the fear that this instilled in Sparta that made war inevitable. Hmm. So it's the idea that a rising power uh, has a great kind of disruptive potential to an established power, you know, let's say a large, well-established empire. And a few years ago, I'm not sure exactly when, but a professor at Harvard in the political science department called Graham Allison, he developed the notion of the Thucydides trap and I'm going to quote from him. Uh, he says, this is that there is an, a natural, inevitable discombobulation that occurs when a rising power threatens to displace a ruling power. And he was particularly um, writing about this in relation to the rise of China and its effect on the established kind of hegemonic power of the United States. And so... The critical thing here is to note that he's suggesting war is actually inevitable 
when these dynamics are present. And in his piece in The Guardian today, his excerpt from his book, Kevin Rudd kind of picks up on this and suggests ways in which this war, potential war between the US and China is not actually inevitable. And he lays out a few ways of basically um, ensuring that it doesn't happen. Uh, and it's very interesting. I recommend it to everybody. It it obviously is a is a very scary thought, but his argument is basically that we need to be we need to really be thinking about it in order to stop it. Right, right. Just, I, I want to talk about this in a second. Thucydides, they say uh, history is written by the victor, right? But he was Athenian. Mm. The, the Spartans right. didn't have they didn't have their own historians to to I thought history is written by the people who win. That's bizarre. Well, That's... Athenian culture was pretty advanced uh, yeah. at the time, and I'm not I'm not a classicist, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be drawn into this by you, David. But All right, so we have that's... to avoid a war with China. The hot spot mm -hmm. would be Taiwan. That yeah. what I've been reading is that West Exec, the lobbyists from West Exec who control what's left of Joe Biden's brain, that if China attacks Taiwan, we have to we have to go in. And that this has been going on since Obama did the Pacific pivot, which is kind of like the butter churn, but it's easier to if you're getting older, it's an easier dance. Is that true? Is Taiwan the flashpoint? Uh, I think Taiwan is the most likely flashpoint, yes. But that being said, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the show, I don't think it's as as hot as people think it is right now. I think that especially given what's happening in Ukraine, um, I think China would be extremely reluctant and discouraged to launch an actual invasion of Taiwan at this point. In fact, last week, uh, there was a kind of announcement from one of the Taiwanese intelligence agencies where they came out and said they've got intelligence, or, or maybe they're just bluffing, but they mm -hmm. said they had intelligence to the effect that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has set China's timeline back at least four years for an invasion of Taiwan. Now, I was kind of surprised that there was a timeline in place. I'm not sure there is, but I think the point is well taken that um, the current kind of global situation makes an invasion of Taiwan much, much less likely for China. And you have to remember that right now the Chinese economy is in a bit of a rough spot. There are currently lockdowns in Shanghai that people probably will have heard about. Um, there are some stories that, that some people in Shanghai are not getting enough food. Uh, they're not able to leave their apartments because the lockdown is so strict due to the spread of the Omicron variant. Um, and this is, this is causing some concern, I think, for the Chinese economy. Um, this is a big year for China. It's heading into the 20th 
National Party Congress in November, which is a huge kind of leadership transition for Xi Jinping, where he's expected to obviously get another term. People are now saying that Xi Jinping looks like he'll be in power to at least 2032 and that he could oversee, you know, the transformation of China into the world's kind of number one economic power by that point. So there's a lot going on. And I think this piece by Kevin Rudd, and I want to point uh, listeners to another piece in The Guardian from earlier this week by a guest uh, that I brought on the show last year, Tobita Chow. Uh, He was a great guest. He was on episode 1245, that was last June. He wrote a piece with um, Jake Werner. They both work on kind of progressive, making the case for a progressive US-China alliance. Tough case to make right now. But they've got a piece this week also basically saying that the US and China really must work together um, and that we should not assume that Russia and China are as aligned as certain parts of the media are making them out to be. Um, I think for those two, for those two writers, for Jake Werner and Tabita Chow, I think their position is that the U.S. has basically pushed China away and China has no choice but to align with Russia, given that the U.S. keeps rebuffing, um, keeps kind of rejecting its overtures. Right. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I think China kind of gives as good as it gets, but... I think their their point is is a really important one, um, and that we should distinguish between China and Russia. I think Russia, on the one hand, is a is a, a rather disruptive revisionist power. I think China can also be seen as a revisionist power, but one that is much more constructive in its revisionism. I think China wants a place at the table. It wants to help to construct whatever this next world order is going to be. I'm not sure it has the aspirations to hegemony that that certain corners of of the right, I think, um, ascribe to it. So, right. Taiwan's economy, how is it doing compared to China's? And what does China want from Taiwan? Is it is it what they want from Hong Kong? Why, why would China want to invade Taiwan? And what does a progressive foreign policy mean? Those are three separate questions. You can decide which one you want to answer. Um, okay, why does Taiwan, why does China want Taiwan? That, right. that has to do with history, and that's kind of the territory that I'm most comfortable on. So thank you for that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, China China has long claimed that um, Taiwan is a kind of inalienable part of its national sovereign territory. Now, this claim, I think, is rather spurious, and, and I have disputed it on this show. I don't think we need to go too far into that. Um, but basically, there are longstanding, deep historical claims when it comes to Taiwan that go to the the very core of China's national self-identity and the Communist Party's legitimacy. Um, There is some speculation, and I've read some academic, uh, some kind of scholarly work that suggests that that if if China were to invade Taiwan and it it had trouble 
taking back Taiwan, quote unquote, taking it back, that could cause a, an enormous crisis of legitimacy for the Communist Party. It could end them, is is the idea. So it's a very big deal. Be, because um, there are relatives, un- you have, you're, you're, it's brother against sister, sister against brother. Is that why it would cause? It's, um, I would say it's not quite on that level in the same way that we see with Russia and Ukraine. There's a lot of this rhetoric of brotherhood and fraternity around the relationships between Russia and Ukraine, which I think is right. Taiwan is a bit of a different beast. Um, Taiwan has since it was occupied by Japan in 1895. And even before that, Taiwan has been developing along a separate trajectory. And it's sort of developed its own national identity, its own kind of Taiwanese nationalism, which is a much more inclusive nationalism than the one that you see in, say, Russia or China. It's a nationalism based on shared values, based on kind of civic engagement, based on voting. Taiwan Mm. has a very vibrant democracy. Um, So why would America care about it then? Well, America could learn quite a lot. From I know. I, I I'm saying, this. why why would we be protecting that kind of government? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, there's a lot of paradoxes in the U.S.-Taiwan relationship as well. Given that some of the some of Taiwan's greatest champions in the U.S. government are some of the worst figures, you know, the, you know the Marco you know, Rubios of this world. Well, I would love, uh, hopefully you're going to keep coming back. I would love to learn about Chiang Kai-shek, how he left mainland China. And I don't know why he ended up on Taiwan. Uh, I would assume he lost a civil war to Mao and Cho and Lai. Yeah. And there were people who went with him. And these would be, I would assume, fervent anti-communists. Yeah. And so they decided to build a culture that was the opposite of what they called back then red China. But you said Mm. it was occupied by Japan before then. Mm. So there are capitalist roots on that island. That's fascinating. It's a it's a real melting pot, Taiwan. Yeah. um, There are lots of influences and what it's what it's developed into is is something that I think no one, the Japanese nor nor the nationalist Chinese, could have envisaged. It's um there are Aboriginal influences on Taiwanese culture that are also really really interesting and have have deep historical roots. So we can definitely talk yeah. about that. And the and Taiwan, the kind is, of opposite, I'm sorry, sorry, no, go ahead. Well, Taiwan is kind of colonizing China economically. Like, Economically, Foxconn is a Taiwanese company making all our, and they're enslaving the Chinese worker in part, I think, uh, uh, I I can't pronounce where the Uyghurs are. uh, Oh, Xinjiang. that 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 they're part of the, Foxconn enslaves Chinese people at their factories. So... Well, there are some, the Taiwan and China economically are intimately entangled. And I think for China, China would say that actually Foxconn is, is 
doing China a real solid, like it's it's right. contributing to their economy, it's creating jobs. Um, it's a really, it's quite well respected and well thought of in China. But yeah, there is this long tradition of economic collaboration between, you know, big Taiwanese corporations who go to the mainland, set up factories um, and have have very kind of deep ties. Great. So the two economies are very closely connected and dependent upon each other. When you come back, hopefully next week, we could talk about what a progressive foreign policy would look like. Please, I'm going to get complaints that I cut you off too soon. Explain to everybody that we agreed that this was going to be a 10 to 15 minute segment because I'm going to get so many complaints about talking too much, making bad jokes, interrupting you, but most importantly, cutting you short. But it was a 10 minute segment, right? Yeah, we said 10 to 15 minutes. Right. Okay. It was all agreed with your with your fabulous producer. Right. So I, I'm not cutting you because I'm going to get complaints. So I. No, no, it's it's OK. You, I mean, yeah, we, we I'll, uh, I'll give I'll send up the bat signal. If I need. <laughs> Grace Jackson, we, we love you here and we're glad you're back. Uh, by the way, you were in the Christian. We, we were going through the archives with the Christian. We found the Christian Smalls interview from a year ago, and yeah. uh, we, we we posted it on the YouTube channel. And you asked him if he's going to run for office. This was, you know, uh, you were. And anyway, we're, I'm glad you're back on the show, uh, Grace well, Jackson. I'm, I, w- I remembered that David, and I was so happy to see his victory. I, I'm just thrilled for him and. Yeah what he's been able to accomplish. And I'm really glad that you, like we had him on and you championed him. That's, that's wonderful. He, he's yeah. a real deal. He, he's just, you, you meet somebody, you know, who, Robert Smigel was the one who introduced me to him. We, uh, when he was fired from Amazon before the, even before he started the union, we were so appalled that uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog host, um, this is true, he hosted a, a, a little game show called Let's Make a Poop, I'm being serious, and <laughs> we, we were, and Robert wanted Christian Smalls, just anything to help Christian, and he was, I think he won the, the uh, I'm talking too much, Grace Jackson is the host of, co-host of Literary Hangover, follow her on Twitter at, what is your Twitter handle? Oh, it's uh, Grace Jackson. Grace Jackson. That's it. Thank you. Thank, and every, we, we love you here. Everybody, the, the chat room is so thank you. And we'll see you next week. Maybe at office thank hours. You. Maybe. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> Let's go from Grace to a disgrace. My good friend. Dave Cyrus joins us from where are you? The Batcave or is that Star Trek? Uh, no, that is the 1960s Batcave background. Correct. And, and you have your sound working today. It's always working. What the hell are you implying? How are you? I'm OK. I understand. Complicated times. Right. I understand you've uh, I, I haven't asked you about your personal life but uh my 
my thoughts are with you. Let's talk ask about me. Lauren. Pa- ask me about my personal life, David. How's your Go personal? ahead and ask. <laughs> it's none of your goddamn business. Oh, you know what? Let me play. Let me play you some Trump. Because you wrote this shit. Uh, not shit. Let me play I, you. Let me, let me play you. Not that much. You wrote. I wrote a little. Uh, uh, let's see. There's some. I've been cutting these up and putting them on YouTube. Let me play you a little Donald Trump. Uh, the one that I love. You know, where is it? Uh, oh, I can't find. Well, let me just play this. So sad, David, when the kid named after you turns out to be such a disappointment. I tried to get Don Jr. to switch names with Ivanka. They wouldn't do it. I wanted Ivanka to be Donald Jr., but Jared wouldn't allow it. He didn't want to be married to someone named Don Jr. And Don Jr. fought it tooth and nail, too. He wanted to keep the name. He thought it meant that he'd have to be married to Jared. We tried to explain it to him, said it's just a name. We got a professional name swapper to explain it to him, but he didn't get it. He didn't budge. He said, I want to, I'm angry. I want to kill an elephant. Not a bright boy. Bad namesake. Bad, terrible namesake. Like Fred. Like Fab Five Fred. Yeah, that's not nice to talk about your older. All right. Uh, you know, David, if I learned one thing at SNL, it's that the, the only important factor about a sketch is length. Right. That's the only thing that matters. Long is good. Long is so good? The, the longer, that, the more successful. You're filling time that advertisers will pay for it. So you had, so that might have been the best sketch in the world. That was a 45-minute we did. It, it, I don't know right. if you watched it. It was 45 minutes. Was, and I've heard yeah, it. I know. I, I've heard I'm well it. aware of that. And it it completely changes the dynamics of what a sketch can be. <laughs> because it is. Because usually 45 minutes is considered uh, two half-hour television shows without commercials. Right. Uh, and you managed to have the length of two half-hour TV shows and still only have the substance of a sketch. No, and that's not easy. Well, you wrote it. What are you talking about? I mean, I feel like I helped a little, but that was that was squarely yours. I want it to make sure 40, people understand. It's, it, first of all, it's music. It's it's you know Mike Steinell, the the jazz professor. He'll listen to he, the the one before that was an hour, and it's Robert because yeah, I know it's music. Well, Robert's good. Robert. No, no, I get it. It's fun. It, and, you know, it's it's a fun thing to have if you're driving, but you also have to pay attention to the road so you can't really <laughs> listen. Um, Do you know that I've listened to? I'm no, not making I, this up. I have listened mm-hmm. to it 15 times. I'll start. It's like to me, I, Robert doing Trump or Robert doing doing anybody. It's like uh, the Godfather. I can listen to Robert's Trump. Over and no, over I literally years. picture I literally picture you in the morning turning on that sketch, taking that little brush to dip into the cream to shave with, <laughs> then opening your straight razor, thinking about it for a second and deciding to just shave with it. <laughs> but always having that long lingering stare as in, is this going to be the day? Is today going to be the day or am I just going to shave? But then you laugh at something you wrote and you think, all right, I bought another day. I, I'm not laughing at anything I wrote. It's just, it's his delivery. I mean, he's just, and 
he's just a genius. He really is. Robert Smigel is a, a yes, genius. Yes, he is. He is. I, no I wish I could have been there last night. Yeah. I, honestly, I had a family thing. I've had a lot of family issues lately. Right. Uh, well, you remember the last time I was on? Yes. What happened? Yes. I would assume there's... Uh, you said Shiva? Yes. Yes, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah, oh, did I, I mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing the Shiva, you know, having to break down the house, get rid of everything. Uh, you know, she she passed about a week ago. And 87, you know, can't complain. And, uh, you know, but, but a year and a did. half with pancreatic cancer at 87 is not bad. Yeah. So. Uh, and you were a good grandson. Yes. I was, I was, uh, I was the one who was with her. You were the when, adult when she when she passed. I I I pushed my mom out of the room because I didn't want her to have to deal with that. I said I'll do it, and uh, you know, it's fine. I want to make jokes. What's wrong with me? Go ahead. And can I? All I want to do is make All I want to do is make jokes. As, as you can imagine, it made the other things I was dealing with this month a little bit less fun for me. Now, what are it's you allowed to talk where, about? I can. I mean, I'm allowed to talk about whatever I want. I just may not want to talk about it here, you know, where I don't get paid for it. So I uh, but I mean, you know, it's we don't it's like, I don't know. I don't there's no one saying I can or cannot say anything. Well, there's yeah, no one telling me that shit. Yeah. I mean, I, I purposely don't like to pry into things. You know, it's like but it is kind of like the most important it's like it's more important than ukraine what you're going through like you are in the vortex you're, you're this is the oh. center you're in the center of the universe i like to i like to think of it as a uh very tiny microcosm of no. real problems in the world no you are the, the if you ask people what is the most important story in the world you're part of it uh well it's the most, maybe the most, the, what used to be the biggest celebrity story, I'll put it that way. And then that was slapped right off the front page. By what? The slap. Will Smith no, but slapped my scandal right off the front page. That's not. I'm not going to complain about that. No, that, that. No, it's, it's a, it's a big news story. I'm not, I'm not even no, talking about it. I'm just saying a, it was a huge a, news story. This is a perennial. This is something that won't go away well who knows it's not something that we need to you know act like is the most important thing in the world because right. there are real things going on that involve more than a handful of people well so I, let me I, let me ask you fair, a question it is an important issue for a lot of reasons but not on that level so is it it's not just frivolous because it's hmm? about mental health issues is it about physical uh, safety that's one of them yeah now has have about you what? physical say do you feel going well you, your twitter account is a mouthpiece may i say or am i violating mm -hmm. a trust no my my twitter account uh is public always has been for vladimir putin and you, uh well we did talk about that no no and, i'm kidding uh, tell I everybody this is just so i'm, I'm on the being, other side i'm being cryptic because if you if you open the Putin argument, we're going to start talking. Okay, um, but, but yeah, he, no, like we don't have to get that into it. But, but you know, Pete I was is the folk. I was the focus of a famous person, and uh, it was a situation where I probably would have had a lot more fun with it if I wasn't dealing with my 
my family stuff. Right. That's all. So Pete Davidson is dating uh, Kim Kardashian, and Kanye is not happy about that. Pete Davidson, a brilliant comedian, very smart, does not have a Twitter account. You're his, you are his top writer, and I would assume friend, and you've been, he's been using <laughs> your Twitter account to get the word out. Is that fair to say? I have on two occasions tweeted something on his behalf because he didn't have social media. But honestly, I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, discuss this okay. yet. You know what I mean? I know. Because it's like, it's, it's just, a, it, honestly, it's not an issue I like even talking about because it's too, it's just, it's too many, there's too many things going on with it that right. I don't want to have to just blow up. You know what I mean? Honestly, you know what I really want to talk about? You know what I really want to talk about? Lauren Pazienza. Yeah, now who is that? You probably know the story. A few weeks ago, Lauren Pazienza allegedly uh, pushed an old lady to the ground and killed her. Oh, allegedly. right, the, the music coach. Uh, beloved vocal coach to the... Bro now, Kathleen Hanna came out from Bikini Kill and said how much she loves this woman. And I love Kathleen Hanna. So that immediately got my attention. And she's a socialite, uh, right? The woman who did the pushing comes from a wealthy family and she's like a blue blood or she drew well, blood. It's, and now she's well, it's funny. She, it's, it's very funny. The articles all refer to her as uh, a cesspool millionaire. Her father was a, they say, is a cesspool right. tycoon, which right. is hilarious, which is just all automatically hilarious. Right. Uh, a 26 year old woman now, here's the reason I, I even brought the story up. So basically, the, the story is 87-year-old woman still working just outside her home, walking along the streets of New York City, gets, and we've talked about this before, this kind of, this explosion of crazy people just randomly attacking people. Like I said, it's not about like, I'm not talking about street crime. I'm not talking about like, you know, uh, normal crime. I'm talking about like random people who just hit strangers. And was she, and, this is important to me, was she a person of color, this positive? No. Okay. No, no. Unlike the vast majority of these stories, she was not an Asian person because Asian women have been the victim of so much crime, uh, so many random attacks in this country of the last two years because of this weird paranoia and panic and scapegoating about COVID. So th that's not what this was. This was just a woman walking down the street, elderly, probably not going that fast, you know, as is her right. And some lunatic walked up to her and shoved her to the ground and killed her hit her head you know died a few days later disgusting a despicable crime now we don't know for a fact that lauren did it but she's the person who's been arrested for it and there's a lot of evidence that there's seems to make the police believe she did it there's well there's no photos of her doing it but there's a lot of other evidence the fact that she there's i mean there's witnesses that said it was her then there's footage of her leaving the area then there's the fact that after it happened prosecutors are saying she hid her phone turned it off at her aunt's house and then hid in her parents house so even if she wanted to claim it wasn't her she did all these things that make it so easy to prosecute because you did she did all these things that apparently allegedly make right. it clear that she was trying to avoid a crime which is itself a crime too now the thing that's amazing about the story to me you've got this 26 year old wealthy socialite who killed this woman allegedly and her lawyer is out saying that she's being overcharged because was she shopping news. at Saks? he's saying that she, 
He's saying that she's being, I mean, look, he's her lawyer. So obviously he's going to say some stuff we're not going to agree with. But he's trying to say this woman's being overcharged by uh, aggressive prosecution because she's rich and white is what the or I guess or at least rich. I don't, I don't know if he said white, but that was the implication that it's like, oh, you're just trying to get she's being charged with manslaughter. She pushed an old lady to the ground who died. Now, you tell me if a homeless man who was, let's say, not who didn't look like a like a newscaster pushed a random person and they died. Would he be charged with third degree murder? Would he be charged with more than manslaughter? I think so. Manslaughter. Manslaughter sounds like a gift to me. Right. Because manslaughter is like if you accidentally knock someone over and they die. This is about a, a woman who they who witnesses are saying someone yelled bitch and shoved her and she died. I mean, that sounds like that's like if I got into a fight in a bar and beat someone up and they died. You, you go to that is a that's that's murder. That's, that's not first degree murder, but that's like third degree murder. Either okay. way, the thing I wanted to bring up about this that I found so funny, which, you know, a horrible story. But what's funny about it to me is that after she got arrested. Everyone. Whoever met this woman seemed to come out of nowhere. A saint. Saying she is the... No, no, I'm saying the woman who did it. Oh, oh, oh. like I'm saying a saint. Oh, no. The the love they had for the woman. The victim has been universally beloved. An 87-year-old woman. That's how old my grandmother was, by the way. So that made this even more personal to me. Um, This woman, Lauren, it seems like everyone she ever met in her whole freaking life came out to say... Not surprised. This is exactly who she is. I can't believe it took this long. I mean, there are people talking about her bullying them when they were 10. There are people talking, (laughs) saying everyone in her building, everyone she went to college with, everyone is is saying, yep, that's all. That's Lauren for you. (laughs) It's, I mean, not one person. Even her family, I haven't seen quotes from of anything right. defending her. And they, they, and she's she's engaged, by the way, mm. to a man. We don't know anything about this man, but I remember seeing him. He was like, you know, he seemed like a good-looking, tall guy, you know, nice guy, whatever. You don't know. But one of the witnesses was saying, yeah, we would hear screaming fights from her apartment every night. We've wow. never heard her fiancé screaming, though. Wow. So all her neighbors said they would hear her screaming at her fiance every night. Neighbors said that when a car would drive by that was too loud, she would go scream from the porch of the building for minutes long after the car left about the noise that they were making. (laughs) And they were like, she would always make more noise than the car that was passing by. That's something I I would never push a woman to the ground, but I would do that. I have done that. And then honestly, the the question I have, David, is if you did something like this, how many people would come out of nowhere to say, yep, that's David Feldman for you. Don't. <laughs> I mean, the it just it, there's something so funny about someone living the kind of life where everyone, you know, can't wait to call the New York Post and right. talk about what a piece of crap you are. Right. I I would assume most people, if I. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah, but uh, it's cesspool money, right? Yeah, her father is in the cesspool business. And look, I'm not one of these people who says that if you raise a monster, you you had to be a bad person. It raises the likelihood of it. 
But, you know, sometimes good people raise bad kids. You're saying so I'm not going to sit here. The father brought his work home with him is what you're saying. Who knows? Who knows? Honestly, you know, I mean, look, when someone acts like this, you can't help but think there's a good chance they were not great parents. Now, but what is it? Sometimes cesspool? people are just broken. What is What's a cesspool? That? And why do, do we have cesspools in New York? Other than um, I don't. Cats still I, I, don't, I honestly, I, my assumption is that a cesspool is when like you live in a house and they have to have like I don't, I don't know. But I, I, my understanding is that that's more like a houses thing as opposed to like a city thing. Like septic Like tanks. how a house. Yeah, I think it's like a house has to have. Yeah, like a septic tank. Like or a house has to have like uh, like their own cesspool for all the accumulated cess. Yeah. And when did people figure all this stuff out? Because I have a feeling they just used to dump it in the ocean and lakes. Right? Oh, good question. Um it was so, it was called the Black Plague uh, uh, that occurred. Actually, there were multiple different Black Plagues, but often they were caused by garbage, where people would just throw their garbage out the window. Garbage would accumulate, and then rats would uh, would expand, would, would would eat it, and would spread disease. Uh, and which is why, for example, there've been multiple different Black Plagues. One of them was caused by when the Catholic Church said that cats were satanic. Well, that's true because they just. Well, you know how like cats, they thought that cats balance was so good. They must have been in league with Satan. And so they started killing all the cats, which, of course, caused a rat population explosion that caused a black plague. I didn't know that. See, cats caused the black. That's how bad cats are. They caused the black plague. They prevented the plague. No, they cats caused it by being such insufferable pricks that the Catholic mm -hmm. Church turned on them. Well, that's the thing about cats is they're keeping us alive. So that that's why they're so smug. They know that we need them. And that's the thing about the Catholic Church. They hate pussy. All right. Sorry. I want to. It's right, the chat it. room. Nice. It's the chat room. It's the. Ch I, I want to beat the chat room to the the joke. They right? just they all, they just want they just want your puns. That's all they want. I know. They want so David I, Feldman I, at the height of his punning. Yeah. And I don't pun. Well, mm -hmm. anyway, so yes. cat, well, cats are pretty, but. So that's interesting. But yeah, I, I just wanted us to talk about this, this woman, Pazienza, who I've been trying to find out. I cannot confirm or deny whether or not uh, she is related to Vinnie Pazienza. I wanted so badly to know that. Who is Vinnie that? Pazienza was a great, great boxer. Miles Teller did a movie about him a few years ago. He was a famous boxer who broke his neck and was back to heavyweight, uh, not heavyweight, uh, championship boxing within a year. And it was like there's literally footage of him uh, in the gym using the speed bag with uh, the neck brace and the screws and everything. It's it's and Miles Teller did a pretty good movie about it. Uh, he's just an awesome boxer. Uh, well, let me ask Pazienza. you about grief. Let me I want to ask you about grief because we have Dr. Philip mm -hmm. Hirschenfeld, who's about to join sure. us. He's a Freudian psychoanalyst. And my sister recently read an article that suggests that psychiatrists need to start treating grief uh, as kind of like a mental illness, but grief is worthy of a psychiatrist's attention. Do you, are you grieving? Well, sure I am. Yeah. Um, How I don't does know it manifest necessarily... itself? The grieving? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It is, you know, I don't look, I don't have, I'm very lucky that I don't suffer from any, 
you know, major, you know, personality disorders. I don't have depression. I don't have anxiety, uh, which many, many people I love do have. But, you know, in these sort of situations, what you're sort of going through is a, its own kind of depression that uh, is situational that you're supposed to go through. Right. It's different than depression, of course, but it is it, there are there are similarities. Um, what is that? The, are you doing? Loss, explain to me what to my audience as as though. Uh, what, what does Shiva mean? What, what, what does that mean? Uh, Shiva is sort of like a wake in Judaism. It's where after the funeral. Jews like to bury their dead very quickly, mostly because it's a very ancient culture before there was much, you you know, you had to put them in the ground fast. In my family, um, and we bury you, them before they're dead. <laughs> well, you know, that that's what happens when you steal horses. So they, the Shiva is the next several days, the friends and family come and they visit the grieving. You sit on boxes and it's nice. You get to see your family and it really does help, especially with like when someone elderly dies, it's, it's sad, but it's a celebration of their life. Right. They had and a good there's life. There's no food. They as won. I, as I remember, no food, a lot of drinking. I'm kidding. No, there was a lot of food. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's I'm a, kidding. A very uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, of course. Yeah, no. There's the, you're not a, you're not legally allowed to have Jews over for someone's death without food. Right. Um, yeah, we get yeah, you get food. Everyone sends the same food. That's the problem. Everyone you you need several different kinds of food, and then everyone sends just one, so that right. you have too much of one, and then. Uh, but no, it, it, I mean, I don't really have to say about it. It's just, you know, my mom is going through a lot because it's her mother. And it's, uh, it's a very difficult thing for anyone to is it, uh, now, my deal understanding, with someone you're close with. My understanding is you cover all the windows because there's so much food. Yes. And Jews and their table manners, it's best that nobody sees the way we eat. Well, we cover the windows. And this is a good example of something that's funny about the ancientness of the religion. They will say often we cover the windows because you're not supposed to have vanity in this moment. But of course, that's a modern rethinking of why we cover windows. Really, it's about like it's, it goes back to mysticism and and souls getting trapped and stuff. So I don't know. That's that's what I've been told. Well, let me bring uh, the Hershenfelds so in. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a Freudian psychoanalyst. Ethan Hershenfeld is a brilliant comedian. Everybody should stream Thug Thug Jew. He's been on in like the past three weeks, Bull, Red Notice, uh, Special Victims Unit. What, what, what did you land today? What did you get today? You watched uh, all those this week? <laughs> no, David is exaggerating in a very charming way. But um, um, no, um, this week I shot a, a pilot of this new, this NBC thing called Blank Slate. Um, it's, it involves a Homeland Security officer. And Dad, you're wearing a real Mr. Rogers getup today. He looks what great. Is, <laughs> yes, but it's he the looks, red cardigans. He looks great. Do you know that Mr. Rogers studied child psychoanalysis? I did know that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Can I ask a question of the Hershenfelds about psychoanalysis? By the way, Dave, you and my father are color-coordinated. You got the red and the black. No, or yes. you say, la rouge, le rouge et le noir. Oh, yes, I, believe me, I wish, no, I, I would love no nothing more than if you were also wearing a uh, Cyberdyne Skynet shirt from from Terminator. But, you know, I'll... I am here. Look, I'm about to show you. <laughs> oh, God, that would make me so happy. Let me ask no, Dr. Um, Hershen. Oh, go, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. I had a question. For well, I wanted to ask about psychoanalysis. I was taught when I was studying psychology mm-hmm. that psychoanalysis mm-hmm. is not 
is is the most interesting way to be a psychologist or psychiatrist or therapist, but it's not the best way to treat trauma. And I don't it's know if that's- the, It's also the, the, the most interesting way to be an Uber driver. Because <laughs> my, my love of psychoanalysis, when I studied psychoanalysis, what I sort of learned was people were saying that it's really great for writing. It's great to learn how to do the basics of psychoanalysis in order to create in-depth characters. It's and also that's where, great for getting laid. Yeah. You're already well, on a couch. I mean, I mean, it is a big part of cults. It is a big part of being in a cult is being great at psychoanalyzing people. Maybe not, you know, the most uh, by the book way, but if, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have heard about Larry Ray. I've been obsessed with this story. Is that Sarah Lawrence? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Sarah, the Sarah Lawrence con man. An, an, uh, such a ridiculous scumbag. Uh, but it's just, it's fascinating to just see how, because it kind of mirrors uh, Charles Manson uh, about a guy who got out of prison and then used the lessons he learned in prison to then manipulate a bunch of young women. Dr. Hirschfeld, mm. is it that easy to manipulate young people that way? I, I, there was a piece about this guy either in New York Magazine or The New Yorker about a year ago. He was divorced. His daughter was going to... I'm laughing. It's, his daughter's going to Sarah Lawrence. He moves up there and starts entertaining all these co-eds and friends of his daughter and suddenly he created a cult yeah he creates a cult and he looks like a schlub and all of a yeah. sudden he's got all these young women who have the whole world ahead of them doing his bidding a man a man who bernard carrick called a dirtbag just to <laughs> let you know what we're talking about so I actually tried to start a cult. I tried to start a cult when I was in college. I, I invited all the people over. I had all I had the drinks. I had the. It turns out I just accidentally started a study group. Everyone <laughs> got straight A's. How hard the is focus it? Is completely wrong. Does he deserve, Doctor Hirschfeld? Does he deserve any credit for being a genius, Sarah? I mean, if you if you're a young student at Sarah Lawrence, I, I'm going to assume you're pretty intelligent. He must have known. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with genius. It has to do with a certain level of disturbance, mental disturbance, that allows you to connect in a certain way with vulnerable people. I assure you not every student at Sarah Lawrence joined. Certain uh, people uh, who- uh, You're blaming the victim. I'm not blaming anybody. Okay. I'm saying that there, there are certain people who would take one look at this creep and say, yeah, out of my face. But there are other people who are looking for some kind of acceptance, some kind of, they're, they're looking for something. And he not, he doesn't think it out. It's done intuitively. He provides exactly what they're looking for it's like a dance that they do and that's how it happens and let, let me just say my interpretation of this is more an indictment of the prison system because this is another case of someone who leaves the prison system as an inveterate con man as a like yeah and that's the thing you get kind of get out of like when you talk to people who've been to the, the in the system that it's just it's, it's a snake pit of people trying to manipulate and force and all and and it just and you come out of there and compared to a teenage girl, 
you're this machine of manipulation. Yeah. Right. It's the opposite of restorative. I'm so sick. I actually want to ask, I won't, I was going to ask Dr. Herschel, what are the tricks to pulling something off? I keep thinking that, you know, when my kids were that age, their friends, anyway. uh, Yeah. Grief. Don't go there, David. Huh? Don't go there. No, I know. I'm just thinking, being a cult leader, uh, there are. I I, you know, I I would not make a good cult leader because I don't I don't like being a leader at all. Mm-hmm. I, I I but on the on the flip side, I would not be a good cult member because I don't like people telling me what to do. I'm just I'm not I'm not built for either end of the of the cult scene. Now Cyrus and I were approached by Nexium, right? That's true. That is true. We do have a little bit of. Uh... Adjacent seat in Nexium. Uh, it was, and it was. But, but let me and, just point something case, out, Doctor Hirsch. Before I knew, before we get to the story, because I want to say something about Nexium, and that was where they branded the ladies on the thigh, right? Uh, thigh is the nice word, but yeah. Okay, and they. It was the job of the woman to bring unsuspecting men into the cult for I don't know what. Dr. Hershel, we had somebody on my podcast who was an actress who was also a recruiter for Nexium. She came on the show with me and Dave Cyrus. She was way too friendly to me. She was attractive. She was making mm-hmm. eye contact with me. And I'm thinking, she's crazy. Why would why would she be flirting? I'm serious. I go, what? You're cult. You're cult proof. Yeah. Because go, of self esteem issues. Yeah. I go. This is absolutely like. Why would a young, attractive actress, be you know touching my knee and flirting with me? However, somebody else on the show, uh, Dave Cyrus. Our why friend. don't you tell? Why don't you tell what happened? Well, no, she she did the same thing with me, um, except in my case, she was only doing it because she just found me really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to lunch a few times, but that was like, uh, and I that's how I found out what was going on. I just, I didn't even know about the story at the time. And then I found out later about the whole background of it. And I was like, and I, and uh, you know, the immediate thought is, wait, was this, was I, to be fair, it never went past, you know, having but a few conversations were, that never you, even talked about it and nothing happened of it because, I mean, if I was trying to be recruited, the person gave up. I'll put it that way. Right. Uh, and I did have conversations about what was going on with Nexium, where I was pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward about my thoughts about it. And I think that would have made it clear I wasn't really a candidate because my my attitude was that, you know, Keith Ranieri uh, is a uh, to be honest, I thought he was a. Not even a good con man. Right. Hey, we got to wrap it up. Let's wrap it. Dave Cyrus, brilliant comedy writer. And uh, it's good to see you again. And follow Dave Cyrus on Twitter at Dave Cyrus. Yeah. Dave Cyrus. S-I-R-U-S. Enjoy. By the way, Nexium, Nexium, the real problem with that is the name. It sounds like an over-the-counter painkiller. Terrible name. Yeah. Enjoy the shiva. I think it is one. Yeah. It is. It's, I Thank think it's you. acid reflux. Enjoy the shiva. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That's such a t- uh, Joining us is Dr. Hershenfeld and Ethan. Let me ask you about grief. 
so is grief a mental like a mental health condition it's it's, it's what everybody... i'm glad you're asking me about this because you can read all about this in my book on the subject of loss and mourning it's called good grief <laughs> it's about the upsides of grief and why grief is for you even though you think it's not it's a long subtitle it's a mouthful but there are a lot of pictures so you can read it really in one sitting on the toilet so there's good, good grief, grief and bad available. grief you want no, the good grief. good Good grief. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. want the good grief. Dr. Hirschenfeld, is it a medical condition can, that requires people? It is not a medical condition. It is a totally normal reaction to loss. However, our, our good friends at Big Pharma decided that they were leaving some money on the table, which they hate to do. So they, in conjunction with a couple of venal, um, money-hungry researchers, they came up with this cockamamie notion that once, I, I, there were two stages of this. The first one was, was just outrageous, that after just a few weeks of, of mourning, this was now a treatable condition, and you could buy their pharmaceuticals to treat it. What pharmaceuticals were they recommending? Like antidepressants or something else? Exactly, antidepressants. And this is and a recent. Then, this is recent, right? Recent. This was a year or two ago. I, I was just totally outraged by this. I think they've extended it a little bit. And so maybe it's a few months. I don't know what the latest nonsense is, but it's it's just unbelievably. Now, when you when the first stages of this came out, was were you in denial? When did you get to acceptance of this treatment for? Um, making a bad joke uh, you know that kubler that kubler thing i think i heard a guy um using those five stages of grief uh, trying to talk uh, say that there was an analogy there with what putin's going through and i was moved to send him a letter uh, an email through his website or through twitter or whatever i think it was the council on foreign relations where he worked that it's it's baloney this this kubler ross thing it's been de debunked it's just someone came up with this idea and then everyone quotes it including a guy talking about geopolitical matters i like so. the bargaining right. the, the bargaining um, part freud's one of freud's best books was called mourning and melancholia they are two distinct different conditions mourning is a normal thing that you do when somebody close to you is lost takes time and you gradually 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 give up that person and melancholia is when you begin turning on yourself hmm. and 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 then you get depressed which is different now that needs treatment. I totally agree. Now, why would someone turn on themselves in the wake of someone else dying? What is that about? Uh, I mean, if they kill them. If they kill them, right. But, but that's the point. They imagine they killed them. Let's, uh -huh. say, let's say you 
Um, you wished unconsciously that they were dead, and then they do die, and then you're like, oh, boy. One of my first cases in, in the hospital when I was a resident in the Bronx was a man who was married for 60 years or so. And the last 10 years of his life, his wife had a massive stroke. And he had to take care. She did not know anything. She could not do anything. And he waited on her day and night, got nothing back from her because there was nothing there. She finally died. He sat with her in their apartment for a few days and then took his razor and cut his own throat. Miraculously, somebody found him. They got him to Jacoby Hospital, sewed him up, and then he ended up on the psych ward. What happened to the apartment? (laughs) It's still available. Two two bedroom? No, no, sorry. It was one of those big grand concourse apartments. I'm I'm sure. Three bedroom. Big ceiling. Anyway, it's. It's a very, it's a long time ago, so I can make that joke. It's 60 years ago, but go, go on. Okay. So what, you know, what we understood, and this was a guy who was treated successfully, not with medication, but by talking. And we finally got around to this very idea that he was sitting there, I don't know, for the whole 10 years, but for a lot of years, wishing that she would die already. Mm-hmm. The other big mistake was he tried to cut his own throat with an electric razor. He's <laughs> like, wow, this is, this is smooth. So, and then he bought the company. So when she died, he felt unconsciously that he had murdered her. Right. That's wow. melancholia. That's not mourning. Right. Wow. And is melancholia primarily linked to mourning? In other words, does that come from the death of a loved one or or you can have melancholia from other things? The loss, the the symbolic loss, can be a million other things. It could be loss of self-esteem. It could be loss of Of your your keys. Loss of your keys, um, did, actually, is it just a synonym for depression, melancholy, or it's something else? Melancholy is depression, exactly. But is all is it is there a Venn diagram thing? Are there other kinds of depression that aren't melancholy, or is it just a uh, okay? Yeah, whatever. But, what about but, anhedonia? Yeah, anhedonia Annie Hall. Is That's Annie Hall syndrome. That was oh, the original name of Annie Hall. Did you? Oh, know that? oh right, all oh, right, yeah. all right. Yeah. Anyway, I, this is not a vocab segment. I'm not going to ask you those ridiculous. Oh questions. no, I, this, I find really this fascinating. fascinating. I, yeah. I, uh, I remember the um, the magazines that you had, the professional magazines, when I was a kid, and uh, so the ads for the pharmaceuticals in the seven, 70s and eighties, yeah. the ads for the pharmaceuticals. They didn't yet hire actors and have those long TV spots uh, about someone's depression or anxiety. Instead, they would have these drawings and they were pretty abstracted. Do you remember those? It would be like a line drawing of someone's face and they were like, (laughs) and that was for the the anxiety. You could kind of surmise that was for the anxiety medication. I remember seeing those things. 
I uh, experience. Oh, go ahead, doctor. Um, am I allowed to say something positive about John D. Rockefeller on this left wing program? Uh, you know, I've praised him for bringing in the Pinkerton guards to shoot up the striking coal miners, but uh, no, this was but anything beyond that, I will not tolerate. I, I also he 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 had great spats. Yeah, he he did have great spats. Yeah. But this is related to your cesspool uh, discussion. Um, one of the reasons that Southerners used to be considered lazy is because they were all anemic, because they all had hookworm, which is a, a disease of this little worm that you walk around in bare feet and it gets into your skin and I think it then goes to your intestine and you bleed constantly. And the reason hookworm was all around is because they did not have proper, how can I say this delicately? They weren't dug deep enough. The, they the, weren't yeah, dug the deep enough. But look, the, can, I, can I just... The outhouses were not dug six feet deep. Right. And he went through the south digging thousands and thousands and thousands of outhouses not personally he he paid for it and um, did he hit go, did he strike oil what was he <laughs> probably john d rockville he was looking for oil i just wanted probably to push back a little bit on your the way in in your setup to that joke i wanted okay. to push back on the idea that all you said all that, you know that's a, all. all is a big number all you, oh you, yeah you should have said y'all no, um, in any case. So hookworm. So there. So the hookworm causes anemia, and that comes from the uh, not digging your cesspool, your outhouse. Yeah. Interesting. It, yeah, it might have been roundworm, according to someone in the chat, rather than hookworm. But it, whatever it was, it was a worm. Yeah. I, I. You just reminded I, me. Go ahead. Whatever. As a kid, we used to drive to Florida. Oh, no, you were right, Dad. The, the, the commenter was wrong. I apologize. Okay. Go on. As a kid, we used to drive to Florida all the time. And I can remember going through Georgia and smelling the out. They used to burn the outhouses in Georgia. You would smell it on the highway. And I also remember it was the late 60s, early 70s, and you would stop at gas stations and you would see colored and it was just yeah. fade. It would be faded, and I remember going, "Wow, that I can't believe that they don't paint that in." <laughs> why are they, they letting it? No, I I couldn't believe. Like, wow, that's you know, uh, that's amazing that they that's still up there. Uh, okay, I told somebody. Shiva. No, I was going to tell somebody. Oh, go ahead. Somebody I know is feeling weak and depressed. And I said, you know, normally you're pretty angry. Why don't you start getting angry and rage at the world? It's, you know, just mm -hmm. go back to bed. Is that bad advice to tell somebody who's depressed to lash out at no, the world? It's an instinctive understanding of what the problem is, that, that they usually discharge the anger outside into the world. And then for some reason, having to do with guilt, and they start 
turning it on themselves, that is the mechanism of much of depression. So it was very good advice, but it's very hard to follow. Right. I, the other you know, thing, I, I remember as a kid, and I don't know, I, I would assume this is not just a Jewish thing, but it may be that when I was a kid, I would go to a funeral and it was really sad and I didn't understand it. And there would be one Jew who during the Shiva and during the burial would complain about the traffic. And, <laughs> and he would go That's, on, I'm being serious. <laughs> and he would, I can't- It was always at every funeral, it was the same guy. That it was, was the his same job. guy. And he would go on and on. He'd make fun of the guy with the shovel. This guy's not gonna be able to do it. And he would get everybody angry at him. And like uh -huh. a lot of the, like a lot of people go, I can't believe he's doing this at a funeral. And he, and he would make- And a you were like, when I grow up, <laughs> All the focus was on him. And he would complain, you know, they didn't spend enough on the coffin. Look at this dirt. You know, this is not the right dirt. He would just find anything to complain about. And when is this going to be over? My feet hurt. And uh, and I, as I grew older, I remember seeing a com. I remember seeing Bobby Slayton, uh, the Pitbull of comedy in San Francisco, doing comedy, just hating the audience. I was, and I went. Oh, I know who this guy, I know who Bobby Slayton is. He's the guy at every funeral who gets your mind off the grief. And he, he's right. like, he's the one you all, he's saying, hate me. Just, it's all, right. is don't that. Don't hate yourself. I'm sorry? Hate me, don't hate yourselves. And be angry, don't be sad. Be mm -hmm. angry at me, don't be sad. Does By he way, know? I, does I he would... know what he's doing when he does that? I mean, that that seems to be a role at funerals, right? They know what they're doing, right? There's a self awareness. Uh, I've no, I have no idea. I've never saw one of those people. No. Hopefully there'll be a funeral. I'll come. I'll take you. I'll show you how it works. It'll be. <laughs> What are you doing? I, more, I, I have a May 5th open. Do you want to go to <laughs> Go ahead. I'm more familiar with the wisecracker, the whispered sideways wisecracks at the funeral rather than the kind of uh, lightning rod of anger. You know that approach? Yeah. You know that approach because yeah. of what my father did at his yeah. mother-in-law's funeral. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We we talked about that once. He yeah, he suggested yeah. I grab an extra bagel and throw it in the box for the old lady in case she gets hungry. Yeah. Is it? It was a good line. I want to change the subject, but it feels like as I I know somebody who had to do a memorial service yesterday, and he had to go in and he had to be funny. Like it's like it was it's it's now become expected, or has this always been where where you do a oh. memorial service and and. Every you have to make people laugh at a funeral. Is that a new thing, or has that always been the case? I've never heard of I that. Think, I, think, I think it's new. I think in, in, in past day, in past years, people have just been more decorous and more respectful, and they would not, for the most part, make jokes. 
although there would be there would be very genuine um nice moments of levity and laughter when a, a loved one a, 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 a sibling or a child of the deceased recalled something and it was a genuine big laugh but not right. like a wisecrack yeah i think yeah um i i deny death i just have just not gonna happen Nothing. Go ahead, does Ethan. death deny you that's the question <laughs> much more important i'm not i'm not interested in death it doesn't i i, I think there, i think that america is evolving into a hitlerian obsession there's this is what hitler trained uh, the germans you know the noble death and there's there is this acceptance of death in america and i think that has a lot to do with uh turning the society militaristic i think it's a sign of decay when there's an embrace of death and, and that's what goebbels taught the nazis to you know to have a that it's okay to die to eat, that you can die the right way and i think there are a lot of republicans go ahead i think a lot of republicans uh is it love of death Thanat you know is that right what i feel like really where where are you what, seeing what the are you love of death no i'm not really i'm trying to understand where you're seeing that exactly that love of death or like a cult of death in our culture i see the contrary which is a denial of death and an embrace of everything kind of pleasure-based and hedonistic and a kind of expectation that everything's going to be fine and it's going I, to go on forever i i think the republicans have tied religion and their uh, fear of science into a death cult where their what will be will be you saw it with medicare for all the arguments for medicare for all that there are people who this this fatalism uh, of don't you know the doctors are the problem i want less I, mean, I think you're i think the re, i think you're right the result of that stuff is more death and dying but i don't think that there's an acknowledgement well, of that on their on their part there was an article in the times last week i only read the headline because it made me sick so i didn't want to read the whole article but it was about just that that the far right is tying itself up with some kind of hyper religiosity and um right this is a jesus cult i think was the title i saw it also i didn't read it either because it, it looked too bleak and that looked really dangerous love of guns <clears throat> hatred of your neighbor and the the only concern for the future is the afterlife it's 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 not just and the fetus and the, the before life I don't also the fetus. yeah the fetus and the afterlife everything in between eh. any before you go any uh this i this was great it was just a little uh, it, 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 a little heavy today i but it was interesting by the way b b before we move on i just wanted to say on the on the first topic on the topic of shiva then one of the nice things about being a reform or a conservative so shiva is the seven days of mourning but if you're conservative you don't have to do five and, and reform is only two so you just sit for two days it's called a dose hmm you know what I do? I eat at the funeral. I get it all out of the way. <laughs> While they're burying the guy, I just chow down on bagels. We get it all. It's more efficient. 
what is your comedy schedule, Mr. Hershenfeld? Where are you? I have a bunch of these private shows coming up. And in fact, I just got a call about doing another one today. So I have some things happening. Like, tell me. I'll, tell I'll, me. I'll, one of them I don't is, know uh, why I'm happy for his success. What's wrong with me, Dr. Hershenfeld? Why am I? Am I losing it? Am I off a step? It's called, I'm react it's called reaction formation. What does that mean? It means... It means going against what you really feel. You, you're envious, so you say, "I am so happy." For that is, that's that's one of that's like a from the de depressing archives of of Freudian uh, right. psychology. But do I believe it? Yeah. Do I believe that I'm actually happy for him? Yes, I do. know that you're happy for me. By the way, let me say this: <laughs> I watched, I re I rewatched your uh, your spot on Conan, and it's it's hilarious and and great and dark like that funeral guy a little bit i really loved that finish but. your thought go on now he gets um, interesting 30 <laughs> minutes 30 minutes in now now let's go another hour with this guy no, you're always telling me about my stand-up i'm telling you if you haven't watched it i was telling my father this week to watch it david feldman on conan i don't know what the year was but it's freaking hilarious you know Seventeen. It was eighteen seventeen. It was my Peloponnesian War material about the. Uh, what I are you? And we can talk about your brilliance next time. How's that? My favorite topic. Okay. Thank you, Doctor Philip Hershenfeld, and Ethan. Let's goodbye, plug everybody. you. Bye, Doctor Hershenfeld. Ethan, why don't you plug your gigs before we say goodbye? Okay. Um, no, seriously, I don't. Oh. The 22nd of April at the City Winery in New York, I'm opening for Jen Fulweiler. Jen Fulweiler, who has a show on Sirius XM, very funny comedian, and I'm going to be opening for her in that show. There's and a then, winery. Where's the winery? City Winery. I think it's Upper West. I don't know. I should know. Lower, lower West. Lower West. Oh, okay. Lower, where is City it? Winery. Here, I'll tell you. Let's let's just. The Lower I'm sorry East Side to... of New York has a winery. Where they don't stomp the grapes; they strangle them. Here, I'll tell you where the city winery is. Um, I don't know. There's one on Varick Street. There's one in Rockefeller Center. I got to find How out where the show is. How could there be a winery is. in Manhattan? It's called City Winery. It's not. A, it's not a vineyard. Oh, it's a bunch it's of a... Jews whining. I get it. That's... <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And legal. Oh, 14th Street and West Street, someone's saying. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's West Street. And then a bunch of other gigs in various places. Send me a note. Find me through my website. And uh you're you're invited to all the shows. And and how's the consumer work doing? Have you have you been hired by anybody? I haven't had a single I haven't had a single uh hit. No one has asked me for help resolving any of well, their Well put petty the call out because I want you to be I want you to be our, our consumer advocate here. Yeah, please uh, write to me or call me or get in touch with me. If you have any any purveyor, any monger of any product or a purveyor or a provider or anyone who sells anything who has gotten on your nerves because the product isn't what you expected, what you wanted, what you hoped, what you dreamed it would be, I will happily, for no fee at all, and not even a piece of the action, I will write that email, that complaint email, and you will get results. Guaranteed. Okay, there it is. Okay, good. Uh, All right, thanks. Thank you, Ethan. Goodbye. Thank you, Doctor. When we thank come you, back, thank, thank you. Thank you. Doctor. Thank you.
when we come back, we will be joined by the brilliant Emil Guillermo. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Dan, when should we do the Quizmeister? I'm so out of it. I have not prepared a Quizmeister for today. You. Now, now I'm grieving. We'll be right back. <laughs> you almost <laughs> call me a bastard. Well, <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll be right back. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. The Taylor Dirty Joke, he knows quite a few. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for right. Some days he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears all right, buckled in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Yes, it's time right now for the David Feldman Show. Get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming away. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Let us now go to California, where my old friend, my young friend, Emil Guillermo, is standing by host of the PETA podcast, as well as a columnist for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Hello, my friend. Uh, hello, David. You know, you were talking about death, and it kind of got me down a little bit because I'm so high right now. This is a great day for anyone who's a person. What happened? You were doing so well. What happened to Emil? Hello? All right. Why don't we do this? Emil? Okay. We will be back. We'll figure out what happened to Emil. He was so high. He was feeling so good. And we lost him. So we'll be back. Don't forget office hours this Friday night at 8 p.m. Coming up, we have the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Let's let's do some Trump. Blacks love me and the Latins love me. The Latins, the good Latins. Mariano Rivera, the Yankee pitcher, loves Trump. Antonio Sabato Jr. He voted for me. Some say Antonio Sabato Jr. is Italian and not a Latin, but how could he not be a Latin, David? The Pope lives in Italy and he speaks Latin. So that makes Antonio a Latino. And of course, Diamond and Silk, 
Diamond and Silk. They voted for me, and everyone knows Silk is a Latino, which proves the Latins love me. I'm pretty certain Silk is not a Latino. Silk is a Latin. Silk is not a Latin. David, David, I know for a fact Silk is a Latin. Silk comes from worms, and everyone knows the only place you can get worms is from Mexico. That's why you can't drink the water, David. You can't drink the water because you'll get worms. Silk comes from worms. She's part worm, so she's a Latin. Oh, well, okay. Vladimir Putin said this week. Checkmate, David. Checkmate. I can't hear you, David. That's the great Robert Smigel. Can you hear me? Funny. That was funny. I, I heard part of it, yeah. That is the great Sorry, my internet is sucking there, David. That's all right. Anyway. Anyway, so, so you're uh, in a good mood. I'm in a good mood because history was made. You know, we had all these votes. They kicked Russia out of the Security Council, you know, and then they they the Security lit- Council or, or the Human Rights Committee. Oh, excuse me. The Security Council voted to kick out Russia from the Human Rights. I see. OK. Yeah, the Human Rights Council. So but that's a step, right? I mean, this is the slow process of fighting the World War Three that we don't want to acknowledge is World War Three. So, you know, this is part of the fighting war with sanctions kind of thing. Right. But, you know, we, we got to take the incremental war uh, as we as we find it. So that was a good thing. But the most important vote, vote was, of course, the vote in the Senate, which up until you heard the roll call, who knows? Do you trust any of those Republicans, you know? to accuse Putin of war crimes. Well, yeah, but uh, the other one, to to vote, as they said they were going to vote for Ketanji Brown-Jackson. That's the reason why. Jackson is Like, today was a kind of day where, yes, we should all be focused on the life and death history about, you know, what's happening in Ukraine and Bucha and what the Russians have done. But this is how momentous this day is when you have to say, we interrupt history with even more history, right? Right. With even more history in this failing democracy known as America. But what, what, what a wonderful thing. Uh, another barrier, another, you know, just a, a cloud lifted. And it's not just for African-Americans, as I was saying. It's for all people of color, Asian-Americans, Latinx-Americans, and for all Americans, period, who believe in justice. Right. Equal justice under the law so i'm happy and then on top of that tiger woods right is making a comeback i mean he has his peccadillos but he does he represents something to biracial americans specifically asian americans and um he's a spe- he's special when he comes back from an injury where he's about to lose his leg you know 14 months later he's playing in the masters I mean, it's really uh, uh, this is this is a special day, April 7th. So three Republicans voted for Judge Jackson, Senator Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Mitt Romney of Utah. They went across the aisle and supported Judge Jackson. So a little less polarized than other 
nominations for the Supreme Court. Yeah, you sure. know, I, I think this yeah. is going to be the number, right? 5147. That, that's the new number for bipartisanship. It's really right. not much of a bipartisanship kind of thing, but 5140s, that's what we got. Um, you know, that was similar to what Clarence Thomas, what he got when he was uh, approved, and we weren't nearly as divided there, but, you know, you see how Scalia got, I know, you know, he got a, most of the Senate and, you know, every you can see if you look at all the votes, how American democracy has deteriorated. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Uh, is it race? Is it uh, I think the one thing about the Jackson, you know, Katanji Brown Jackson hearings is that it showed how the GOP really feared the their loss of white supremacy i mean that's what you saw you know in action when they went after uh we can call her kbj now because dick durbin from the senate floor introduced christened her as kbj it's a, it's it's the era of kbj katanji brown jackson and it's dick durbin well, giving not- out nicknames because i have a few nicknames for dick durbin <laughs> i'm sure you do <laughs> well i had Richard, let's see. No, yeah. look, I thought Dick Durbin and Dick and Durbin. Dick Durbin. Dick Durbin. Debonair. Dick, Dick Durbin. Durbin is what you call uncircumcised foreskin, which is redundant, but it, it just is like, you know what? Uh, I, this isn't for religious purposes. We're, we've decided we it's infected, and it's because you have a Dick Durbin, and it's I, it, I know it's traumatic, but you're 42. And you don't take care of yourself. We're going to remove your Dick Durbin so sex will have less pain. Yeah, you know, I I once did a, um, I did a story on a mole, uh, a mole, right? A moil. A moil. A moil. You did, as a reporter, you got a tip about a moil. I did. And I, I exposed him. I exposed that mole. Anyway, uh, look, you, see, I, I did, you know, you know was, about the you know about the ortho, the crazy Orthodox Jews uh, and the Moyles. What? No, Kiss, I don't know. Tell me, David, please. Kissing the Schmeckle after they make the cut. <laughs> and they were spreading herpes oh, to babies. Everything is a competition with you guys. Everything. A competition. You got to make the cut. They, the there grade. is, you know, you, I talk about the crazy Christians. There are no. some crazy Orthodox Jews, and oh, I believe it. And there are ever buy a camera in New York. <laughs> ever buy a camera? There's a there's a Moyle in Brooklyn who <clears throat> makes the cut and then kisses the Schmeckle for good luck. And I suspect hey, that's hey. why he became a Moyle. Anyway, he was spreading herpes to babies, and oh my you have no idea how hard it was. To, to get to get them to uh, stop kissing the baby Schmeckle. <laughs> so, baby Schmeckle, I knew him. Baby knew Schmeckle, him he was kidnapped. No, no, baby Schmeckle was was they they gave him a heart transplant. They it was a they put a gorilla's penis into his chest for a heart instead. They wow, called him baby gr- Schmeckle. Yeah, the penis pumped blood for six weeks and then finally baby schmeckle died a gorilla's oh. penis instead oh, he, of a he human heart up. 
He couldn't keep it up. Right. I had an erect heart. Baby Schmeckle. (laughs) So anyway, sad news today. Baby baby Schmeckle is dead at the age of three weeks. David, David, you're reminding me now of, you know, that that failed attack of the GOP going after Kadanji Brown Jackson for her uh, for her love of child pornography. You know, you that's what you're reminding me now. I'm. And it was failed. You know, it was wrong. Right. But I'm telling you, the, the, the reason why we saw that, we saw why why CRT was mentioned during the hearings, the GOP is fearful. They're fearful of the loss of white supremacy. And, you know, what, what other message, when you see someone so qualified as Katanji Brown-Jackson, and they put her through this ringer like, you know, it's not the matter that she's not qualified. The matter is she's not white and it's there for all to see. You even had Tom Cotton, the guy from Georgia, even to yesterday, he was saying that Katanji Brown Jackson would probably give a pass to some kind of Nazi war criminal. Right. I mean, that's part of that whole Hitlerian notion that you were mentioning about, you know, where the Republican party is going. I, I just think that, uh, we we have to hope. Well, it, that, it, it's partly the racism, but it's yeah. but it's also judicial philosophy. She is not no, a no 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 judicial philosophy abortion. No, well, uh, forget about the issues. I'm just saying, just look at. I mean, if you if you want to look at why Republicans fear Katanji Brown, they shouldn't fear her. I mean, even the Wall Street Journal so, cites what when she said during the hearings about originalism saying that I believe that it's appropriate to look at the original intent, original public meaning of the words. It's a limitation on my authority to import my own policy views. She is as an originalist as Antonin Scalia, which is why there's nothing to fear with Ketanji Brown Jackson. She's smart, she's bright, she's an originalist in the sense that she will be fair the, the right shouldn't fear. The left maybe have more more to fear about Katanji Brown-Jackson because she may be the reasonable Clarence Thomas. I don't know. You know, Clarence Thomas, though, he's got, he's got some problems. Talk I, to I me about that, diversity. There's been a lot yeah. of conversation on this show that's not anti-diversity. There's a feeling that it's window dressing, that what really matters is class struggle. I made the case the day after the Oscars that you cannot have class struggle without diversity, that the two are inextricably intertwined. I heard you say that. They've been trying to separate race and class for years, you know, uh, but ask a black man uh, how he's treated even if he stands on all his money, a rich black man stands on all his money is not treated as, you know, as fairly as he thinks. He is not as big in America as he thinks. And that's why, that's how the race class thing, you know, is right. You know, it's, it's, it's linked. It's not like class trumps race and, you know, class is, is the, you know, makes everything better. Uh, it's all linked, as you said. And I think you you see it with Katanji Brown Jackson. You know, they try to, you know, they're, they're redefining merit, right? She is so well qualified. 
you know, on the court. And then in the end, they can't get her on class because she is of their class. She is of the political class, you know, double Harvard. She was on the Harvard overseers. You know, she's got all the white stamps on her passport. And yet they refuse to let her through because merit doesn't equal merit. Merit equals not white. And they had to at least put up the GOP had to at least put up that struggle and diversity. All diversity is a call for fairness, inclusion. We want to see the embodiment, right, of uh, the idea of equal justice under the law. And how can we get that? We get that if we have inclusion of, you know, uh, people of different backgrounds on, on the bench, from the high court, all throughout the, the judiciary. We, we get it where we have uh, inclusion in, in every field, the, the public fields. How about showbiz, right? I mean, you know, they, they've been talking about, you know, Oscars so white for so so long, and then here comes Chris Rock, right? I mean, Chris Rock was the MC when Oscars so white was really at its peak, mm-hmm. and then they had this joke where they brought on the uh, the accountants and they brought on the the, the Asian American kids in tuxedos with the uh, with the ballots. I, I just think that you know they forget, you know, it's not just black and white, you know, diversity means everyone. Diversity is inclusion of everyone, and I think. This is the thing about this, this uh, you know, Katanji Brown Jackson's confirmation. I, I go back to what I've written on the ALDEF, uh, my ALDEF column. I was not really a big fan of Katanji Brown Jackson. I did not say, you know, my, what I said when she was picked by Biden, I said, well, you know, there's never been an Asian American, you know, Supreme Court. That's amazing. Justice. That's amazing. Ever. Yeah, I, I know it's a people don't understand that. But, you know, as as Dick Durbin and Patrick Leahy today were giving speeches from the floor talking about, let's put this into context. Let's see what, what America was like in 1801 when when the Supreme Court met on the Senate floor or in the building of the Capitol. You know, America was one million. He said one million slaves, five million people, you know, blacks right. and women could not. We're not constitutionally guaranteed the right to vote. I mean, that's how bad America has been. And look, all this, all these years, you know, there was no Asian America back then. Back right. in 1801, there might have been some Filipinos who jumped off the Spanish galleons in the 16th, 17th century, and they they intermarried with some Cajuns down in Louisiana. That that was really the 17th century. Those are the first uh, in uh, the first Filipinos or first Asians to come. Uh, believed to come to America. There was others in the fifth, in the 16th century, I believe, in, in Morro Bay in California. But the idea was there was the sense of diversity has always been black and white until right. 1965, right? Immigration Act. Now diversity is everyone, right? And, you know, and we're like more than 50 years past that. And now diversity is, include the Latinos, include the Asian Americans. And, and in Include white women, include the LGBTQ, a diversity. I'd like to see the first gay justice. Wouldn't that be something? You know, because well, I think be I, I think we do. That. I think we have one, but I don't want to say. OK. All right. No, 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 I, no, 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 no. But I think we. OK, I don't I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I'm just saying that this is the kind of thing that we need. And I always said in my columns when I, uh, you know, during the KBJ confirmation, I said, look, this means it's great. We've got we've got some diversity now. We've got the traditional black, white diversity thing. But don't you think we need an AAPI male or female? 
Well, you know, and wouldn't that does this help at all? Court? Alito, uh, Alito sounds like it could be Asian. Alito sounds, yeah, I know. So that's oh, a first step. Sure. That's, that's Sayonara a, justice. Sayonara <laughs> justice. It's a first step. <laughs> Mr. Alito, yeah. <laughs> you could convince 99% of Americans that Alito... <laughs> Yeah, I, I just had yeah, I just had sushi with uh, Justice Alito, and well, he really knows his way around some chopsticks. Yeah, no, uh, and most I, Americans they, think most Americans are so stupid they think Lance Ito was on the Supreme Court. So, <laughs> yes, well, he was on the OJ Supreme Court. Yeah, and that was a special court. And what was more court. important than the OJ trial? <laughs> <laughs> that well, yeah. I think most Americans went to OJ Law School. Yeah, that's where that's where I learned the law. I think that's where but, Kim but, Kardashian got her. Yeah, that's Robert Kardashian. The uh, yeah, he was OJ's uh, OJ's right hand uh, legal guy. Right. Anyway, look, it, when this is what I always say. The bottom line on KBJ is next time there's a vacancy, Asian Americans got next. And then it will be the most diverse court in SCOTUS history. But right. who, but here's the thing, which president will be out there? You know, will it be, I don't know, Biden will be, Kamala, does Kamala Harris have a shot as former vice president? Does Pence come back? To, I, you know, who knows? But here's the good thing about Asian Americans. Asian Americans kind of swing both ways. You know, they can go left, they can go right, you know, the, who's suing Harvard for discrimination? There are a group of Asian Americans who love Harvard's policy. Oh, I thought, I you, th I thought you said a guy named Who is serving. I'm <laughs> doing the. Yeah, yeah, Abbott and Costello, has, they have to redo that with uh, yeah. with some Asian Americans. Right. So, look, I, I just think that, you know, we could see it. It, it, it could happen soon. Yeah. So, anyway, the GOP. Right now, this is why you're seeing the GOP act the way they are. They just fear this loss of white supremacy. Yeah. And because it's coming, um, but they're putting up a big fight because they all believe that, well, the GOP, if 25 to 30 percent of the GOP are white racist and we have to appeal to them, well, God, that means we have to be a little racist. So, right. I mean, so what we're seeing from the Katanji Brown Jackson hearing is we're seeing what's acceptable now is racist. Right. It's okay to it's okay to attack a black woman, you know. As long as she, you know, does she have alopecia? No. Okay, attack her. Does she wear a green dress with a long train so she can't move and hit you? Okay. No. So, so you can you can talk about. It. See, it was okay for the GOP to bang, you know, to 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 just you know go after and hammer Katanji Brown Jackson, but uh, you know, witness the, the same week uh, how people just have this outpouring of sympathy for uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. But yeah. anyway, that's a site. What, what I wanted to mention one thing about, like I said, we, we had to interrupt the, 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 uh, the real history of the day, which is, you know, Bucha and the atrocities, but it, it was worth it. We had to interrupt it with even bigger democratic or, you know, history of our democracy, which is what we saw today. And it's, it's so special, uh, you know, it, cause it really is that in, inclusiveness the promise and look how long it's taken look how long it's taken it's just you know uh, I'm, I'm i'm happy today but ask me tomorrow i'll probably be further down right uh because you know, because the, the reality of the war will come back 
And, you know, this is such a strange war. Did you know, like April 4th, you know, April 4th, 1967 was the anniversary of uh, Martin Luther King's Earthside Church speech. Did you know that? Well, the, our next guest. I know he, he's probably going to. Well, that, that was such a speech. Riverside. I love the Riverside Church, by the way. That's always, I you know. People go to things when they go to visit New York. I, you know, they, oh, you know, they, they have their sites that they see. I always visit St. Patrick's and I visit, I visit the Riverside. I, I visit churches when I go to New York. I haven't been there in two years, but, but, but anyway, the Riverside Church, Martin Luther King merged the civil rights movement and the peace movement. And I was reading that speech this week, April 4th, you read it. I, ironically, on April, April 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And in fact, Dick Durbin mentioned Martin Luther King, a speech that he gave in Memphis at, you know, from the floor of the Senate today about reaching the promised land, which I thought was kind of touching. But I, I just, I just wonder where the voices, where the peace voices now in, in this in this modern war you know you were really brilliant on monday when you were talking about proxy wars and, and all that we don't call it the proxy war now because we're just so transparent we call it the war that we don't call war it's the no war war you know we don't call it world war three although we could but we'll supply the arms and now we're doing the go around the workaround so we don't have to give them the war materials out of our chest we they can go directly to the industrial the military industrial complex mm -hmm. so we got this it's not no longer proxy war no longer secret war it's the war this is the, the no war war it's kind of orwellian it's right. not really war so what happens who are the anti who are the no war peace protesters during this no war war i mean we need some voices for peace we need some voices speaking out like you know, MLK did in 67 on April 4th when he, he talked about love. He talked about, I got the speech right here. He said, uh, he said, uh, let us, he said, let us hope that this spirit will become the order of the day. Love is the ultimate force that makes for the saving choice of life and good against the damning choice of death. He was uh, quoting Arnold Toynbee. But I mean, that speech is just, you say, God, who's talking like that today? Who? David Feldman? Is David Feldman talking like that today? I'll tell you who isn't talking that way. This guy, David is Rubenstein, it? chairman of the Carlisle oh. Group. Oh, yeah. Biggest war oh. profiteer in the world, the Carlisle Group. And yeah. that's David Rubenstein. And you know what? I'm sure he quotes. Dr. King, I'm sure he fancies himself. Uh, hey, hey, look, David, look, they, they, these guys are very fluid. Look, uh, Romney, Carlisle Group guy, right? Romney, Romney was Bane. Romney was Bane. Oh, he's Bane? Oh, I, I apologize to Romney. Sorry. He, right. Bane. But they teamed rate. up to buy Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts is the Carlisle Group and Bane Capital. But that's the face of evil, David Rubenstein. Yeah. owner and founder of the Carlisle Group. Know the name, know the face. He funds Ken Burns's documentaries. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, we are funding, we, we, we've just given 1.6 billion, 
1.6 billion to Ukraine, which is is fine. I, I we need to stop the war somehow. But how can you say you're not involved in the war? It's like we've set up this, we've set up Ukraine uh, to, for their do-it-yourself war, and you know the United States is like the um, military version of Home Depot, and we just supply it to them, and, and our our hands are clean, right? We're not involved. See, I I think at some point we have to stop this sort of Orwellian idea, Orwellian notion about where we are, and we need voices to speak up to say. Hey, look, there's got to be a better way. Either, you know, we we ramp up the sanctions. I mean, I, you know, sanctions, just it's not fast enough. You know, I mean, no. I, mean going I, I, am, I, I am shocked when I turn on MSNBC and CNN and and their coverage. It's reprehensible the way they're covering this war. They are ginning up a war. They are selectively choosing their cherry picking whose lives whose deaths whose atrocities are worth paying attention to obviously it's terrible what's going on in ukraine but you get us excited about a war it's it they're gonna you they're gonna be a lot more dead women and kids lying in the streets of kiev once you get americans locked and loaded yeah, well, dial we're back. avoiding. Yeah, dial back we're, we're, the rhetoric. Well, what's funny is uh, the, who who do they have commenting? Former generals, right? It's almost like uh, Trump in the way. Hey, look at my generals. I got my generals. You got your generals, and and you know Petraeus and and they're all, all lobbyists. And they're all lobbyists for exactly. the defense firms, and they've never won a war. They're brought on as experts, expert generals. Yeah. Don't you have to win a war to be an expert? What well, war did they the win? That, here's the thing that you said on Monday that I, I, I liked. And it was it was just that, uh, you know, you, you were talking about the secret wars. Right. And you didn't mention it. Well, maybe peripherally you mentioned the secret war of Laos that brought all the Hmong here. But the the idea that uh, I heard one guy on in, on uh, CNN say, because he was asked, well, aren't, aren't there arms going to uh, the Ukrainians? And the guy said, well, I'm sure in secret there are, you know, officially there aren't. But, you know, and right. he was just acknowledging right. that, of course, we're there. Of course, we're helping. Them. Of course, we're, you know, we just have to ramp it up. So, so I got to make a phone call after this interview. You know, it, it's but it was like this acknowledgement that that we have that we have, we have we yeah. have we have CIA on the ground in Ukraine, showing them how to use the weapons, firing the weapons. They're, they're probably, you know, Vindman, there, there are Ukrainian immigrants who uh, have risen up the ranks in our government and they could pass themselves off as Ukrainian citizens. And we accept that. We go, of course, we, we would say, why wouldn't we send Americans right. to secretly fight. Well, well, you know, the thing is we're, we're being set up for it because, you know, we don't want boots on the ground. You know, we're, we're like just we're like voyeurs watching the war. You know, no boots on the ground. Our boots are in NATO territory and we're but we'll send our arms into the ground. We'll send our arms into right. Ukraine and they can fight. Our boots are, you know, on the good side, you know, where there's no war. It, it's just 
I just wish that we had some other voices of people who are not involved in the war, but are trying to do something or trying to right now. It's not clear, especially when you have a bad guy like Putin, when you have an irrational actor like Putin, suddenly, you know, kind of all bets are off. Really. I, I, I don't know how we get out of this until unless we can pariah him, you know, isolate him to the point where, uh, well, I, I, I don't even then, you know, he's got the power. The real power will be in getting information to Russians so they can do the regime change that we don't want to advocate because that would be unethical. Right. So it's, it's kind of, uh, oh, wait, can I mention that PETA, speaking of PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals, we have now, uh, PETA has now got gotten to 1,000, the number of cats and dogs who have been saved they were abandoned either train stations or, you know, in areas in Ukraine. Um, and they're, they're continuing to feed uh, animals there, especially the horses. Farm animals they can't bring over to uh, safe zones, but they're feeding a couple hundred horses, as many as they can. They've got 200 tons of vegan, vegan animal food going out there to feed the animals because, of course, they don't get a say in all this. And how many times have you seen news dispatches, you know, from Ukraine when they show the, you know, the horrors and the atrocities at Bucha? Right. And then you see a dog or some kind of a band, you know, dog just, you know, barking. It's sad. I, yeah. Anyway, so that's why I'm, I'm trying to get my KBJ joy fix here. The, the one possible thing that would make it more joyous is if Tiger Woods wins on Sunday. He's got to make the cut first, but that's my weekend. Fantastic. Emil Guillermo, host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and follow him on Twitter at Emil Amuck. Watch his live. I watch your live stream on Twitter. On Twitter. Hey, hey, David, can I also mention that uh, if they go to amok.com, I'm doing, I'm doing my solo show, um, uh, Amok, AMOK, Amok Monologues 2022 uh, for the Na National Storytellers Network on April 16th. So go to amok.com and I'll put some information there about how you can go see that if you wish. It's on April 16th, 5 p.m. Central is the time. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Emil. Thank you. David. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. When we come back, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn will join us, and I'll take the picture of Satan down. But right now, you're looking at the face of evil. That is David Rubenstein, founder of the multinational private equity asset management financial services corporation, the Carlyle Group which is the single largest war profiteer in the world. That's David Rubenstein. He's worth about $4 billion. Besides being a war profiteer who never saw a, a war he didn't salivate over, David Rubenstein is chairman of the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. He is chairman of the National Gallery of Art. He is on the board of trustees over Duke University, as well as the University of Chicago. 
And most importantly, he is chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations and chairman of the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. He's chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations, which I believe is the publisher of Foreign Policy magazine. They are the go-to on world events. And so all your information about the world is filtered through the prism of war profiteer, David Rubenstein, chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is run by Richard Haas, who you will see on Morning Joe every day beating the war drum because this is a think tank that thinks of new ways to demonize foreigners so David Rubenstein can profit more off of war because he's the chairman of the Carlyle Group. Think how suspect the Council on Foreign Relations is. Think about this. The Council on Foreign Relations, which is, puts out current uh, foreign affairs magazine and writes essays about relations with other countries, and it's run by a war profiteer. And you wonder why the American people vote against their own self-interest. You wonder why we're in a permanent state of forever war. David Rubenstein, Carlisle Group. We'll be back with the Reverend Barry W. Lynn right after this. Traveling light, got everything I need. Got a little bottle of wool light and a little bag of weed. Got to saw bellow novel, cause I really like to read. I'm traveling light. I'm a creature of the road, got no regrets. Gave up my postal code and cigarettes. I'm doing much better with a touch of Tourette's. I'm traveling light. Just need a clean room in a Motel 6. Not too close to downtown, but not out in the sticks. I need my pen and teller magic kit so I can do my tricks. Got my favorite pillow, which I call Mr. Fluffy. Four kinds of allergy pills in case I get stuffy. A pound of Epsom salts, cause my ankles get puffy. I'm traveling light. I got two pairs of socks and shorts in my little valise. A couple of passports and my sex doll Denise. I'm staying real quiet so they don't call the police. I'm traveling light. sedatives and my antipsychotics a high speed parallax motor cause I'm into robotics and my little red speedo I like to do aquatics I'm traveling late got my CPAP machine and my George Foreman grill a copy of Lolita 
and my little blue pills. I never hold blanket in case I get a chill. I'm traveling light. Got my margarita mix and my rusty old blender. A 50 tequila in case I go on a bender. My attorney's number in case I want to change my gender. I'm traveling light. In case I have some visitors For breeze if my room is stinky A Polaroid in case I get kinky My Jesus bobblehead And my Star Wars bedspread I'm traveling light I got my rabbi costume And my portable dark room My hair plug lotion And my expensive wrinkle cream My Emmy statue For my self-esteem I'm traveling light my podcast mixer and a fancy microphone, my exercise bike so I have a place to hang my pants, my very valuable Hummel collection, a menorah made of fishheads, a Christmas tree, I like to keep my options open, don't you know, a shine kit, a skill saw, a crossword book, a large supply of mechanical pencils, a year's worth of New York magazines I've been trying to get around to read. Some scripts that I've been tweaking for those people in L.A. and my enemies list. Don't forget about me. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinal. We miss you. Come back. Let's go to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by. For a quarter of a century, he ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. And besides being a lawyer, a member of the Supreme Court Bar, he's also an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Judge Jackson. Justice Jackson soon. Yeah. It was a, a rep, you know, it was repugnant to watch today these proceedings during her confirmation because even at the very end when it was clear that there were only three republicans who were going to support her nomination the republicans in the back of the chamber chose to literally walk out on the applause of the 53 people that supported her i mean it was adding insult to the injuries before? of constant I have never seen anything like that happen. If you don't like somebody, at least, you know, you in Washington, at least you're supposed to be polite enough to uh, acknowledge that the person is there. I've never seen a walkout like this of, of so-called leaders of the country. Amazing. And, you know, and it follows up on, on all kinds of constantly uh, distorted statements about her. 
her support, her alleged she's soft on pedophilia, she's this, she's that. All of these things have been debunked, not not by The Nation magazine, but by all kinds of people, including the National Review in the case of some of these charges about her being soft on uh, child abuse in the federal courts. But in spite of all of that and putting up with all that, she acted with tremendous grace. And even today, uh, she, she, of course, was not in the chamber, but she was at, back at the White house and she and biden were watching the proceedings on a television set and but she didn't she never was rattled by the accusations that were made during or the grotesque misconduct of the end of the whole process when they just walked out well let's bring uh let's bring our audience up to speed on a new segment we have are you ready Reverend? Yes, I'm ready. We have a new segment on the David Feldman Show. Really? It's called D's Religious Nuts. Oh, okay. This is a, uh, I'm proud to say, Reverend, my daughter came yeah. up with that. Really? Yeah, because you wanted to do religious nuts, and my yeah. and my daughter said, "Why don't you call it D's rel- religious nuts?" Yeah, you know, I I know there's a backstory to this joke, but uh, one of the listeners wrote me about it uh, because, of course, it came up last week in reference to a guest we're going to have next week. Um, Who's the guest? D Knight. D Knight. Yes. And what's his um, middle name? Oh, his middle name was. Yeah, see, he's nuts. Uh, anyway, so this listener wrote to me, and he, he was he was a little, he actually, uh, uh, I, I think, knows D. Knight pretty well. And he was, I don't, I don't want to say he was disturbed by it, but I said, you know, I don't think, it just wasn't, with all due respect to your daughter, I didn't think it was that funny. And then he, the listener kind of explained w- that this is part of some joke pattern or something. And I said, it's, oh, it's a joke. It's not as funny as why did the chicken cross the road? Right. Um, but anyway, you know, it's there and they have a graphic about it. And, and uh, But I do have, a, I think, a terrific nut of the week. Should I play, Should I you know, play him? Yeah, let's play him. But let's say this is an elected official who the religious right really, really loves. If... Donald Trump is not the nominee of the Republican Party. There are only two or three people who might find clear favor, and one of them we're about to hear from the senator from Arkansas. I hope. Hang on. Yet in every case, she claimed that none of them had anything to do with terrorism. Not a thing. Totally innocent, just goat herders who were picked up by marauding American troops. That would be... Tom Cotton talking about defending the prisoners in Gitmo who are entitled, last time I checked the Constitution, to a defense council. Is that correct? That is correct. Now, do you have the next little section of his speech where he attempts to explain in the crudest, rudest, and most non-historical sense about another Justice Jackson? Yes. Uh, Give me a, a, a second. Okay. Oh, come on. I... This is... 
this might be it. I hope it is. Judge Jackson okay. might have gone there to defend them. Judge Jackson also it was to break our laws. Judge Jackson refused to answer. Obey terrorist would make us more safe or less safe. Answer, even though it's published by the. I also asked Judge Jackson if he caught, convicted, and sentenced. Pretty basic question. Judge Jackson also. Sorry. Jackson refused to answer. First act in the United. Be in the United States. New. Right. Woman is. She pretended not to know. All right. Common sense question after. This Judge Jackson. Here we go. Go to Nuremberg. Judge Jackson left the Supreme Court. All right, let's pretend. This is the best cut that's ever Judge sounded, Jackson actually. Left the Supreme Court to go to Nuremberg and prosecute the case against the Nazis. This Judge Jackson might have gone there to defend them. All right. <laughs> Sorry about so, that. So repugnant. And... Um, it's also, he doesn't even have the facts created about Robert Jackson, who, of course, was on the Supreme Court. And Harry Truman sent uh, the first Judge Jackson there to establish a, a principled way to try war criminals. There were no rules. There was no international criminal court. There wasn't, wasn't even a fantasy in most people's mind. So people like the first Judge Jackson had to go there and actually establish the rules to determine how they would prosecute the Nazis. And there was some real controversy, but Jackson himself was probably the most significant and adamant advocate there at the time for complete criminal protection. And in fact, what Cotton may or may not know, but I think any historian would know, and even those of us with a passing knowledge of history know, uh, Jackson there was a profound question like should they be given essentially public defenders and they were and they were in fact paid for out of u.s tax dollars so he's got everything wrong and just as the first justice jackson made it very clear later in his judicial career back here in washington that he thought that the right to a good defense from yourself or if you choose a paid attorney on your part was essential to the maintenance of any other constitutional right and he gave a big speech to the american bar association i think in about 1953 when he had come back and was re-entering re the united states supreme court so this is not a guy who would have made light of what the soon-to-be Justice Jackson had done during her defense of a people in uh, at Guantanamo. He would have said, of course this is essential, and if the United States has to pay for it, that's okay too. If that's what's necessary, then we have to do it in order to establish justice. Uh, an argument could be made that every child molester is entitled to a lawyer, but I don't have to represent them. Yeah, well, the, the great civil rights lawyer, uh, uh, old friend of mine named Joe Rao, who was well-respected uh, civil rights lawyer in Washington for a very long time. But J Joe got into a little bit of trouble late in his career when he did say everyone deserves a defense, but they don't necessarily get to pick me. 
there were things that he wouldn't do. And of course, that's something that uh, under extreme circumstances, I guess, even a, a federal prosecutor or a federal defense counsel today might be able to claim. But in general, you're, the anticipation is if you are a federal defender, a public defender, you defend anybody that comes your way in the course of events. Right. And, and know, that's I mean, what she was. Which he was, and and uh, there's and then one of the other nuts, I think, uh, Cruz said, well, he wasn't as troubled. No, I, uh, Lindsey Graham said he, he wasn't as troubled by the public defense part of it, but he she went on to continue to represent one of the people she represented as when she was in a big prestigious Washington law firm, and even that it turns out not to be really true. She she the as many major law firms did at the time, they did pro bono, that is, for free representation of people in Guantanamo. Once right. it was established by a Supreme Court that indeed these individuals were entitled to legal representation, which wasn't even originally clear uh, after uh, Bush started putting people in Guantanamo. But all that she did was somebody noticed that she had represented one of these people at Guantanamo and asked for her advice about some technical matters. It wasn't that she went out and said, oh, good, now I can represent this guy right, right. here in this prestigious law firm where we'll have even more money than I had as a federal defender. Everything that they said, literally every single thing that they used to criticize her was either flatly false, a damnable lie, or um, com a complete misunderstanding of what the law is all about. Right. As a member of the Supreme Court Bar, what do you like most about Justice Jackson and what are you most concerned about? Well, I'm um, I'm happy about everything, but I'm most happy, I think, with the fact that she was a public defender. There are very few people who have been sitting uh, on the court in decades who actually have this level of actual experience. She wasn't my first pick because there was someone who was talked about early in the process who literally was the chief counsel for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And I thought that that's an even closer tie and an important one to making sure that people's constitutional rights are respected. Do I, the only concern I have is that she might on occasion uh, do what occasionally Justice Breyer did and Justice Kagan did for a while. Uh, on, on religious issues, uh, they may be super sensitive and f kind of fall into this idea that there's some kind of a special preference for religious activity and that you don't just treat religious groups equally to other secular groups, but they have some kind of a preferred position. And that, I think, is the tendency in which the court is going in, in its effort to uh, disgrace itself. Linda Greenhouse, who I, I've known for a long time, has an excellent new book called The Brink of Justice. And it talks about just the last two years, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the ascension of Amy Coney Barrett. And it's really, it, one of the things that Linda does so well is to take these sometimes obscure legal concepts, make them very easy without 
in any way discrediting the complexity of the issues, but uh, I, I hardly recommend the book. I mean, it's a it's just a wonderful, but just came out a few weeks ago. Except, the Brink of Justice. Except for legalizing same-sex marriage, can you think of one ruling from the Supreme Court in the past 40 years that excited you, that made you happy? There was one, and ironically, it was written by Chief Justice Rehnquist. <laughs> um, this is a case that we were involved in, and the question was, there was a seminary student who, um, or he wanted to be a seminary student. He had studied religion in college, and under the state of Washington's scholarship programs, they gave scholarships for graduate work. So if you wanted to be a medical doctor, they'd help you with a scholarship. You wanted to be a lawyer, they helped you do that. He wanted to go to basically become a minister. And the state said, no, we can't pay a person, just like we can't pay money to ministers to you know, help them buy a nicer bedroom suite. We can't do that. And then they made that decision. So, of course, uh, this young man, a bunch of legal right, uh, religious right, legal groups took it to the Supreme Court. In a very short time, I mean, I thought I was going to have to wait for months and months to you know, be prepared. Our communications people would call or I'd watch it on TV and they did. Well, oh my goodness. Within a matter of, of a very short period of time, I think a month and a half, I got a call from our communications director. He said, Barry, get downtown. We just had a great victory. I said, a victory? In what case? The Davy versus Locke decision. And... And what Justice Rehnquist had done is to get at least five people to agree that if you wanted, as a matter of the state's constitutional understanding of its responsibilities, that if it decided that that was legal under Washington state law, he said there have to be play in the joints and you have to let states experiment. And if they think they're giving somebody a, a, a greater right, uh, that is a, a kind of establishment clause right of the uh, in the states, uh, you have to do it. You have to give people that chance. And I was, it was shocking. It was very well written. It was very clear. And it made it clear that a government, a state government couldn't obviously take away a right, that is to say, if you have a right to uh, you know, go to church on a Saturday instead of a Sunday, they couldn't bar that and say, well, you can't do that. But in, in something where it's a government test or a government interaction with a religious body, and they wanted to be a little bit more separationist than the federal court, I think Rehnquist even said, I, I wouldn't do this if I was on the in the legislature or the Supreme Court of Washington, but that's what they did and we have to respect it. But even that, I got very excited about the implications of that. I remember Jay Sekulow, who was uh, you know, Pat Robertson's uh, top lawyer at the time, had done fundraising saying how important this case was, that this was one of the most important cases, and then he lost it. And uh, But now it's been eviscerated, essentially. I mean, even that good decision by a very, very conservative Chief Justice has been eaten away to the point where it barely exists anymore. Abortion. Oklahoma, the state legislature passed a bill that would uh, subject a doctor to a 10-year prison sentence if he performs right. an abortion. They've pretty much 
they they are, are on the verge of outlawing abortion in Oklahoma. That's correct. That is correct. Is that in violation of Roe v. Wade? Well, for the moment, it might be. But soon, within a matter of months, certainly by the end of June, we're going to see a case out of Mississippi where, uh, it's sad to say, but I think that they will not overturn Roe versus Wade, but they'll take this idea that you can pretty much get an abortion through the first 15 months of pregnancy and cut it back to uh, something less. And if it's nine or 10 weeks, uh, it's, um, uh, that's, that's bad enough. But the, the, the religious right of its day when Roe versus Wade came about, you would think that there would have been people, for example, in the Southern Baptist Convention who would have said, oh, what a terrible decision. But I actually knew the guy who was the spokesperson for the Southern Baptist Convention at the time. And when the press went to him that day, he said, why? I think it's a good decision. Why? And they said, because it takes this out of the realm of legality and puts it back where it belongs, the sphere of morality. Because right. Baptists historically have had a tremendous interest in personal conscience when it deals with these contentious legal questions. But now, of course, the Southern Baptist Convention is virtually an arm of the religious right. But at the time of Roe versus Wade, it was principally the Roman Catholic hierarchy that went ballistic about it, and some organized groups, almost all from a religious background, that said, we got to stop this. And they did, I, I alluded to this uh, maybe a month or so ago, they decided to take a look at the long-haul dis distance to make sure that Roe versus Wade could not stand. And so their ultimate goal is, of course, to reverse it. But they said, let's find ways to pick it apart. And that's what they've been doing. And that's what, again, I think Linda Greenhouse in this new book does a terrific job of explaining to people how these incremental erosions of the rights in Roe versus Wade in a similar case called Casey and from Pennsylvania. Yeah. How they left. And ultimately, the religious right, they're going to be very happy if they cut back the length of time in which you can and in, obtain an abortion, they're going to say, but we still need to go further. And what we need to do is we need to take the complete underpinning of Roe, that there's a guaranteed right to privacy in the Constitution. And since the Roe versus Wade's very careful not to use words like person, they, they talk about potential life and all that. But to, to just say, we want a Supreme Court decision that says a person for constitutional purposes is does include a fetus, an embryo from the moment of conception. Right. That's what they want. Meanwhile, on the left, you know, we, we're so, we've been fighting back against so many things for so many decades that it's hard for us to have a long-haul strategy, even on something like guns, where, yeah, there was a huge loss in this case, that so-called Heller case from the District of Columbia that allowed all of us who live here to have the private possession of handguns in our homes so we can, you know, shoot rats or more likely, you know, 
children who come in too late at night. Right. But, right. but, but to go after it and to say we're going to get rid of it, now we're having fights about whether you can actually bar assault weapons. Well, let's That's get to that in a second. I have a question about women in America, because I'm looking at the polling here. Gallup, I think they're still reliable on mm-hmm. women's views vis-a-vis the legality of abortion. It has been consistent since 1975. Women, 20% of women right now want abortion to be illegal. That means 80% either, you know, believe in certain cases or just, just have abortions whenever you want them. At one point in the 90s, it dropped to 14% of American women wanting to make abortion legal. The highest it ever got was in 2011, when it got to 24%. Now it's down to 19% of women in America wanting abortion to be illegal in all cases. Right. So why... Why would anybody, how can a court look at those polls and just think, well, the crackpots are screaming the loudest, so let's cater to them? (laughs) Well, I think the reason there are, and there was a little rise a few years ago, as you just pointed out, in the number of women who support a a kind of a complete ban on abortion. Uh, I think it's because there's a large part of the population of the country that doesn't remember anything about what it was like in the pre-road road days. They don't have any recollection of anybody who kind of had to leave high school mysteriously, come back six months later. They were going, you know, to have an abortion or the cover-ups of abortion. People rarely said, you should have an abortion or, you know, I'm going to have an abortion. They wouldn't even use that word. And and to this day, there's a big debate about whether to even use the word abortion in talking about the right of reproductive choice. Because as there's a wonderful advocacy group of primarily African-American women that I, I loved working with in the past called Sister Song. And Sister Song says, to say to African Americans, um, it's it's just a choice, is like saying nothing. It's because so many African Americans and so many other spheres of life don't have choices. It's not just about can you obtain an abortion. It's can I even get a job? Can I even get a house? Right. So, uh, and I think I think using. As I said, this is a big debate. There's a long story in the Washington Post about it earlier this week. Should you use it? Most of the major pro-choice groups say absolutely use it. One person quoted from one of the major groups said, we should actually say we're pro-abortion, pro-abortion. Yeah. And But the, you know, the idea of, say, this reminds me a lot of, there was a huge opposition in the late 60s, early 70s, to teaching sex education in public schools. So people, glad that, glad we got that settled. <laughs> yeah. 
But consultants said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, let's call it something else, family life education. Right. Then nobody who took the class even knew what it was about. Right. But it became, and it was a, uh, you know, this is at a time when there were also polls by people in the sexologist business. They would ask teenagers, you know, how many times do you think about sex every hour and and they get numbers like uh, 15 times in an hour but so you're not going to stop people thinking about it but you could in fact teach people how to be careful and um, if they don't want to become pregnant how to avoid it but this is this is just too too radical remember the goal here david is not just getting rid of all abortions it's also getting rid of most forms of contraception because most forms of contraception are in the minds of these non-medical people who run anti-abortion groups what are called abortifacients they they create abortion abortifacients and, and doctors would say that that's not how it works. It doesn't have anything to do with that. But they still use it and they still convince people. And because you've got a sizable percentage of younger voters who have never been through this experience of having to see, I wonder why she disappeared for six weeks. I wonder what, why is my grandmother in the hospital? And they'd come up with all kinds of excuses. Oh, grandma's in the hospital uh, uh, because she has a, an infection. She right. was getting an abortion, but they wouldn't even talk about it. And of course, now we'll never stop abortions. We, you literally can't. You have too many medical uh, techniques that don't require surgical interventions in order to abort a fetus. But, but this idea we're going to do it. And one of the other things that's going on now, not just with this Oklahoma law, you have to figure out how do you punish the woman who gets the abortion. In Oklahoma, they decide, which is a good politic thing to do, no, 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 we're only going to punish the doctor. We're going to fine the doctor $100,000, put him or put her in jail for 10 years. Because they want to perceive the woman who has obtained abortion. I remember talking to... to to some of the abortion providers, there aren't many left who talk about how in the pre-road days, women would come into their office crying, weeping, saying, I have to find a way to not be pregnant. We're all going back to that. But then the right says, no, no, if you obtain an abortion, somebody's talked you into it. Someone has conned you into believing mm. that this really isn't a human life. And that's a doctor. And he's a bad person. So who are you? Very clever. Who are you angrier at that it's gotten to this point? The pro-life movement or the pro-abortion movement? Oh no! I mean, I I I think it's the the pro-life movement. But but if they had called it pro-abortion. No, I I think we had to get to that point, David. I don't think that that would have been a good way to start. But I do, and I do think that the other thing, remember the people in this current debate about whether you should use the word abortion at all, guess what? They're the corporatist, Democrat, polling firms, and advocacy groups. Mm -hmm. During the Clinton-Gore campaign, I remember being on Fox News one night with a, a woman named... 
Mara Vanderslice, and she was a consultant for Al Gore. And, and she had been quoted that day in the New York Times saying, uh, one thing uh, we're strongly urging nobody to use the phrase separation of church and state. Right. That says that says what it means. That's what it means. Separate to do. She wanted to, you know, use words like religious liberty. And now everybody's in favor of religious liberty, except m- most of the people, a, a slim minority, perhaps. But um, once again, we have liberties. we have these <clears throat> pollsters from, you know, Global Strategic Alliance, these Democratic pollsters, who who undercut everything the the Democrats should be for, like like Hillary Clinton saying, uh, and Bill Clinton saying abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Right. Yeah, we're not asking uh, you how many times somebody should have an abortion. We're not not asking you how many times, how many abortions we should have in America. We're asking to keep abortion legal, not making it rare. And that was a political move of triangulation by the Clintons. Abortion yep. should be safe, legal, and rare because they didn't want to piss off the... They thought they could hive off some conservative votes by saying, well, it should be sure. rare. Well, why rare? That, that suggests you think there's something <laughs> wrong with an abortion. Yeah. Why is it rare? Nobody does the follow-up. Why do you think abortion should be rare, Hillary? <laughs> of course not. Um, and I doubt that you would have. I don't think there is a good answer for that. It's the same way to get to tie this back to the Supreme Court. Of course, one of the most controversial judicial nominees for the court that didn't make it was Robert Bork. And Robert Bork was um, he was terror on ev- terrible on everything. And I think it's safe to say, but for the presence of, a, of an activist of, of people for the American way named Ralph Knees, who I know very well. Who, what? Bork might have, what? Ralph Knees? <laughs> yes, Ralph Knees. N-E-A-S. Yeah. He had worked for um, a number of senators, including Ed Brooke of Massachusetts, a good Republican. Uh, there are no good Republicans anymore. But Ralph was so tenacious about pointing out what was wrong with Bork's constitutional understanding or lack of understanding that um, they they kind of created a a verb to be Borked, to be Borked. But I can't tell you the number. I was on the radio at that time, maybe with Pat Buchanan every day, and People would liberals would call in and go, well, you know, I mean, uh, Justice Bork is uh, he's very bright, uh, and I go, um, what's he bright about? I, I, I thought you just kind of said everything he believes is wrong. How can you be wrong about everything and still be intelligent, a right. bright person? You can't. But people have got to use the words that actually have some. Meaning that people can understand. You want to tell people in high school how not to get pregnant? Teach sex education, not family life. If you want to uh, talk about choice, just talk about preserving the right to abortion. You know, most women understand. I'm sure that 
I don't know if they poll on this. If you don't have the right to an abortion, you don't have a right as a woman to make the moral choices about the kind of family you will have, and you don't have the right, the likely right, of ever being able to obtain the jobs that you want. If you have to have three or four children, you ain't going back to the workforce. And in a sexist culture like this one, if you do go back you're not going to be on a tenure track anyway because they're afraid she might get well, she might get pregnant again right and then she couldn't get an abortion then we'll lose her again right right <laughs> so you know i'm thinking i'd like a dog and i wait a second that's a lot of responsibility <laughs> i have to yeah. i have to feed yeah. that dog a couple times a day and walk it maybe once or twice that's too much responsibility exactly yeah it's uh the, the whole the baby thing is really and you know it'd be it'd be great if um people who um if, if women who had children who had then also had not just a husband but one who was willing to be supportive who honestly thinks it's i i'm responsible at least halfway, maybe more, for this baby. I have some moral responsibility to take care of this baby. But then a lot of families, that just isn't true. It's not true. And some of it is, yes, those those parents, uh, those fathers are having trouble keeping their jobs too, or they're, they're working for such feeble, low wages that they don't, they have to take a second job and they have to make a judgment about, do I want to play with the baby or do I want to go out and drive an Uber? But right. um, those are systemic changes that one can't immediately find a solution for. But you certainly make matters infinitely worse by taking away a right of women to plan a family, create a family, take care of a family, and not be told you can't do this, or even worse. Although, as I said, they, there are not, not many of these legal steps propose penalizing the woman in any right. way. I have a Just question. I have a question for your wife, who is a renowned doctor. She specializes. Is it gerontology? Is that what it's called? Ger geriatrics. Ger what is yep. gerontology? I have no idea. Okay. Next time she's on, we'll ask her. Last time she was on, she talked about an Alzheimer's drug that I wanted to ask you about because I don't know if this is the name of the drug she mentioned. It uh, today. Medicare officials said that they will not cover Aduhelm. It's a, a drug for Alzheimer's disease. And I know... That's it. Well, this is a victory for your wife. It is, because if they had decided to cover it, um, as many people wanted it covered, um, it would have created such an enormous cost and she mentioned the cost and I don't quite remember what it is but I mean it would it would raise uh, the Medicare uh, premiums dramatically and uh, as she said that night there's very limited evidence that it has any beneficial effect well, let me so that you're paying for something that may or may not even work right the in this country we have Medicare which is for people over the age of 65 yep 
and we have Medicaid for people who are poor or living at or below the poverty line. I think poor is a harsh word. Both Medicare and Medicaid were set up during the Johnson administration. It's administered by the CMS. That's Mm -hmm. who negotiates prices and makes decisions. There are uh, about 1.5 million people who receive Medicare and are in need of Alzheimer treatment. This is a drug that was very expensive, was a monoclonal antibody, and you'd need it every month to slow the progress of Alzheimer's. Your wife came on the show and urged us to contact CMS to call Medicare and say, do not approve this drug Aduhelm. It's too expensive. It doesn't work. And even though the Food and Drug Administration approved it, Medicare says we ain't paying for it. Yep. And that means it's going to be very difficult for private insurers to insist that they be required to cover it. So, I mean, this this decision, um, I I had not heard that it had been made today, but I was ironic. I was at the Kaiser Permanente uh, health system today because I am on Medicare and I choose to have them just to show you. Are you done with this? Because I want to. I just want to make another comment about yeah. Medicare. I had a little, um, little uh, heart uh, crisis or fear. I, I called up and I said I had this little pain. Some oh, come in. So I was in for an, almost an entire day. And I, they said, well, did you notice anything else different? I said, well, you know, I have a little. Uh, different hearing in my left ear and they looked at it and they did a cat scan they didn't see anything and they said you should come in for a hearing test and i said well but i don't i don't really have a hearing problem they said well you come in in a couple days for a hearing i said i just had one six months ago so i went in for my hearing test and i explained to the audiologist who was doing it i explained that i didn't have a sudden hearing loss i didn't think i had any hearing loss and she said well let's do the test over but i had already paid my forty dollars copay for this this test trust me i can afford forty dollars a lot of people can't afford forty dollars and then i'm supposed to have a follow-up video visit on monday that's only twenty dollars to talk to somebody over zoom for 10 minutes about the conclusions that of why i had sudden hearing loss but i didn't have any but i still have to do that so that's sixty dollars for something that has and I could predict it. I'm not even a doctor. I could predict that they were never going to find anything wrong because I didn't have the thing they were looking for, sudden hearing loss. Medicare is wonderful when it works. And it just needs all of the fixes that people like Bernie Sanders are talking about and then add to that something about long-term care. Because if we don't do that, we're going to find more and more families unable to pay and survive and eat and do all the things as they take in their aging parents. Because many of us have been through that already. And the next generation will be looking at more and more care that nobody's going to pay for. 
So we got to add that. Because the next generation is going to be living longer and longer. And yep. there's a problem here in New York City. They only pay health care workers who come to the home about $12. I'm laughing because it's, it's no, just it's so just... horrible. It's $12 an hour in New York City. And all of a sudden, the elderly are finding, I can't get anybody to come to my house and change my bedpan. I wonder why. Right. Yeah, it, this has been going on in, in Washington for a long time. I mean, uh, my wife, you previously mentioned, I mean, she was the medical director at a, at a good quality nursing home, but they could still, some of the people that were being paid at the low end of the scales to empty the bedpans and to do the other thing, literally could at that time have gone up the street two blocks and worked at McDonald's and gotten more money per hour. That's not, this is a crazy nutty And what system. does that say about the food at McDonald's when you'd rather, when you'd rather <laughs> empty bedpans than touch <laughs> that shit that they serve at McDonald's? Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they didn't give you the free food. I don't know. But um, it's a, it's, that's that's truly a system. I mean, it, it's it's broken in so many ways, and it needs to be cleared up, cleaned up, expanded. But even now, what do you see the Republican Party doing about the next wave of COVID uh, health care funding? Blocking it. They're blocking it. Matt Gates the other day was asked why he voted against a proposal to uh, cap the cost of insulin. And he said... Um, well, I think that if you have diabetes, you just ought to change your habits and not eat so much. When I mentioned that to Joanne over dinner tonight, she, she said, is that true? And I said, yes, it is true. That's what Mr. Gates is thinking of all kinds of wonderful things to do, presumably and hopefully before he gets indicted himself. That is a mur literally a murderous statement. It is. It, it, of course it is. Personal responsibility for a disease. What about type? There, there's type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, I don't think Matt knows that, but you're right, of course. And you're born with type 1 and you develop type 2. And um, but I mean, yes, it is. It, it's abominable. It's the kind of thing that you cannot expect. Brushing my teeth tonight before the show, um, I was thinking, what's worse? Or what's the analogy? Hang on, you brush your teeth before the show? I would. Yes. I would brush it afterwards. <laughs> no, I, I try to do that too. <laughs> I like, get the taste out of your mouth, Reverend. But but I but. I thought the, the, the kinds of atrocities that we're now hearing about literally every night in the evening news. Uh, who does these things? Um, and you were right, Monday, in saying calling something a war crime is, is superfluous because war is a crime. And there are certain international legal definitions that do state that. But what do you if you if you're going to shoot somebody and you deliberately want to shoot them in front of their family one of the atrocities apparently routinely engaged in by the russian soldiers and you think what could i imagine anybody in america doing that and then i thought oh wait a minute tom cotton 
<laughs> Ted Cruz, Laura Ingram, just to be fair, women mm -hmm. can be cruel, mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson. They are people without any level of empathy at all. They are people who are able to go through life knowing that some people just don't deserve, not only don't deserve to be loved, they don't deserve anything but contempt. And it's a very thin line from saying things like what Gates said to deciding if you're in a war zone, let's, let's kill them we can do that and get away with it. Let's just add a little something to it. And maybe that's overstating it, but trust me, I don't think so most days. I am repulsed at the thought that I spent so much time talking to people like Bill O'Reilly, Laura Ingram, uh, and Tucker Carlson in my day. Yep. And that is this week's episode of These Religious nuts these religious nuts uh are you okay with that title you're gonna break my daughter's want to break my daughter's heart we're gonna i do remember once on um on uh office hours where uh she and i were in agreement about something and then you she was disagreeing with you very vocally and i i got many comments afterwards saying she she should be applauded for taking on her own father. Are you and kidding? No. No, I'm saying was, like maybe it was. I would. Well, I, no, it, one. Was, I'd like one day where she doesn't <laughs> take me on. So, um, hey, do you have time for one more comment here? Yes, sir. I know we're just about over, but as long as it's clean, uh, is it clean? Yes, it is okay. clean. This is about Jen Psaki. Yes. She's going to go to, she's a White House press secretary. She's going to go to MSNBC. And I saw on social media the other day a statement that she is now worth $27 million. And I thought, wow, she's only 43. That's a pretty good nest egg. But I was skeptical of it. But I did kind of think maybe it did. Maybe she did. Um, and it's not true. It's it's a rumor, and she's probably worth herself about two and a half million dollars, which you know ain't bad for forty three either. But the thing that bothers me about her movement to MSNBC, and it's not unexpected because I remember her being interviewed by uh, one of the. Obama press secretaries, how long do you expect to stay here? And she said, eh, one or two years, maybe. But this idea of, not in a, in a legal sense, but in a, in a sense of, why do you do this except for the money? She does a fine job. She takes down Peter Ducey from Fox News when he makes stupid comments, and she's she's pretty good at eviscerating people like that. But She's getting $180,000 a year. That ain't a bad salary, not even in Washington. But why do you instinctively decide you're going to move to some cable network where you will be paid millions of dollars? I think Chris Matthews, when he was uh, left go at MSNBC, was making $5 million. But I remember being in a green room, which is the rooms outside where you kind of chat with other guests and hosts and stuff before a show starts. And... Um, I remember he, he, he told me he, was, he had been offered $1 million. This was right when he started Hardball. $1 million. And 
I don't think he was bragging about it so much as he was just saying, it's, it's astonishing, that's a lot of money. And it is. The media pays really well, and it pays liberal commentators just as well as conservative ones. And I, I, I think you should really think, if you're in government and you consider yourself a public servant, whether the best thing to do is get out while you still can, Play on the fact that you can put sentences together and ask good questions and immediately jump to cable television. So I lost a certain significant amount of respect for Jen Psaki, who I, I, I do think is does a good job as press secretary when she says what she said she might do, jump to a huge contract at MSNBC. Well, when, you, con when you consider that... Her previous job was for Westexec lobbying for the military-industrial complex. Yeah. And then before that, Global Strategic Alliance, I think, was the company, the Democratic yeah. pollster that Correct. their union busters. Yep. Uh, I would say working for MSNBC might be the most dignified thing she's ever done. Just all she's doing is beating the drum for war. At MSNBC. You know, uh, I, I, I constantly, um, we are all flawed people. And Martin Luther King, who, as Emil said, this is the anniversary of his famous speech at Riverside Church, and then a few days later at the United Nations, where he mixed the issues or joined the issues of the Vietnam War and extreme wealth inequality. And of course, but he had flaws too, and one of them was the fact that when he would go to a town to ask people to march with him in a parade or in a protest, he wanted to make sure there was a Catholic, wanted to make sure there was someone with a yarmulke representing Judaism. He never went to the humanist or atheist community and said, we'd like you there too, even though so many of the people I met over the years with Americans United were atheists back then and were active participants. And then maybe even worse, he did have a very close associate named Bayard Rustin. And Rustin was gay and uh, he had a longtime partner during much of the time that he was with Dr. King, but King never wanted him to talk about being gay. It was just too controversial. And a lot of King supporters went further and said, you, you better hide this from everybody. Never right. even breathe a word of it. Right. So you could say, well, maybe what he should have done is uh, proudly proclaimed. I respect all people, including atheists and gay people. But he didn't say it. He achieved an enormous amount anyway. On the, I'm sure that uh, if there are pearly gates and somebody's putting the weight on the moral questions of Dr. King, he wins. Those other omissions are forgotten. But in a pure world, in a world without war, in a world, you know, he, I guess you got to be perfect about everything. Now, you saw his speech at the UN, correct? Yes, I did. Yep. That, that was, was a big march in New York City. And that then, was the day after the Riverside. I think it was two days after. I think I think he spoke on Thursday, and this was on Saturday. Right. Yeah. Powerful speech, no question about it. You know, letter from a Birmingham jail in some versions of the, the Bible, the Christian Bible. It's an addition at the end of the book of Revelation. <laughs> 
they put in his letter from the Birmingham jail. Hmm. I should show you the picture Professor Marianne Cummings drew of Dr. King in, in the jail, but I can't find anything. So. Uh. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, for nearly a quarter of a century, ran Americans United for separation of church and state. Besides being an attorney, he's also an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And as always, thank you so much, and I'm glad Absolutely. it was nothing. And let me just say something about Medicare. You, you complain a little bit about Medicare, and it's kind of like what Winston Churchill said about <laughs> democracy. Which is? It's deeply flawed, but it's better than all the alternatives. <laughs> I think that's about yeah. what he said. Yeah, I, I, I think there's references to that about death, too. You know, it's a, if you're sick, uh, but uh, the alternatives are worse. That's a, I think it's a doctor joke. I don't yeah. know. But Medicare, hey. I, I'm, I'm been taking some people to the hospital, and my experience with Medicare is it should be for everybody there's a, I, i'm astounded by uh, how how great medicare is and uh and what it offers and i'm sure if i was looking for things to criticize there would be plenty there but compared sure. compared to the murderers the child killers the serial killers that's right. The people who kill children, the health insurance companies, they, they kill children. They are murderers. It's better. Medicare is far better than the, 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 chi the child killers who work for Anthem and United Healthcare. And we should know their names. I should be able I just their names should be on the tip of our tongue. If you run United Healthcare, you're a child killer. And you you should be as known as Jeffrey Dahmer. There's no difference. Actually, there is. Jeffrey Dahmer only killed about seven people. <laughs> That's quite and he true, didn't waste. But, um... He you know he limited his carbon footprint. He ate. <laughs> make sure. Right, thank what you. What a powerful Rob. argument for your position. <laughs> thank you. They're as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer, maybe worse. Uh, of course, we know that there are people who work in the healthcare field who are dedicated people who went into work every day during COVID, knowing that this increased dramatically their likelihood of getting what was. I'm not talking time. about them. Really? I'm talking about the no, cowards. The people who lead it, the powers of people, the corporate executives and the stockholders. And of course, with those, you're right. The, 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 those are the people who were just following orders. Actually, I was just giving orders. I was just giving the orders. Why are you prosecuting me? I didn't think they would actually do it. That, that is the thing before you go. They will keep asking for shit because they think at some point somebody's going to say no to them. This 40-year erosion of our economic liberty the people who are perpetrating this on us keep thinking, well, eventually the government's going to stop us. You know, Tim Cook from Apple, the people at Google, they keep saying, regulate us. Google that. 
Sure. They, they sure keep they saying, do. just just regulate. We'll follow the regulations. No, no, we, we don't. <laughs> it's, they're like kids. Corporations are like children. They will try to get away with anything until the parents say, no, enough. They can't believe they can get away with this shit. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to keep. I know. Thank I you, know. Reverend. Stay out of trouble. Thank Go you. to BarryWLynn.com for a treasure trove of this man's sermons and appearances on every television show imaginable and radio show. Thank you, <laughs> Thank Reverend. you David. Only good trouble. Thank That's you. the Stay only out trouble, trouble I get in. You're, Thank uh, you. Well, it's time for the professors and Mary Ann. And, but first, I think Joe in Norway, is that dough? Because I baked bread for the first time in a couple of months today. Is that dough that I see? That, that's my sourdough, yes. And look what I've got here. I'm, I'm starting my own starter oh. here. I put, today's the first day of my starter. Nice. This, I, is, I, this is the this is my third loaf since I restarted my baking bread again. Well, you have three so. loaves. I was going to do a bidet. Joke, <laughs> but uh, sorry. So is that your starter or is that bread? No, it's the bread. It's about to go in. I'm just going to seed it. I have uh, an everything mix of uh, sesame, poppy, onion seed, fennel, sea salt, something else maybe. Uh, yeah. And how long does it take? Cause I bought, uh, you know, industrial strength yeast. And, you know, it rises I, within two hours. I forgot because I had a starter about four years ago. How long mm -hmm. does it take for it to rise with uh, a sourdough starter? This has been going all day. So it just depends on the type of loaf you're making, about eight hours, I guess, minimum. You can also throw in some, if you if you like, you could add yeast to your, with your starter so that it will rise faster and you'll get some of the, the fermentation flavor from the sourdough. You need to make the loaf quicker. It tastes, I, mm. uh, I'm about to make, once I get my starter going, People who have never eaten bread from a sourdough starter don't know what bread tastes like because it doesn't taste yeasty. Mm. So, yes. all right. So, I highly recommend my my uh, wild seed mix here: the fennel and the onion seeds. Fantastic dimension. By the way, you a, a could theoretically you could today. chip you could chip off your starter. I think mm -hmm. you can even freeze it and mail it to me. And don't throw your starters out. They can usually always be revived. Yeah. You mm -hmm. can put them in the refrigerator. Have you been to the Starter Museum in Belgium? No, I haven't. No. We were thinking about maybe making a visit to Falco in Belgium. Yeah. That's an idea. And then I could maybe sell them finally on the fennel on sourdough. Yes. All right. So I've got some other things going on. I'm oh, going to yes. try to whip out fast. So I've got uh, a really nice uh, uh, Indonesian dish called tempeh goreng, fried tempeh with a, a kind of smoky, sweet, and spicy sauce. That's very nice. Um, some 
some uh, meat eaters think it almost tastes like ribs. So if you got any uh, people you're trying to convince, uh, fried tempeh, watch this uh, this recipe. I'm going to make a Japanese-style uh, uh, blanched okra in uh, shiitake dashi sauce. And I've got some more pickles to make, and I'll make uh, also coconut rice for uh Professor Marianne, hang on for one second. Professor Marianne, particle physicist. Did you know that Joe in Norway could pickle a cucumber in about two minutes? Do you know how he would do that? No, I would not. But I wouldn't be surprised. A vacuum. That if you just remove all the oxygen. If I saw that I saw this the other night. You 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 put you make the brine, you put the pickle in the brine, and then you vacuum out all the air, and the brine has no resistance and just goes right into oh. the, the cucumber. Sure. Yeah. So all you need is a vacuum. Cool. Okay. So can I start the professors and Marianne? Yes, indeed. Okay. It's time for the professors and Marianne. Marianne Cummings is a particle physicist as well as parks, a parks commissioner over at Aurora, Illinois, and an amazing artist. Professor Ann Lee writes for the Daily Coes. Professor Annie Lee is her handle over at the Daily Coes. And Professor Jonathan Bick is going to be at office hours teaching us about the twilight zone and i have missed all your lectures on star trek and i apologize but we're <laughs> ep it's episode three i believe right Rip. uh this saturday i will be doing uh yes the third one or the fourth one i can't remember right. uh but it, it will be at um four or five o'clock on saturday on Saturday. Yes. And the Twilight Zone uh, review will be on um, Friday at 11 o'clock Eastern Time. Fantastic. Uh, look at Joe massaging the bread. I, I, you see why Christians see uh, the bread as the body of Christ? Do you see that? It, it, I'm being serious. It, it, there's something very... Professor Marianne Cummings, do you see why bread is... Okay, what is on your mind, Jonathan Bick, please? Well, I just wanted to say, David, I don't think uh, Christ's body was that pale. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole death and resurrection thing to making bread, where the yeast gives up its life to make the dough rise as you put it in the oven and it comes out. I mean, it's sacrifice, it's death and resurrection, and there's, it's, and it's a miracle. I mean, bread is a miracle because it's, it's uh, flour, water, and time. That's all it is. You put flour into water and you wait, and the yeast lands on the flour and makes it nutritious and you can live on it. I mean, it really is. I can see why the church sees bread, converts bread into the body of Christ. 
Well, I think they'd be a lot happier if they used Joe's bread instead of those right. dry crackers that they use. But, it, you know, if you don't understand the science and you just leave bread and water out, and then in a couple of days you have this thing that rises and and you can't you can't live on flour but if you mix it with water and give it time all the nutrients are released and it gives you life i'm just working we're, we're building a church here the church of feld it's a cult i'm just working on <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, david i wanted to talk about um senator rick scott has a plan it's an 11 point plan to rescue america is he leaving is he taking 11 trips out of america i wish you know that was the first point but unfortunately it is not uh yeah i wanted to go over a couple of the the points in there i'm not going to go over all of them uh that's too nauseating to do that but um it's causing a bit of a stir among republicans because you're not supposed to say these things out loud hmm. because they're so unpopular with most people. Uh, Senator uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, who is the uh, leader of the Republicans in the Senate, has repeatedly told Mr. Scott, you know, keep it down. Uh, let's not overemphasize this uh, before the elections, which we're trying to win the Senate and the House back. Uh, But what this does, um, among the things that it would do, is to impose income taxes on more than half of Americans who pay none currently. And to sunset all legislation, all federal legislation, after five years. And apparently that includes Social Security and Medicare. Right. And I think it's, you know, important to remember who Rick Scott is. He's, uh, I believe he's the second richest man in the Senate, worth around $260 million. In 2002, the uh, hospital chain that he ran agreed to pay more than $880 million to settle the Justice Department's longest-running inquiry into health care fraud, wow. including $250 million returned to Medicare to resolve charges contested by the government. So in other words, he was committing mass fraud and they just let him get away by returning some of the money. He didn't even have to go to jail. Right. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, So let me read you uh, points five and six of Rick Scott's 11 point plan to rescue America. Quote, we will grow America's economy starve Washington's economy and stop socialism. Socialism is un-American and always leads to poverty and oppression. We will stop it. We will shrink the federal government, reduce the government workforce by 25% in five years, sell government buildings and assets, Jesus, and, and rid the old, slow, closed, top-down government-run-everything system we have today. So I can commit more fraud and not get caught. Right. Then nobody will be looking. And so people like him 
uh, can you know rip us off all the more. Although maybe not because there won't be any federal programs to rip off. They'll just be doing it at the state level. Right. Apparently, you know, apparently he just wants to move everything to the state level uh, where there's you know less oversight and uh, wealthy people and corporations can get away with almost anything. Um, okay, so that was point five. Uh, point six, quote, we will eliminate all federal programs that can be done locally and enact term limits for federal bureaucrats and Congress. Many government agencies should either be moved out of Washington or shuttered entirely. Yesterday's old government is fundamentally incompatible with the digital era. The permanent ruling class in Washington is bankrupting us with inflation and debt, so they must be removed. For you to have more, Washington must have less. Amazing. And this flies in the face of reality, which is that the federal government, when it is operating correctly, and when the agencies are not staffed with saboteurs, which is what the Republicans do when they get power, Mm -hmm. uh, they actually try to limit the abuses of corporations, uh, at least some of the time. He wants to make sure that that there's no limitation whatsoever. He also said, quote, all Americans should pay some income tax to have skin in the game, even a small amount. Currently, over half of Americans pay no income tax. Last year, 57% of U.S. households pay no income tax, but that was by design. If you remember, all the tax cuts passed by Republicans... Uh, you know, the George Bush tax cuts, two of them. Uh, of course, going back to Reagan um, and uh, Trump was the latest one that really reduced the number of Americans paying taxes because he doubled the standard deduction. So, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, those, you know, fewer people are paying income taxes because of these tax reductions. And it's also important to remember that all those tax cuts overwhelmingly benefited the wealthy because people, you know, making $50,000 or less weren't paying that much in taxes anyway, or at least income taxes. So... Yeah, and, and you have to remember that all workers... Virtually all of them pay Social Security, Medicare, and sales taxes, Mm -hmm. as well as other fines and fees that are imposed on them by by government. So it's not like they're not paying taxes. It just rubs this, uh, you know, multimillionaire the wrong way that uh, some people aren't paying an income tax because they make, uh, you know, such uh, a low income. Does he include uh, the several corporations that uh, pay zero taxes? Oh, he didn't. He didn't mention them. It might be a surprise. Uh, but they're job creators. Yeah. Here he is on Fox News. I found it while you were talking. I had clipped him a week a week ago. He was on Fox News, and mm-hmm. I have to say, 
you know, I'm no big fan of Fox. What little I see of Fox is disgraceful, but sometimes you see this. Uh, or you don't. Uh, hang on. Here we go. Rescue America, two of the big points of which are, quote, all Americans should pay some income tax to have skin in the game, even if a small amount. Currently, over half of Americans pay no income tax. It also says all federal legislation sunsets in five years. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. So that would raise taxes on half of Americans and potentially sunset programs like Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security. Why would you propose something like that in an election year? Sure. Well, John, that's, of course, the Democrat talking points. It's a no, no, it's plan. in the plan. <laughs> it's in well, the plan. But, here's, here, but here's this thing about reality for a second. It's First of all, let's talk but, about but, Medicare. But, Senator, but Senator hang on. John. So it's not a Democratic talking point. It's in the plan. And also in the plan, it says we ought to every year talk about exactly how we're going to fix Medicare and Social Security. That's why, well, yeah. Is that satisfying? I mean, is, does it pay to have a, a, a liar like that on your show and scream at him for like 10 seconds and then have him move on shamelessly? What's the value to those interviews? Hey, uh, the more press that this gets, David, the better. Right. Uh, you know, because it shows who the Republicans are. He just happens to be pretty stupid to be saying this before an election. But this has always been the Republican program. They have rhetoric that may say, oh, no, you know, we wouldn't do that. But whenever they get a chance, uh, that's what they try to do is to reduce programs that help the majority of Americans and institute programs that help a tiny sliver of Americans. Right. The wealthiest, the people who don't need any help. That's who they want to serve. Uh, the, nonpartisan, the nonpartisan tax policy center estimated that ensuring all households pay at least $100 in income taxes would leave families making about $54,000 or less with more than 80% of the tax increase. Those making less than about $100,000 would shoulder 97% of the cost. So 97% of the tax increase would be paid by people making under $100,000. That's who he wants to target with the tax increases. Uh, just, you know, just unbelievable. It's, uh, perfect, it's perfect libertarianism. You get accumulated that that's the essence of it yeah yeah i mean it is a libertarian uh, approach right uh, shrink the government uh give all power to people that have uh wealth uh, no restraints on their power uh, it's you know yeah, it, the, it's, the, the next step is fury road you know the, the gas farm, the bullet farm and gas town, you know, it's it's pretty much, you know, that's the future. I'm just wondering, 50 years ago, there were three networks. People like Rick Scott would not have access 
to a Sunday morning show. Maybe once a year he would get this kind of attention. Is any of this stuff ever going to see the light of day? I, I think, McC as you said, McConnell, they're pissed off at him. So for saying what they're thinking, but none of this is actually going to make it into the halls of Congress, correct? Oh, I don't know about that. If the Republicans get the Senate uh, and they get the House and uh, they get the presidency in 2024, uh, it very, very well could. I mean, uh, you know, the moderate Republican Mitt Romney, <laughs> who voted for uh, the Supreme Court nominee, uh, uh, Judge Jackson, uh, when his vote would make no difference, right? He's, he's great at being moderate when his actions have no real impact on uh, what, what the result is. But he wants to increase the age at which you qualify for Medicare from 65 to 67 and increase the age when you qualify for Social Security from 67 to 69 that's how he wants to address the so-called shortfall in the social security trust fund now there's another proposal that is uh in the house that is called the social security 2100 act which would uh it's currently in the house ways and means committee this is a bill that's proposed by representative john larson of connecticut and it has 208 co-sponsors all of them are democrats the social security 2100 act calls for increasing benefits including a broad boost equal to two percent of the average benefit and a new minimum benefit that would be 25 percent above the poverty line mm -hmm. so this would ensure that no one over the age of 67 is living in poverty at, the, at least the official poverty level uh it, it would raise um income thresholds before benefits are taxed to fifty thousand. currently i i think if if you make like thirty-five thousand or something they start taxing your social security benefits um so that's a little better i was reagan did that Reagan did that, yeah. It started taxing Social Security benefits. Um, oh, yeah, it's thirty-two thousand now for a couple. Uh, if you make over thirty-two thousand, some of your Social Security benefits are taxed. Uh, to pay for those changes, the bill would uh, apply payroll taxes to wages above four hundred thousand dollars. Because right now, Social Security tax is not paid by anyone. Uh, or they stop paying Social Security tax if they earn over $147,000. So it actually becomes a regressive tax. Wait, and then um, let's just, just refresh everybody's memory. Ronald Reagan began taxing Social Security. Is that correct? Yes. So yes. in other words, Ronald Reagan who promised no new taxes and taxes are bad and he taxed 
people's social security. Hey, he, there was a point where uh, he was going to be taxing, or at least it seemed to be that, um, for instance, a graduate student like myself in the 80s that gets their University of Michigan tuition waived, which is worth thousands and thousands of dollars, they were going to tax, and here I am, graduate student working 60 hours a week, uh, not even taking classes, I'm over at Fermilab on an experiment, but uh, I get the privilege of having those several thousand dollars a semester tuition waived. I was going to get taxed on that. In now, other words, you know, I somebody can, making $12,000. I could hear a Republican <laughs> defending Reagan saying, if you, mm-hmm. if you were living on Social Security and that was your only money, you weren't going to be taxed. That they were going to tax people who were in the upper tax bracket, but not people who needed Social Security. I suspect that's true, right? I suspect people, if their only income was, in fact, Social Security, I can't imagine that getting taxed. Uh, Well, no, I mean, let's say that you had contributed the maximum every year uh, to Social Security. I, I think you can you could get a benefit of like three thousand dollars a month, maybe a little bit more, and so that would bring you to thirty six thousand uh, dollars. For an individual, you start paying tax on anything over twenty five thousand dollars. So okay. I'm not I'm not sure about that, David. I think you may pay some tax. I, I just said. I just said I can imagine a Republican saying that. I, oh, <laughs> well, I can imagine a Republican saying anything, but it doesn't mean it has any point. validity. There's another point about Social Security and Medicare taxes. Um, Reagan raised the uh, payroll tax also because there was this talk of there was going to be this baby boom retirement bump. We had to like bump up Social Security. Well, what did they do? Social Security is still running a massive surplus. What did they do with that money at the time? They just took it to pay down, you know, to to pay for tax cuts. In other words, um, you know, the money is coming from all of us paying social who work at all from the first dime we make. But the money isn't going to all of us the same way. They 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 borrow from Social Security. Yeah. Right interest-free from Social Security to subsidize, you know, for the current time, all of, you know, their tax breaks to their wealthy buddies. And then, of course, when Social Security on paper goes broke, even though it is owed trillions of dollars, oh, we can't do this, we don't have money to give back to the Social Security funds that we've been pilfering for the last few decades, then we're just going to have to, oh, what are we to do? We have to raise the retirement age. We have to cut benefits. We have to do, I mean, this is the scam that has been going on for years. I never hear, I hardly hear any Democrats bring this up about this scam of social security, like basically subsidizing our deficits that overwhelmingly benefit wealthy and big corporations. And we, yeah. You know, but but on the other hand, when you have people like Bill Clinton, who said what Rick Scott said, only much more politely, 
you know, remember he and Gingrich were going to, right before Monica broke, and that news broke, and Monica Lewinsky might have saved Social Security, there was this deal between Clinton and Gingrich, and Gingrich where they were going to start introducing private accounts into Social Security and slowly start privatizing it. Um, Bill Clinton also talked to a little Eddie Munster up there and, and, and who is who is the Paul speaker Ryan. of the house? Paul Ryan? Paul Ryan, yeah. Eddie he Munster. did look like Eddie yeah, Munster. He got, he got caught. I mean, they got caught on, uh, on tape, you know, talking, discussing, you know, ways of privatizing Medicare. And now Joe Biden is set to expand this limited program that Trump started in privatizing Medicare accounts and doing it to people without their say-so or knowledge. Like we were just going to start, you know, transferring your account to into private insurance hands. You know, I'm sure they'll call it administratively. So, you know, it's like, this is the kind of nonsense that progressives need to just cut short. They should be, they should be, you know, bringing up <laughs> this senator, um, Rick Scott, and just putting it in the faces of all the corporatist Democrats who want to thwart Medicare for all. I said, this is the kind of thing you guys are enabling, and, and this is the kind of thing you guys are actually pushing for. You're not as blatant as this guy. But the whole point is that some private entity is getting, you know, fabulously wealthy off of public money for a public good. Paul LeBeau says we're trying to make sense out of a nonsensical money system. <laughs> well, that's part of it. Well, what is nonsensical about the money system? I always find that money to be a little bit, I don't know, orthogonal to just how we distribute wealth, produce and distribute wealth in this country. Um, what would be a, a, I wonder what he would consider a sane money system, like you know, back to the gold standard? Well, maybe we'll uh, call on him, but let's go to Professor Ann Lee. What's on your mind? Well, Other than the food we're looking at, which is driving me nuts. <laughs> I, I have a very different uh, topic, although it uh, it is an interesting time, though. It, uh, bad things happen quickly. And uh, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that Eric Bowler, the media critic, uh, passed away uh, yesterday or day before yesterday and got hit by a train in New Jersey, which says something perhaps there's something apocryphal there. Uh, if, if you're familiar with how uh, New Jersey transit trains sort of travel uh, it's quite possible to get whacked at an intersection um, in Montclair. I, I, having been a couple times to Montclair, New Jersey, there the uh, riding your bike at nine o'clock at night. I, I, you know, things I guess can be dangerous. Anyway, uh, speaking of bikes, uh, I came across a thing where, and this they've made uh, a little bit about it last night. Uh, but I think it's becoming, it's blowing up relative to social media. And that is uh, in Ukraine, a woman whose uh, a lifeless body was found in the streets of uh, Bucha. Uh, and this is a, 
an important disinformation sort of point where you see Russia trying to disinform us about the nature of people being slaughtered in in this town. That Ukrainians killed their own people rather than uh, Russian soldiers. Um, the 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 issue is though that we have a, a, enough drone footage to actually show people getting killed um, hmm. in, re- in not in real time but recorded on drone footage. And the saddest version of this today is uh, a woman, a 52 year old woman, um, Irina Filkina. Uh, uh, was riding her bike, uh, got gunned down, and the image that uh, was shown on on mass media was uh, just her hand, and uh, the uh, unfortunately uh, a manicurist identified I identified her by uh, one of her nails was. Painted a certain way. It's a ring finger had a a, a, a very specific uh, uh, image on it, and just from that one little small fragment, uh, they identified who she was. Um, uh, finally, identified her to her daughter, who who um, who thought she was missing. It couldn't find her. So all of these things intersected real badly. This is one of those weird moments where. And several other people who have been gunned down in the street riding bicycles seems to be, it's just a, a thing. And, and it, it's just amazing to see how, from a forensic point of view, you could actually triangulate the exact geolocation where people were getting killed. Okay. One, one asks, of course, the counterfactual question, if we could see these people being killed on, on surveillance why couldn't we stop it? You know, that's the kind of helplessness I think that we're going to have. And and the problem, of course, is that this is really, truly only the tip of the iceberg because uh, uh, we don't, we haven't seen very much from uh, Mariupol. And I think that it, once we sort of finally get in there some at some moment, Mariupol being on the southern, the, the sort of uh, southern edge of the, the fighting, uh, I think the the current toll uh, estimated by the Associated Press is 5,000 civilian casualties, and and uh, a lot of people are saying that it is uh, going to be much worse. These are it is a terrible time, and I think uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, as cliched as that sounds, uh, a lot more armament going in, and and even though it may seem like there's a lull and people uh, want to uh, congratulate someone on on the resistance of the Ukrainians to the ineptitude of the Russians, it, we're still uh, weeks or months away from a resolution of these matters, uh, even as we, we try and uh, constrain people by their wealth to, to bring that all full circle. Our, our ability to control, and, and there are new sanctions coming in place, but I think uh, it's still too little and doesn't address, I think, what is a real fundamental issue, and that is the problem of uh, controlling uh, Russia, Russia's uh, fossil fuel uh, uh, exports. But that's uh, 
anyway, that's my little thing. I'm, I, I, I think we're at a very uh, critical moment because I think there's just going to be a lot more brutality in the coming weeks. And so we see more brutality. What should Joe Biden be doing? What do you think is? Well, I, you know, with, uh, unfortunately, he's committed to a, a, a certain type of uh, a support that is a little bit more sub rosa. And it's unfortunately a support that creates more brutality. Uh, you know, the transfer of, of weaponry, the, there's a lot of weaponry now being transferred. It, it's former Cold War weaponry, um, Warsaw Pact weaponry being transferred to the Ukrainians. So on the one hand, um, they're going to be better armed. On the other hand, there's just going to be a lot more war, a lot. <laughs> more violence, uh, pure violence of of, a, of an incredibly awful type. And so what, what do you think? Biden's Biden's solution, I think, is is you know currently I he's sort of between a rock and a hard place, considering that there are a lot of people in the alliance who are who are playing a lot of different games here. And, and for example, the, the question of Nazis and a variety of other things are all much more complicated than people would like to make. It. Is there an idea that we can win this thing, that if we just keep, you know, funneling arms to Zelensky, he'll become a world hero and sign with CAA and get his own movies made about <laughs> him? And is that the thinking? in the Oval Office that we just need to, we've got our hero, now all we need is a victory and he'll, he'll defeat uh, uh, Putin? Well, that's certainly one way you could spin it, but the, the reality is that the Ukrainians can only win if they drive the Russians completely out, and I don't think that's going to happen. They drive the Russians completely out, or the Russians learn the lesson that every occupying force learns is that if people want you to leave and you don't leave, you're going to be here for a few decades and it's not going to be, they'll wear you down. Well, I, you know, there, I think that there are certain, there are far too many different views on, on this case. The, the Ukrainians want to drive them completely out. Uh, I, there is a moderate position that suggests that there's a, uh, uh, some sort of ceasefire, partitioning, and a variety of other things that uh, will allow the Russians to keep whatever they're going to keep. And they're still going to benefit from this. This is where it's very ugly and stupid, uh, because on the, uh, it is, as some commentators have suggested, really incumbent to actually provide even more military force, uh, not to the point of a no-fly zone, but but enough military force to drive the Russians out, which I, it, that's just going to mean even more people dying. The difference between this and Syria, I've been saying for weeks that Putin learned from Bashar Assad how to stay in power, just kill everybody. However, Syria was a civil war. This is an invasion, which is different, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, and and Russia was uh, you know supporting the party party in power. And, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Russia was supporting Assad and, uh, you know, using severe military force to do that. And you could see that, unfortunately, uh, it was an inferior force that they were fighting and, and essentially and, and a much more complicated uh, resistance as well. I mean, considering all the differences in, in all of the groups in Syria, I mean, you had, you know, uh, Kurds who al- alternated sides at certain moments and, and had diff- problematic affiliations. It resembles the problem of the right wing in Ukraine at the moment, but it's it's not the same scale. The scale is so different. Right, right. I want to play you a clip because this is something you're you pay attention to. It is imagery that Joy Reid gave us last night on MSNBC, and this is what she at the top of her show. She, well, first she said this. Well, she you got to hear her first. Be nice if I could. All right. First, uh, don't break anything. This is what she said first. The extent of the Kremlin's atrocities underscores their depraved and historic indifference toward human life. So she's comparing uh, the Kremlin to, to Stalin. And this is what she showed next. And I couldn't believe it if I can find it. This is what she said next. You know, the last Judge Jackson left the Supreme Court to go to Nuremberg uh, and prosecute the case against the Nazis. This Judge Jackson... That would be the wrong... That, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't her. Uh, I believe... Uh, right? And yet it is now clear that no regime of this century better resembles the Third Reich than Putin's Russia. And if I can find the, oh, come on. This is, this is what I wanted to show you. And, uh, well, maybe this is it. Nope. Anyway, she showed pictures of the famine. And I couldn't believe it. Of the, she conflated the Kremlin with Stalin and Putin. And there was a ah. through line between Stalin, Putin, and the famine and the the Russian people. And and, and she, she I actually saw this and, and this week it's kind of uh, leading with beating uh in, in every one of her shows this week. I think uh Oh, I found it. Let me let me play. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I. There's an even longer and darker history behind all of this, because we are seeing what we're seeing today is reminiscent of the 1933 Russian genocide in Ukraine, known as the Holomador. That's when Joseph Stalin purposefully starved to death upwards of four million Ukrainians under his policy of forced collectivization. I think that's evil. That she did that. Am I wrong? Fast, fast and loose with the, the the much more complex history 
of of that period. I mean, relative to not only the, the issue of not only the issues of Stalin, but also the issues of those who are actually in Ukraine. I mean, and the, and the complexity of it. It, 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 it. It's a much more, you know, difficult history relative to having having actually a famine relative to production and a, and a famine relative to policy. And then a, a, the whole issue of, of who was on whose side relative to the Nazis and, and, to, the, and to the Soviets. It's much, much more complicated. Uh, I mean, the famine is, is sort of the, the byproduct of, of a much more complicated set of, of history since the um, 1918 um, uh, redrawing of borders in, in, in before, before the Russian Revolution. And as, I mean, and, and I'm not being an apologist for Stalin here, but the, the issue is, uh, of course, that the, the Russians had to pay billions in reparations after, uh, after World, because of their withdrawal from World War I. So that there's an incredible set of problems that occurred that, and this doesn't rationalize the, the basic attempt to create collective, collectivized farms, et cetera, it, in the midst of, of bad, a bad harvest generally, uh, it, it, these are all awful things. So it's, it's very fast and loose to, to sort of say that it's Stalin and therefore Putin is Stalin and blah, blah, blah. These are, it's much more complicated and, and he doesn't see himself as Stalin. He really sees himself more as the czar, if, if, if anything. Um, it, it, it is so much more complicated and, and every message we get in, in mainstream media has these nuances that need to be readjusted, uh, particularly since we're going to continue to have, you know, the kind of lies that the Russians are going to tell in, in the, the Security Council, for example, about uh, it just pure lies. I mean, just the it, absolutely bizarre lies that, that are being thrown out there. Um, and the, and the mis uh, the misguiding of of the Russian people. Although the current polling says that there now it has been a shift, and this is the problem of doing uh, sort of weekly instant polling that they're more now more in favor of the Russian policy in Ukraine, which is really problematic as a trend. It's actually starting to improve, and, and so propaganda works, right? Yes, it it really is. It, going back to Joy Reid, my listeners didn't see the imagery, but she was talking about the famine, and it included these horrific pictures of women and children, black and white corpses, lying in fields, decaying from the famine. What is the purpose of showing that, along with the atrocities in Kiev, what 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 is MSNBC it's, doing here? It's, it's just lazy. It's lazy death porn. It's you what? Know, this is it, it, it's death porn, death pornography. It it, it really and it, and it's uh, paying very uh, playing very fast and loose with with the imagery. That are they? But are they doing that's it? What we're getting. But but don't you think that this is the same type of propaganda? that Bernays would 
tell oh, yeah, Woodrow absolutely. Wilson, this is how you get into a war when you show the American people the the slaughter of innocence in Ukraine today and then hearken back to the famine and the slaughter of innocence in the early 30s, you're you're creating a demonization of not just Putin, but the Russian people. Yes. Right. It, That's it, it's a framing problem that unfortunately reduces the, the you know the enemy to one certain thing and they're not really that one certain thing it's it's much more complicated and unfortunately it will rationalize all of those other things that is the increase in, in military spending uh the military production to backfill the transfer of military material from from nato to the ukrainians so you know, all it is is going to create a lot more militarism and ultimately, in the long run, more death and destruction. So we we hear about Fox News, how the orders come down from on top, push this agenda, push the story. There were memos released where they just said that we got to see where Fox was push this story, push the MSNBC is pushing. Somebody is pushing war over at MSNBC. Somebody is pushing. MSNBC has always pushed war. They're, they're, this is unfortunate that they're fighting in their time. Joy Reid is fighting in her time slot. What is it against Hannity? Is Hannity in the opposing slot, I think? She's on at seven. I, I don't know. Uh, well, if it's not Hannity, the point is that it's always, I think, up against whatever it is in the same time period. And, and we're much like the problem is uh, 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 Tucker Carlson versus the nine o'clock slot, whatever, the eight eight o'clock slot. Uh, So these are really complicated. They're not complicated. It is just simply more mainstream media sort of uh, foolishness. Foolishness or or is it... well, it's calculated. I mean, in that it is sense. calculated. It is. And I point out, David, that sometimes, uh, you know, you get the memos coming down from the top. But many times people understand the situation they're in. That is the journalists or the uh, talking heads that work for a corporation like MSNBC understand uh, where the boundaries are and what is expected of them. So they see this happening. They see all the, the, you know, the hosts falling into line, basically, with this uh, demonization of Russia, uh, a pro-war stance, or at least, that, you know, an escalation of the uh, hostilities there, and to get America uh, or NATO or some combination of NATO countries and America involved um militarily and and you know they conform to that they don't have to have a memo coming down from the top that doesn't mean there isn't one but they understand you know they're not stupid uh they understand where their paycheck is coming from and and what management wants yeah noam chomsky was interviewed many years ago by some twerk from the bbc and, you know, Noam Chomsky was said famously with uh, Edward Herman, I believe, written a manufacturer of consent. 
So this uh, little twerk took exception to that. And he says, well, if nobody tells me what I'm to believe, you know, I don't get any such memo. And uh, Chomsky just looked and said, I'm sure you don't. But I can guarantee if you had a different worldview than what, you know, your program and your editors wanted, you wouldn't be here interviewing me. So, you know, look, Ed, Ed Schultz uh, was forced out of MSNBC because he insisted on interviewing Bernie Sanders and promoting, you know, talking about Bernie Sanders during 2015, 2016. And uh, yeah. ended up going on RT America, where he said no one told him what to do. So, again, it's, a, it's, it's sort of the self, you know, editing um, some people don't self-edit, and that sort of uh, brings me what, to what happened about a day and a half ago. Scott Ritter's uh, account was suspended on Twitter. Really? It was suspended on Twitter, and people were immediately, you know, uh, getting out the word, and specifically the tweet. He was, he was saying something about the necessity for professional a forensic analysis to be brought to bear in Bucha before anybody could be making serious, you know, charges of war crimes and things like that. And him being a former weapons inspector, he was talking about in his threat what that means. That means you don't touch the bodies, you make you have people examining how they died, how long they've been there, you get it coordinated to where you thought the Russian troops were, there were Ukrainian forces firing into that area also at the time. But it, this takes a lot of piecing together timelines and uh and most of all it takes non-hysteric professional people so he was saying that and then his account got suspended for a uh, violation of twitter rules the uh, twitter's uh, use of uh use usage rules and that was basically denying a holocaust right and he right. said nobody he wasn't denying that it happened, and it was horrific. And he says, I've seen war. I know how horrific war is. I'm just saying, before you start, you know, uh, throwing, loosely throwing around war crimes and, you know, accusations, you need to get people in there who are professionals. Now, he ought to know. I mean, the uh, remember, right, right up to the lead-up of, of the second Iraq war, uh, we ordered the we ordered the uh, inspectors to leave. Scott right. Ritter himself was ordered to leave 10 years earlier when they were, you know, when, when they were tracking down evidence of, uh, of chemical warfare uh, uh, research going on. He said, and, and look, you know, when you do that, when you, when you basically don't have professionals or any kind of respective authority, then you just have propaganda. And by the way, I don't, you know, I wouldn't read Toss, I wouldn't read Pravda, but nor would I take anything from either Ukraine, official Ukrainian or uh, U.S. sources at face value at all. I mean, when have they ever told the truth, at least at the beginning, about any war or incursion we've ever been involved with? Right. There are a few. <laughs> there, are, there are a few um, independent journalists. I mean, to Professor Ann's point, there, there are now some journalists that are interviewing refugees from Mariupol, and we have Patrick Lannister, who I think that guy is going to that boy is going to get himself killed <laughs> sooner or later because he's like 
he's like Peter Arnett. I mean, he's just going in there to the, he's now back in Donetsk where the civil war has been heating up because there's still the civil war going on. But uh, yeah, and it does seem like the um, Azov Battalion has, um, you know, been using people as human shields. And I don't doubt that the Russians probably did that. But we have to get people who are actually in there uh, interviewing witnesses and getting cross-correlation, like Amnesty International usually does, uh, before we can really come up with a picture of what's happening. And, you know, my are you saying that, are, are you saying that the incubators that Saddam Hussein stole with babies in them from Kuwait, <laughs> that wasn't a true story? <laughs> I knew that wasn't a true story. I, my grandmother had had recently retired from being an emergency room nurse at Detroit General Hospital, and I had, oh, or a few years before that, and I asked her, "How many incubators did you have at Detroit General Hospital?" And she said, "We had about twenty. That was like the main hospital, like seven hundred. That just seemed off." But on the other hand, too, you know, the this hysterical accusation about Russia. Experts from Scott Ritter, from Doug McGregor, from whoever it was leaking to Time magazine a couple weeks ago was that, yes, the Russians were taking losses, but they were taking losses because of their methodical way of, like, taking an area, surrounding it, and then strategically withdrawing. But he says they were taking losses as opposed to the way we conducted ourselves in Iraq, where we would just firebomb an entire area Shock and now, and direct not direct 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 civilian casualties is is now estimated to be well over a million from that war when all the dust has settled so to me like when i first heard about this bucha you know massacre i'm going well that was kind of stupid because you know they're taking all this care to not target big civilian areas why would they on their way out just hand, you know, the rest of the world, all their enemies, a, a propaganda talking point on a silver platter? I mean, that doesn't seem like them. They may have done it, but the reality is, and this is what Scott Ritter was pointing out, we don't know. And it just kind of disturbs him that the U.N. is not relying on, you know, professional forensic investigators to go in there and make a determination on the other hand, you know, that was the same way with uh, back in 2000, uh, 2014 when I heard about Assad gassing his people. I thought the same thing. I went, well, that's kind of stupid. I mean, that would, the one thing that would bring the ire of the entire world down on him if he did that. And of course, later on, we found out that it wasn't Assad's forces that did that. That was Theater Postal and his MIT group. And that's why uh, Barack Obama kind of walked back, you know, because he claimed he had accused them of crossing a red line. So it's just like when you uh, when you don't have any group you can trust like this, and that's the whole point of the UN. There was supposed to be some kind of professionalism, some kind of way that you know that countries could approach each other outside of war. That you know. We could run the world in a reasonable way and not have everything fall apart. But, you know, my problem with this whole situation, you know, whatever the truth is, uh, it seems that the U.S. is just 
wanting to block any diplomatic way out we possibly can. There was a diplomatic way out for seven years. And we officially apparently walked away from it in one of the, in the December meeting that Macron, and I think he's still trying to get Russia and U.S. talking. I'm sure somebody's talking to somebody, but in December of last year is when we just basically declared we weren't supporting the Minsk Accords. And, uh, and Russia had signed on to them, which means that, you know, the, the, the two provinces were not part of Russia. They were independent, but part of a Ukraine uh, federation because they could keep speaking their language. Um, you know, right now, it's like, it seems, what's the end point here? There are, there are people, people in our State Department right now who think that the way to go is to push on Russia until we can break it up and then deal with China. Does anybody think that's a good idea? Well, you it's know, better than the, focusing on Medicare for all, free tuition or, at or public. Or bill yeah. or the climate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the climate. Right. Well, we have to wrap it up. Thank you, yeah. Professor Marianne Cummings. Thank you, Professor Ann Lee. Read Professor Annie Lee over at the Daily Co's at Annie Lee. I'll see Professor Jonathan Bick tomorrow night. And anything anybody wants to plug, please go ahead. Okay, let's go to Joe in Norway and let's look at some food. What do you got there? Harvey, Professor K, look at this. Hey there, made it just in time. I have blanched okra with the shiitake dashi sauce. And then I made a tempeh goreng, which is a tempeh stir-fried with a uh, chili, uh, palm sugar, and uh, what else? Kikap manise. It's like a um, uh, sweet soy and uh, coriander and, and scallion. And then I made some coconut rice. And we've got a batch of pickles, quick right. pickles, refrigerator dills. And then I made the And the bread baked? How long does it take to bake the bread? It's 35 minutes at 230 degrees C. And that's Do you have a convection minutes. oven? Do you have a convection oven? Yes. But I use, I don't know if you noticed, I used a cast iron. So I put it in a cast iron, a Dutch oven. So I put it in the Dutch oven, spray it with some water. That simulates a professional uh, bakery oven. And then uh, after 35 minutes, you take the lid off and bake it for about 10 minutes more. That's so it. Dutch so oven, 45. so you put the Dutch oven in the oven. So you, you preheat the oven with the Dutch oven in the oven. Okay, interesting. Simple. It, it gives you it gives you a crust almost like you would get out of a professional bakery. Wow, I've never seen Professor Harvey J.K. more fascinated than, than. And again, this is that fantastic seeded loaf with with onion seeds, sesame, two kinds of poppy seed, and uh, the secret ingredient fennel. Now, if you mail that to Professor Harvey J.K., by the time it got there. 
right? There's like if you froze it and then mailed it, there's no way to get that food <laughs> from Norway to Professor Harvey J.K. by tomorrow, right? Mm, don't think so. Maybe. Maybe. What do we have for office hours tomorrow night, sir? Oh, um, we have Anna is going to tell us what the hell happened in Hungary. Good. And we have Professor John again with the Twilight Zone and also Star Trek the following day. And then Valley Vox is playing Fear Fest, uh, Fire Festival, a documentary on oh, right. the festival that went right. tits up. Right. Uh, I was. I was going. Okay. And thank you, Joe. You're welcome. I'm, let's go. Night. Let's go to. Oh, let's play the theme song first. It's the only way we can get them. We didn't have Professor Harvey J.K. last week because I was doing a late show. Hang on. Uh, okay, come on, Feldman. Where's our theme song? I lost the theme. Play the play the theme songs from Vertigo. Misky and K, they go together like PB and J. Like Thelma and Louise, like mac and cheese, like Sacco and Benzetti, like meatballs and spaghetti. Allen's in L.A., Harvey J's in Green Bay. When they get together, they got a lot to say, cause they're Minsky and Kate. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. I had to get something to eat. I couldn't take it anymore. Alan Minsky is the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. Harvey J.K. is the author of several books on everybody. FDA. Everybody. Everybody and everything. You bet. And Dave don't and even, PA. Don't even worry about it. Don't worry about it. Dave and P.A., very quickly, what are you going to be making with Chad? 
Dave and PA. Mess, it looks like. Yes, I hope. <laughs> There's Unmute. a market for that. <laughs> Am I on now? Yes, you are, sir. I did find Chad's helmet. He, he, I think he hid it from me, but I got it, so we're going to put that on him. If you recall, I was carving this sunflower, and I have this stack of blanks that I want to make for uh, for a mutual friend of ours in Brooklyn. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'll get his helmet on first. Uh, Thank you. We'll come back to you in a little, a little while. I want to play you a clip of Joe Biden. Mmm, great. And I fell for this. I did. For a second. I actually went... Oh, alone. And by the way, by the way, Amazon, here we come. Watch. Watch. Um, that was almost i almost believed him for a second they go oh my, you're an idiot feldman your thoughts okay two thoughts first where was he what is na was that the nabtu what am i missing out he was in washington speaking before the a builders union and he said oh building trail the building national association of building trades unions or something? right yeah north america north american building trades yeah, yeah. I think regional, I think that sections of the, said the feeling sections of the AFL-CAO had their gatherings, like the building trades and this, that, and the other, these past couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. When, when, you know, it's funny, that, that clip was sent to me, it was sent to me the other day by someone, and I, I said, well, you know. I mean, I haven't seen him follow through on a hell of a lot of other things when it comes to student debt, right? Or reducing, uh, not reducing, extending Medicare in terms of uh, bringing the age down for Medicare eligibility. I think he was as mediocre as you could be on the question of labor last year. I, I mean, look, what did he, he, he made some, what, a one-liner he offered about uh, workers have the right to organize? Well, yeah, number one. Number two, um, nobody. He never actually really embraced strikers. That would have been right. a nice move. Um, he could have said, instead of saying, put a, put the bill on my desk, he does, says that all the time. He could have said, you know, whether, I, no one knows if FDR ever actually said it, but he never kept the, the um, AFL from putting out a poster that said, if I were, working in a factory, I join a union, FDR. I mean, there are lots of things he could have been doing. I, let's put it this way. I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm glad you had a brief moment of ecstasy by <laughs> when you watched him. But let's um, see. Let's see what happens. More importantly, more importantly is the fact he's that he was riding the enthusiasm that just shot across the country when Amazon Labor Union, the independent union that Amazon, you probably talked about this last week when I wasn't here and I'm sorry I couldn't be here. Um, as I've told you before, this is the bedroom in the house. And there's, if we've done stuff during the day, my wife can't just stay up till 
to late hours. She's got to get to bed. You do other um, video um, work at a certain hour. That we're yeah, yeah I got I to gotta interject here. I, I drive. I drove four and a half hours to get a faux exotic location for you, Feldman. Um, so is I that, thought I could. Are you in Stanford, Berkeley? Look, where is that? <laughs> it's actually. I think it's a. It's a thing that was built as a hotel, and it's right near the Five Freeway in Santanella, California. But I could fake like it's the Mission from Vertigo, where it looks Jimmy beautiful. Stewart and, well, it's a, it is a it's a real bell tower. There are bells in it, and uh, and then here's the you can see the. I don't know when this thing was built, but it, I think it's something of a bit of a church. Are you like? The, it looks like you're the only human being there. Now, there's a security guard over there who's probably wondering. <laughs> well, <what he's> <laughs> that's... Um, now there are a few people in the pools in the back, and there's a Pieta, an imitation Michelangelo. Is this near the the there. cattle where all the cattle are? Yeah, the cat. No, the cattle a little further south than here, Cowschwitz, as it were. Yeah, and um, but I got to go walk back to my car because this this uh, this thing's not going to. Uh, this just eats up the battery, being on Zoom. So um, I'm going to go back to my car. But there you go. And uh, and also I'm um, late on my uh, going up to visit Mel, who was on the show last week, and it's a whole scene in Chico in Paradise, and. Um, so I'm probably going to leave you guys to your own auspices this week, if that's okay with everybody. Well, thank you for the visuals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd try to make it a little bit interesting. Yeah, so okay. I, think, I think you and I have seen enough of each other lately anyhow, Alan. Yeah, we've been on a lot of shows together. It's been a lot of fun. It's been fantastic. Um, and, and tomorrow uh, the Congress is enacting the Economic Bill of Rights. I want you to know. That's right. We, won, we feel like we've actually won the battle now. And, um, <laughs> um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go visit uh, and, and try to work to organize the Actually, Mel's project's brilliant. The whole project of getting federal contracts on uh, to bring, you know, indigenous land management strategies uh, to uh, for for land that uh, has been just completely messed up over the last 150, 200 years. Um, but um, so yeah, have a great show. Thank you, Alan Minsky. We'll see you next week. I hope. Drive carefully. You'll you'll need it next week. I can't be here next week. I'm going to be I on will, the road to St. Louis next week. Again, I will be here with next the, week, and I tell you what, I'll, I'll come through with another. I think I, I think you've been liking the guests I've been bringing. So absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I I I've liked them too. They've really enabled me to take a night off. <laughs> now, well, I don't like that. Now I'll be in Springfield, Missouri, a week from tonight. Ah, oh, wow. Well. Then on well, to St. Louis. Well. Take care, David. Take care, Harvey. And Thank everybody. you, Alan. Thank you. Drive carefully, please. Thank you. I shall do. Professor Harvey J.K. is the author of countless books, including The Fight for the Four Freedoms. When you see what's going on now with the, public, uh, the propaganda to get us into a war in Ukraine, well, first of all, do you feel that? No, I, I don't feel that way. I, I don't. I, I don't feel there's propaganda. I mean, I, I think uh, I listen. I listen to the BBC. I generally walk away, you know, persuaded that uh, a lot of people are getting killed, tragically, you know. And uh, I don't see us going into the war. I uh, I think I think if they wanted to get us into the war, you know, that we'd see a hell of a lot more than what we're seeing. You don't think there's a drumbeat to get Ukraine into NATO very quickly and stop? Oh, I, this? I, I can imagine that. A popular opinion polls in Finland and Sweden indicate that people want in into. Would you imagine Finland and Sweden want now want into NATO? Right. 
Because they're afraid of Putin. Yeah. And yeah. how big a threat is Putin to Europe? I don't know. Ask the Europeans. That, that's, that's my take on it. Look, I mean, the fact is that the Russians always, always wanted Eastern Europe as part of the, you know, the Russian sphere of influence or empire. They did. I mean, they worked out a good deal with Hitler in, the, in, the, in 1940. There, you know, what's it called? Uh, the Rib, something Ribbentrop Act, you know, Pact. And one took half of Poland, the other took the other half. And we generally forget that the Russians took the eastern half and the and the Nazis took the Western half. I mean, right? I mean, right. And then um, the Iron Curtain, they took, but they, yeah, they, I mean, did they I, occupy. I, I'm, I'm not excusing, I'm not going to excuse anything about Truman's, you know, ambitions to, you know, launch the Cold War. But I, I, I'm not at all, I am not at all going to say that, uh, I, I think most of us just fail to appreciate what it means to live in Eastern Europe, period. And I, and, and I, I, to me right now, I, I have absolutely little, I have little to say on it because I think the whole thing's a tragedy, but I also have little difficulty understanding the desire of the Eastern Europeans to be in NATO. And, but then the, con- you know, the contradictions are, are so abundant. I mean, you've got that, that sort of neo-fascist type guy in Hungary, Orban, right? The polls, as far as I can see, have gone, you know, over the over the edge to the right. Of course, then in the midst of all this, you could end up with a right wing neo-fascist government in France pretty soon. And they'll pull out of NATO probably again. They did that before. Yeah. As what de Gaulle did it way back whenever it was, at least the military side of NATO. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's enough to make me it's enough to make me an isolationist. It's enough to make you an isolationist. The Russians, when they occupied a country after World War II in Eastern Europe, it was a big thing. When they marched into Hungary, when they marched into Czechoslovakia, the the countries behind the Iron Curtain had some degree of sovereignty. They weren't colonized by Russia, were they? Do we know? Well, I don't know. I, I actually can't tell you. I don't know. Okay. My feeling is they were colonized. Ideologically, they you know, the term colonized is generic. It's generic. I mean, there's colonizing when you want to go in and you want to extract resources. There's colonizing when you basically want to take over a place because you want to you want to, you want to transport the, the local folks back to your back to your plantations. I mean, there's all the different varieties, and basically, they they just really wanted a Russian empire, and it's what it was. Right. And so, okay. And the U.S. wanted a, an Atlantic empire. And the, yeah. When did Roosevelt want us to go to war in Europe? How many years did it take for him to get in there? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'll take us back earlier to when he first became president. He made a remark very few people note, note, note this. He made a remark to, I believe it was to one of his brains trust people who actually had entered the administration as the assistant secretary of agriculture under Wallace. But he had made a remark to him to the effect of he feared the United States might be in a war with Japan by the end of the decade. That was how he put it. Okay. Then in, I think it was 1937, um, Japanese attacked American gunboats in China. Okay. 
And FDR imagined that that might be an instigation for war. But Amer- Americans actually d- didn't care. I mean, it sounds crude, but they didn't care. You know, they said, you know, they, America, the American public opinion did not want to go to war over a couple of gunboats in China, period. But, but um, in 30, in 39 and then into 40, R- Roosevelt, they, they pretty much had come up with, the, they knew what the plans were. There's been a couple of good books on this, on, on Hitler's plans for the world if he won, okay? And, you know, there really was an ambition to divide the world into the German and the Japanese empires. And the, they might grant the Italians some crumbs, you know, in Africa, that kind of thing. And maybe Southeastern Europe. But um, Roosevelt was probably probably interested in getting in involving the United States sometime in the course of 1940, as he saw. Europe fall, you know, the Fre- French, the French fell and so on and so forth. So probably around then. And uh, what was World War Two avoidable? No. Is there anything that could have been World done? War II was only avoidable if you didn't have World War One, I, I guess. Is there anything I mean, that, that the that they could have done, the League of Nations could have done in the 20s? Or the 30s? No, the league was too weak. I mean, well, you know, you think about the 1930s. You've got Italy going into North Africa, right? And then Ethiopia. You have the Germans demanding territories back. The Ruhr, the, was it the Ruhr? The yeah. Ruhr? The, what's it called? The Ruhr? The Ruhr in, in France. Yeah. R-H-U-R, right? right? And then he wanted the piece of you know, a piece of Poland. I'm not Poland. He wanted a piece of Czechoslovakia. And then he decided it was time to unify Austria and Germany. Um, they say so I, I, that they say that had we stopped, we, they stopped him at the Sudetenland, that he wasn't powerful enough. That, that had, had we nipped it in the bud then, he would have stopped. Well, the, the we is interesting because there was no way the U.S. was going to directly involve itself in those European affairs at that moment. And the British and French, the, the British weren't weren't ready to go to war on the continent, period. That was pretty clear. Um, the French had completely, completely bungled World War One, and, and their defense defense of, in World War Two was utterly utterly inadequate the Maginot line they just flew yeah, over it yeah yeah i mean what is it they were going to fight the, the first world war again and make the same kind of mistakes now I, I don't i don't think that it was inevitable i don't think it was let's put it this way you know i mean if there hadn't been a war that if there hadn't been a war then i guess uh I guess uh, probably yeah, maybe there could have been a, a way to avoid the war, in which case you and I would not be alive today. Yeah, I mean, everything would have been different. It would have been totally different. I mean, well, so let me ask you about Chamberlain, because I was reading Munich and there. Oh, yeah. You, the idea that he appeased Hitler by the time he met with Hitler didn't 
didn't he have to appease Hitler? That seemed that it does seem that way. I, when I, I was at a seminar this years ago, wow, I was talking like I don't know mid eighties. I was in a seminar, a modern history seminar at the University of Birmingham, just attending. I had nothing to do with it in particular, and they were debating the question of Chamberlain's appeasement and the fact that the British may have may have had the navy that they had, but they didn't have the army ready to, to fight in. Uh, in Europe, that would have been, that would have prevented what transpired. So it was like buying time. Buying right? time, right? Yeah. So the lesson that we take from but, Chamberlain, but there were others who were warning of of, of the German the, the the German threat in Europe. Okay. So it wasn't like it it wasn't you know they they had signals, and you know, right? They had signals. But by the time Chamberlain went to Munich, he knew he was the prime minister. He knew what he had, and he knew that he would be defeated by Hitler, and he needed to buy time. The, le- yeah. the takeaway, though, is appeasement is bad, that sometimes you have to draw the line and stand up to evil. Is that is that the only lesson from Chamberlain, or is it... Yeah, that may, may well be the only lesson that I could see, really. I mean, it was... Or b- have a strong military and don't get caught. Uh... You know, obviously, you know, in the what-ifs of history, right now, if there weren't, if there weren't nuclear weapons, then, yeah, we'd be, in, we'd be in the Ukraine. We would be in Ukraine. Then and- again, you know... To what extent is NATO itself a consequence of of a nuclear umbrella? I mean, NATO itself. I mean, these Eastern European countries wanted to be protected by the nuclear umbrella that the, the U.S. afforded. Neither of us are fans of Joe Biden. We're rooting right. for him, but is he handle? You think he's handling this? He's leading from behind. He's not really on the horn with Putin, at least not that we know of. Look, I mean, right. I mean, the contradictions are, I mean, the the Europeans are still dependent on Russian fossil fuels, right? I mean, apparently, you know, they've had years to to prepare for that and they didn't take advantage of it. I mean, the first sign would have been in, uh, in, you know, the Black Sea in Crimea. The the moment was going to come. They knew this was going to come one way or the other. Okay, instigated either by the Eastern Ukrainians themselves or by the by the Russians. So they might well have done a better job of, of handling that, I guess. Right. And of course, we were told that uh, we were, you know, with this huge, you know, oil and gas producer, I guess not big enough to cover the asses of the of the Europeans, which is why now all of a sudden Venezuela looks so so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so ripe, ripe for friendship, you know? Right, right, yeah. right. I've said on the show. But, you know, it's, it's so many things that you know, I, I watch this because it's because I, I can't do anything else but watch it. And, you know, oh, you're, you're watching the news. Yeah. I mean, well, as I say, the BBC news is the ones I've been watching. So you're I, saying I, the atrocities. Don't you think that kind of uh, affects your judgment by seeing the the that the imagery 
Well, I think the, the greatest testament to what's happening are the are the folks who are are the numbers of refugees. You know, the the, the few millions and more who are refugees. I think that's telling. That that's that's not a sham. Okay, that's telling. The, so, of, so, of of the atrocities being committed in Ukraine. No, the, the, which the fact that Ukrainians are are leaving. Okay in the face of the Russian attacks. I doubt very much if that was a, a NATO plan, uh, seriously speaking. So right. to me, I, I don't, you know, the funny thing about the, the, the story with Iraq is that I go back to the question of the Kurdish, of the gassing of the Kurds, and I, I'm not going to be dissuaded from, from that. And, you know, I, I just, I, I to go further back the Kuwait thing, you know, with the the incubators and all that. That sounded like a, a an ex that sounded like an exaggeration. But it wasn't because of the, it wasn't because of that kind of thing that I'm. I, I by the way, I will tell you that in in the case of the, which what was the name of that war? Was that called the Persian Gulf War? I call it the first Gulf War. Yeah, I, I actually I actually supported. The, the global mobilization against Hussein. I, I thought it was against Saddam Hussein. I thought that was absolutely essential. Okay, on a fundamental grounds that one country cannot go in and take over another country. It's simple as that. Okay. And you stand behind that, looking back. Well, I was not the only one on the left who, who felt that way. I had some had a few good friends over in Britain, some leading IR people, Marxists who absolutely sided um, with with the imperative of a global mobilization against that. Now that's a different story than the lies that were told in in uh, regarding weapons of mass destruction. But it was also the case that you know the story is that Iraq was a you know was was going to crack up. I mean, probably the Kurds wanted out. The, you know, you know, I'm 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 going down a whole series of paths that I've gone through these last twenty more years thinking about that part of the world, and the fact is that, you know, the Kurds have no homeland, okay, vast well, there are millions and millions of them between Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. Um, then you had the the Arab, you know, the, the the Sunni and the Shia Arab divisions, the Marsh Arabs down in the south, and all that. And you wonder how these these places hang together in the wake of uh, European imperialism, right? Right. So it's you, you yeah you say to yourself, well, you know, let them have at each other. What do you do? Right. What's your answer to that? What's your answer? Let them have at each other. Right now, we see the utter inadequacy of the United Nations, right? Utter inadequacy of the United Nations has finally come to a, to a head. Um, well, I've noticed that I've stopped asking young men to put their cigarettes out and wear a mask. I feel that I should ask them to put out their cigarettes and wear a mask, but they're bigger, taller, and younger, stronger than I am. Mm -hmm. I I'm on the I know I'm morally superior, <laughs> but I don't have the strength. So I kind of just live with it, even though I know those people are bad. I wonder if that's America, that 
it's good to identify crimes against humanity. It's good to identify all the bad things that are going on in the world and try to stop them. Yeah, but, I, I, but, I'm, not but for, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for intervention. I'm, all I'm saying is that I, I literally do not know what to say about so much of this stuff. But I can tell you this, to bring it back, back home, this is, a, this is a great, great for, for or source of distraction which I don't think it was created to be a distraction, but this is a great distraction when we're heading towards an election in November in which, uh, in, in which this administration could take a beating. Not and just a, a beating. And as a consequence, all the rest of us will take a beating and a serious beating. And we should be asking ourselves what one does in the face of real right-wing a real right-wing government at home. And, um, we're, you know, we're I've going heard, to, you know, I've heard people predict that the, the first thing they'll do is they'll, they'll, if they get the Congress, they'll impeach uh, Biden. Absolutely. Of course they're going to do that. Hunter Biden. I mean, let me play you the clip that I played earlier. This is the great Ducey from Fox grilling Jen Psaki about, uh, you mean Jen Psaki? By the way, as a sidebar, because that, that to me, is she going to MSNBC and, and in the meantime doing this kind of st doing the press conferences? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't look. It's so minor a thing compared to everything else we've just talked about. How the how how the hell do you already line up? You're you're, you're negotiated to go into the corporate world, right? To be a performer. And meanwhile, you're you're literally speaking on behalf of the White House. I mean, the, surely this it's a projected conflict of interest. Okay, I mean it's it's outrageous. I mean, it's, to me, it's just outrageous. I mean, Mick Mulvaney had the not as outrageous as a lot of other things, but terribly outrageous. Mick Mulvaney had the decency to wait a year and a half before going to CBS. This is uh, this is what but CBS the, didn't have the decency to not have him come to CBS. Right. This is what because we're going to lose the midterms. That's a given, right? At least I understand the House. So we lose the House. So he's going to get impeached. Yeah. If if we impeached Trump twice, they're going to get an impeachment in before the closing bell. This is what we're in for. Right after January fourth, twenty twenty-three. See, this is why this is this is the one thing that prevents me from falling into the cynicism of some other people, and that is that that how in hell would forget the leaders? How in hell would so many of these Democrats in Congress be twiddling their thumbs, knowing? the devastation soon to be wrought well they're the the dem i mean they are doing they, they, they look they they could compel biden to do things they could they could impeach him yeah right that's that they're let me let me this is what 2023 and 2020 but, but don't forget watch out amazon right yeah we're coming yeah. this is get used to this 
Was it common for President Biden to do favors for Hunter Biden's international business partners, like writing college recommendations for their kids? I have I've seen the report. I have no confirmation or comment on a report about whether or not the president, when he was a private citizen, wrote a college recommendation letter for an individual. I, a college recommendation letter, though, from uh, at the time a former vice president would be a big deal. So do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like that? Again, I have no a confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote when he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office. That's even the report. But he's the president now and you're his spokesperson. Correct. And he was not the president at the time of this report. So there's evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C. It's not accurate. That is not accurate. So when Hunter Biden is emailing a landlord, uh, please have keys made available for new office mates, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden. That you're disputing. They were not office mates, no. They were not office mates. Okay. Great. Great. You know what? I don't care. You can make of it what you want. That's just pure bullshit. That's a Fox reporter. Yeah. I don't mean the stories are lies. Oh, I'm, what I meant, because look, you can bet your ass they're all writing letters of recommendation. It, I, I, look, for all I know, Joe Biden helped Lori Laughlin's daughter get into University of Southern California, whatever the hell the story was there, right? They, they all do it all the time. I'm not of course they do. You, I'm not asking you to defend. No, I'm not defending. What I'm getting at is, what kind of bullshit questions is he asking? About, what kind of bullshit? Did the, did the vice president write le- co- letters for college entrance? Come on. Of course it fucking did. Don't waste our time. Ask serious questions. Uh, they impeached Bill Clinton over a blowjob, about lying about a blowjob. Look, I, I, th- and that was outrageous because he shouldn't have been impeached with that. But what he should have done is he should have resigned to begin with. Absolutely should have resigned. Clinton. Oh, fuck Yeah. I think I agree with you. This Hunter Biden. You know, you know it's funny. I had, a, I had a lunch conversation. This goes back, Jesus, must go back to 2000 with, with one of the, le- with one of the uh, leading writers at uh, the Weekly Standard, who was, who was a friend of mine. David Brooks. And it, no, actually not David Brooks. Um, Chris Caldwell. And... Um, and and my friend Michael Kazin, who was the editor of Descent magazine at Professor Georgia. And we sat at lunch and this question came up and they were debating should they, you know, should have been impeached or not. And I said, it doesn't fucking matter. He should have resigned. Period. Okay. For example, let me give you an example of what I mean. You know, it was, I, read a, I read a really interesting book defending, in some ways, defending the Kennedy last the last years of the last year of the Kennedy presidency. But it it said, look, Kennedy was having an affair with an East Ger- a, former, a, a woman from East Germany who had come to the West, whose husband whose husband was apparently in the East German intelligence, something like that. Okay, now if that got out, right? What would you have, what would you have expected? And it was and it was, assuming it was true, what should the president then have done? It's tantamount to Trump. With Kislyak and and Michael Flynn calling Kislyak. Yeah, I mean, it's right. And the point is that, you know, Kennedy basically opened the door to secrets of the White House to this woman. And who the hell knew who Monica Lewinsky was? And in any case, he was subject to blackmail. He positioned himself subject to blackmail. Yeah. Okay. 
But now I, to come now, tell me, tell me, tell me why Garland hasn't yet indicted the key figures that he should be indicting, indicting, including Trump. Why, 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 why are the, all these people giving each other blowjobs, basically? Yeah, I don't know. Never, never saw, I never see Garland and Mueller together. I wonder if they're the same person. <laughs> One's taller than the other, I think. The thing with Hunter Biden, Professor, Regardless. You know, David, this is funny. I'll never forget. It was like very early. God, was it like one of the first times we did a show together when we were doing the podcast? And I'm sure you said to me, you asked me about Hunter Biden. And I said, I actually said to you, who the fuck is Hunter Biden? How do right. I know who Hunter? And then you explained to me that he was this guy who had a degree in, in um, petrochemical engineering. You know, right. <laughs> he, he spoke whole line about, about he spoke who he was. Parisma loves him. He speaks fluent Ukrainian. He does have a degree from Yale Law School, though. He's <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He knows how to work the angles. The laptop. When you bring up Clinton, that I'm not. This is not a qualitative judgment. I'm just saying in terms of what the Republicans have to work with off that laptop. You've got pictures of the, the, the president's son smoking crack with prostitutes. Then there's the use of the N-word, and then there's a series of emails talking about the big guy getting paid, and Hunter saying in the emails, it's my job to make money for my dad. I'm not saying that this should get Biden impeached. I'm saying this is raw meat for the Republicans, the media, and the American people. It's got everything you want. And sure, you bet it does. And, you know, look, two years ago, this around this time, I was dying as, as the Democrats rallied around Biden. Right. Okay. Dying. Okay. As that happened. I just could not believe it. And, um, and and it didn't have to. And and it, by the way, I'm, you know, Biden was never my guy, obviously. But I can also tell you that Bernie didn't help his own case. Okay, I I talked about that a lot. I think with you, Bernie did not help his own case. He he refused. I'm not even saying that he went. He could have gone for the jugular. He could. That's. I'm just saying that repeatedly he refused to do what needed to be done in the debates, even before. Anyone imagined Biden would get the nomination because at that point, no one did imagine it because he would seem so out of it. Um, but Bernie, Bernie failed us, failed us. I mean, the whole I mean, the last number of years, look, he was great. He's created a movement. I mean, don't get me wrong, but he could have been president. And if they had and it's just it's he could tragic. have been president. And uh, he'd be destroyed by the media and by the Democratic Party and the American people because he had, not through any fault of his own, there was no leftist infrastructure to prop him up once he became president. He'd be the only leftist in Washington and they would have Adam. I, I remember reading about uh, Sally Quinn and Ben Bradley being offended by Bill Clinton 
and and trying to stop him. They didn't like what he was doing to their. Oh no! Uh, somebody mentioned Joanne Reed. I think before I, uh, pre- I mean Joanne Reed. Do you remember her? I didn't. I wasn't watching the show, but I saw the the clips from it where she had people on who were literally doing anti-Semitic routines about Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I mean, outrageous stuff. Okay. Yeah. And uh, no, but it's also the case that Bernie Sanders' support would have been deeper than than Biden. I mean, Bernie Sanders was literally would have literally rebuilt. I'm I'm serious about this. He could have rebuilt the FDR coalition. The white working class would have would have come back in to the Democratic Party. But there was nobody there for them in Washington other than Bernie and his cabinet picks. There was nobody in the Senate or the House or the Supreme Court to prop up. There was nobody waiting for Bernie's voters. Well, they would have destroyed him. They would have they would have done to him. He what? would have come in in the pandemic. OK, and he would have literally carried out. He would have pursued actions that would have created a popular base so that if they so that. So at least maybe January 6th would have been a progressive day. Right. <laughs> You know, the thing that I always hearken back to, and I've mentioned this on the show, I met Joe Biden. I met mm. him. He talked at me for three hours. I've told this story before on the show. And I remember going yeah, home. I, I vaguely uh, recall it. Go ahead. I remember going home and telling my family, this guy's an idiot. He wants me to write jokes for him, but he's an idiot. Uh, no, he wanted you to write the letters of recommendation so those that's other right. kids could get into college. But here's the thing, Professor, that really struck me, and I never forgot it. He would not stop trashing John Kerry, who had been the 2004 Democratic Hmm. nominee. He's talking to some schmuck, some comedy writer, and he's just trashing John Kerry. I never forgot it because I'm thinking jealousy knows no bounds. Yeah. Everybody is a backstabber, a front stabber. That's Washington, D.C. That's politics. That's corporate America. If Joe Biden is stabbing John Kerry behind the back, imagine what John Kerry and Joe Biden would have done to Bernie. The Democratic Party, he, Bernie, they have a nice thing going, the Democrats. They, they, they make millions yeah, of... I, I, I... Yes, but I think I think we could have seen. I think it would have been really well. Sure as hell, would have been a le- a lot better than what we've than what we're going to see now. It had to. It would be a lot better. There would have been for a start. For a start, there would. Well, look. Let's we can go back to 2016. If Bernie had won, there'd have been no Trump. And if the Democrats wanted to come after Bernie at that time, they'd have had a hell of a hard time to do it. Okay, a, a very hard time to do it because it would have meant people who hated each other really would have had to rally against Bernie. And Bernie could have bought him off. Could have bought, bought him off. What do you think? Embassies needed to be filled. Cabinet posts maybe need to be filled. The ones he could give them the things that that basically wouldn't have shaped the, the Bernie Sanders administration. That's all. I mean, this is the what if in the what if world. I know. I mean, I right, love Because it. right now, right now, look, I mean, right now, I mean, what can we possibly expect to happen between now and November that's going to change the fact that he's an unpopular president who who had no coattails to begin with and as a consequence 
How are they going to defend themselves? How, what's the, ask people what the Democratic Party stands for. And what do you think you'll hear? They'll hear you'll hear nothing. They'll say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. War. They give us war. Yeah, well, that, they're they're safe right now on that because he, he pulled out of Afghanistan and people. So they're not going to tell you the Dems are true. war. He does. OK. I mean, that, you're that's, absolutely that's, right. That's, that's a saving grace, by the way, which it, I don't know how they'll convert that into votes because people will have forgotten that as everything else unfolds. And it's considered it's considered a debacle. I disagree. I thought that was his finest moment. That's I do. I think it took. Yeah, no. Right. That, look, try to pull out of a war where people are strung out all over the place, where where you're going to leave chaos behind. And it's just I don't I don't think it was a debacle. I don't think they could have done it any any differently or any I better. Agree. Well, anyway, I mean, anyway. it's it's one of those tragedies of history that we'll all have to pay for and we're going to pay for it. Yep. I, I like to think before you go that yeah. the Republicans say a lot of things that they don't mean. This is what I've said for 30 years. Oh. They don't mean yeah. it. They don't mean it. They don't mean it. They're just playing to their base. But Wall Street won't allow it. Now, Oklahoma is pretty much outlawed abortion. Yeah, they don't right. mean it. They no, don't they, mean they, it. These, these men, and there's predominantly, they're predominantly men, though I have women supporters, these men are really thr- they're, they're they're determined determined to create a Christian nation, okay, and uh, you know there's there's good taking place on the left. There's, there is there is good. It's just it's just waiting on labor. It's just oh, Jesus. By the way, here's a here's a couple of little bits tidbits, okay. One tidbit is Nina Turner has fully embraced the you. She loves you. She won't stop talking about you. Yeah, she, it's it's really great. We we did two things. We did two shows. We did a we did a Alan and I did a podcast with her that'll come out sometime maybe next week, and then we did a live stream last night, in fact, with her. And um, I mean, she's just she's literally it's this, the Economic Bill of Rights is going to be high on her campaign for a start she's got a primary it appears on may 3rd that's coming up fast and wow. keep my fingers crossed but then beyond that she'll win that uh, you know it's a i think it's a foregone conclusion whoever wins the nomination will win right. the, the seat but what's really amazing if, if we if the fascists haven't really taken over in dc is that she'll take the economic bill of rights right into the congressional a progressive caucus and into the squad and she'll make noise about it i i absolutely i'm absolutely sure i told her I'm, i I'm, i might have to move to dc and become a an unpaid member of her staff just to push that would so, you do I mean, that it's, what would i'm you, it's would you be a dollar speaking. a year man <laughs> a dollar a year man that's it but but seriously i mean that's important the other thing is i this is this is really i think i did a i did a one hour Tape recording with Max Alvarez. Have you? Wait, you've had We've Max had him on, on the yet? show, sure. Yeah, and Max times. and I have been friends for for several years. And we did a. It was Sarah Nelson and I did a one hour thing with with Max. Um, 
Tuesday morning. It was taped. It should post tomorrow at Real News Network. And he told me as part of this thing, it'll be on, that he found out that Chris Smalls and the and the organizers, the you know these workers who worker organizers, that they actually had uh, somehow. I mean, I did a podcast with Chris a year ago now, and he must have heard me, and because apparently they were reading 1930s labor history and labor stuff as a basis for their organizing initiatives that they were going to go deep into the, they were going to take hold of history and they were going to take, yeah and make history yeah so yeah there's all this good stuff it's it's really possible i i can tell you that if we could just just avoid the debacle of next november and the, what ensues in it but it's also the case that i think there's stuff happening in labor that could literally make a huge difference in the next few years huge difference well as joe biden said we're coming for you amazon for donations and jobs there you go that's right that's right yeah professor harvey jk is the author of many many books take hold of our history that if you're just joining us if you've never met professor harvey jk or read him go by take hold of our history take hold of our history it's a collection of his essays and speeches sermons and uh it's a great way to be introduced to the great professor Harvey JK. Follow him on Twitter at Harvey JK. Thank now, you. David, I want to thank you. And I, I want to apologize in the sense that I didn't expect to be gone two out of three weeks, just so you know. I, okay? keep, I, I keep a list. Okay. I keep a list. But I do I take also want to I take say I hope, I hope that in a fortnight from now, which for my fellow Americans, that means two weeks from now, um, I do hope to be back, and I'm hoping that we will not have had the nuclear holocaust that may come from this right. debacle, okay? Just in case, buy suntan lotion. <laughs> you never know. I burn easily, you burn. We're New Jersey guys. We, we right, burn but we, that's but true. But being from New Jersey, you know, a little plutonium, we, we've... We have yeah, we've already, we've already absorbed it all. So <laughs> yeah, what's we, the have, we have re natural <laughs> okay. resistance. Thank you, See Harvey. You soon, David. Thank bye you bye. so much. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. When we come back, we will talk to Liam McEnany. Liam McEnany is back. We'll be back with Liam McEnany after this. Okay, this week, Vladimir Putin said that the NATO... The Latins love Trump. The Latins love Trump. And Trump loves the Latins. I love all the Latins. I love the criminals, the drug dealers, the rapists. Love them all. The Latins. And they love Trump. You know, they say the Latin is a romance language, and I understand why. So much romance between the Latins and Jim. So okay. much romance. I don't, I'm going to beg to differ, Mr. Trump. Actually, you were building a wall between America and Mexico to keep the Latins out. Oh, David, David, David. Be smart, okay? Okay. I was building a wall not to keep them out, to give them privacy, David. I love the Latins. And that wall is just so they have a little privacy because, David, Mexico is a toilet. And when you are <laughs> romantically involved with a people like I am with the Latins, 
you don't need to see what they're doing in the toilet with whatever coming out of there. I don't even want to think about it. It's dirty and disgusting. These people, I love them and I love people and I love those people and those people deserve privacy. That's what the wall was all about. That's what the wall was about, giving them privacy? It was a door to give them the privacy they need so they could do whatever it is they do inside that dirty, disgusting, stinky toilet they are leaving to come here to America in order to steal our jobs, rape our women, deal drugs, spread COVID, and commit horrible acts of terrorism. That's why Think of the wall as a bathroom door. Because I'm romantically involved with the Latins, and I don't want to watch them. I don't want to watch my lover in the toilet. I don't want to think about them doing what they do in the toilet. I don't know. Maybe you're into that, not Trump. Not Trump. Maybe you like seeing that. I don't. The peeping tape. David, David, the, the PP tape, maybe you're into that, but the PP tape, a complete lie. <laughs> maybe you like seeing that. I don't. The PP tape, complete lie, never happened. It's projection, David. Hillary, the Democrats, they're all against the wall. And you know what that means? If you're against the wall, that means you obviously like to watch people in the toilet. So the whole thing was them projecting their mental illness onto me. Me, me. I think watching people in the toilet is disgusting. Not the Democrat Party, though. They love it because they're sick. They're sick. They're sick. Sick. That's why I want the wall. To give the Latinos privacy because Mexico is a toilet. Okay, well, <laughs> let's turn to economic sanctions again. Not a strong toilet either. You have to flush 15, 20, 50 times. It's a bad toilet, David. So give them the dignity of privacy. It's not even. You think our toilets are bad? You you should see that toilet. Oh, my God, David. Oh, my God. That is Robert Smigel with an assist from Dave Cyrus. Speaking of funny people, Leah McEnany joins us. How hey, are you? Good evening, everyone. How are you doing tonight, David? It's good to see you. Good to see you too, man. What's uh, what's been happening? What's oh, the good word? The good word is my good friend Liam McEnany, who never has a bad thing to say about me, or this show, or the chat room, or my listeners. You're on the show, and you know what we haven't done in a while? We what's haven't ta- we haven't taken listener questions. Well, before we do that, can I just plug something? I'm actually on the show tonight to plug a TV show. Which is very exciting. I, I rarely get a chance to do this kind of You're thing. You're on a TV show. I am involved with a TV network. And uh, if I could just take like 10 seconds to plug okay. this TV show, I would really appreciate it. Um, as you know, the new season of Barry is coming out. Bill Hader from SNL plays sure. uh, Barry, the hitman turned acting student uh, on the hit HBO series, which has garnered 
six Emmy wins and 30 Emmy nominations. Okay. Uh, if you want to catch all the action and comedy of Barry, you can subscribe for uh, as little as $8 a month with my promo code, Liam MC, when you go to hbo.com slash subscribe. So subscribe today to hbo.com uh, slash subscribe and use my promo code Liam MC. Uh, you can pay as little as $8 a month uh, for access not only to Barry, but all kinds of movies, uh, King Richard, uh, you know, and series like Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, as, as well as networks like Adult Swim and Turner Classic Movies. They've got everything you want at HBO Max. Anyway, sorry, David, I just wanted to plug. And, and you get a cut of this. What? You have a promo code. So this is, if you use Liam MC, does this help pay your your what? college costs? I no, no, it's just I'm, I'm doing this because I, I, I love uh, this show, Barry. I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited for everyone to kind of see what we have been working on. And, and use the promo code Liam, L-I-A-M-M-C. Right, correct. If you want to subscribe to HBO Max for as little as $8 a month. But you need to use the promo code Liam MC. If you can, go to Liam M If you can, use promo code Liam MC at HBO.com slash subscribe. This is kind of a passion project for me. I see. I see. And, and you're working on Barry or... I'm working adjacent to Barry. I see. Uh, I live in Hollywood. I mean, I live in L.A. where Barry takes place. Uh-huh. And you're a fan. I'm a fan. And uh, I've been a fan of Henry Winkler's. As you know, Henry Winkler played the Fonz. And is now he's won an Emmy Award in uh, the hit TV show Barry, which drops April 24th on HBO Max, which you can subscribe to at hbomax.com slash subscribe, promo code Liam MC. Okay. How's school? Also want to plug, I have a special streaming next month on Economy Plus. Economy Plus. Economy Plus. Economy Plus. Economy Plus. It's, it'll be streaming. Comedy Plus or Economy Plus? Economy Plus. Economy Plus. You have to be on a Spirit Airlines flight. Uh, and I am competing with uh, trivia. But uh, if you don't want to, if you don't want to play inflated trivia, you can catch my special streaming on Economy Plus. Economy Plus. Also, I'd like to plug. Oh, an I, album I, I, is that the, is that your special extra leg room? <laughs> no, that, that you did a be... special called extra leg room, didn't you? Yes, I did a special called extra leg room. Right. Uh, Okay, so so economy plus, and that's on Spirit Airlines. You have to have a seat on Spirit Airlines to watch it. Okay. Um, I and I have an album. You have an album. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to share it with everyone. Okay. It is called "Wrecking Ball" by Emmy Lou Harris. Wrecking um, Ball by Emmy Lou. It, it, it's great. Right. Is this like? Uh, a tribute album to Wrecking Ball by Emily Lou Harris? No, no, no. This is just the album. I bought it this week. It's great. The title track is a Neil Young song that she covers. Oh, so you're not on the album. No, no. This is from the 90s. So am I. 
I was trying to explain <laughs> to somebody. Uh, my mother was explaining to somebody what I do. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> and I said I'm from the 90s <laughs> and the mid-aughts. I'm from the 60-90s. <laughs> you... So, uh, so you're plugging somebody else. That's very, very beneficent of you to 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 praise other people's work. That's fantastic. It is. Yeah, get up for four bucks at a used CD store in the valley. Are there still used CD stores? There's a gray one actually. They sell uh, videos too. It's called CD Trader in Tarzana. I guess I've got a plug for the store. CD CD Trader. Yeah, it's CD. It's a, it's a little rundown. Uh-huh. Or it's, um, it's in Tarzana. It's in Tarzana. Now, do you know the sure. origin? People aren't going to believe you when you explain the origins of the name Tarzana. Johnny Weissmuller <laughs> lived there. You don't know then, why Tarzana is named Tarzana? Named after Tarzan. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Rice Burroughs. I thought it was Johnny Weissmuller. No, I think Edgar Rice Burroughs. Who wrote Tarzan? Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote it, and Johnny Weissmuller starred as Tarzan. Right. Well, I believe Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote Tarzan in Tarzan. Or Tarzana. Really? I think so. Unless somebody was lying to me. Boy, if only there was a... No, that's cheating. We here, we just checked with Professor Ann Lee. She knows everything on this show. She says yes, but you know that's. Did she say yes? I'm not reading the chat room. She said Nazrat and yes. She's not being very clear. If if Professor, oh here we go. Yes. Tar that's Tarzan backwards. Nars Nazrat is Tarzan backwards. I know Tarzan was was named after Tarzan. Yes. The. Tell, let, let's focus. We'll, professor Anley, what are you, the professor of tripping balls? I don't understand what okay, you're writing. Focus, we'll, we, will take, we will take calls from the listeners if you oh, want. Oh, boy. Okay. But first, tell me how school is. Um. Well. Here, just hmm. give me the truth in YouTube. On the YouTube uh -huh. chat says Tarzana is on the, is on the site of a former ranch owned by author Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, shit, okay. I thought it was Johnny Weissmuller. There you go. So I'm guessing that it was named Tarzan. This is the YouTube chat, which I'm starting to like a lot more than the Zoom chat. We should have a competition. We should do a quiz where you take the Zoom chat and I take the YouTube chat, and we have a trivia night. But uh, I guess, I'm going to guess then the Tarzan... Which came first, Tarzan or Tarzana? I'm going to guess Tarzana came first. Um, I don't think so. I think they named the neighborhood after Tarzana. No, I think Edgar Rice Burroughs named Tarzan after Tarzana. I'm telling you, Tarzan is not a real name. It's named after a famous star, Dash Tarzan. And that's from Fox LA. Well, so Chartreuse in the Zoom chat says you're right. But I, know. I can't trust the Zoom chat. I'm not. All right. Uh, nope, nobody in YouTube is uh, correcting you. So I guess you're correct. How's school? School's okay. You know, it's, um, 
I got a lot of I got a lot of stuff I got to do. I'm oh, well, well, Andy Brown in the YouTube chat says Liam is wrong. So, uh, <laughs> Shar in Zoom says you're right, but Andy in YouTube says you're wrong. We should do we should do a a YouTube chat versus Zoom chat like a trivia. We should do trivia questions and see who can answer the questions first. That would be fun. I'm just watching a drunk guy in Pennsylvania do woodworking. He's a genius. So what do you, last time you were on the show, you, you, you had to do your math homework. <laughs> you had to do your math homework or help your girlfriend do her math homework. I forgot. <laughs> what, what, my, what's now going my girlfriend, my girlfriend's high school has a tutor that, that helps her with her math homework. Oh, I see. Okay. Those jokes used to be funny. Not anymore. It's my fault. I went there. You know, <laughs> just can't do those jokes anymore. Where are you? Is it spring break? Are you going um, down to Cabo for for spring break? That would be funny. I'm going to Kiev, actually. Well, hey, that's well, that's. A, but what about since you're? Why don't you do a movie about you because you're back in school and you decide to go on spring break? I'm sure somebody has already written this movie. Right. I think it's called Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Well, no, because this is about spring break and it wouldn't star Sam Kinison or Rodney Dangerfield. So it's a completely different idea. Right. It's completely different. Well, you, you know, you could update. It's not the, that's not the anyway. Are you on spring break? I'm dabbling in real estate right now. There's a lot of deals in eastern Ukraine. Oh, come on. I don't, Who are you um, rooting for, by the way? Well, you're rooting for Putin, from what I'm hearing. What are you talking about? You. It sounds like you are pro. I'm pro Russian peace. Vision. I'm pro you're peace. Pro, you're pro peace. That's what I, you I, are. I know. I'm pro peace. I'm pro anything that stops the bloodshed. I'm pro negotiation. I will say one thing I agreed with you about is uh, I think that. Uh, Pulling out of Afghanistan is a testament to Joe Biden's character as a president. And I think it's something that I agree in a, in a normal time, in a time when like everything wasn't fucking bug shit crazy, that would be his legacy is like having the bravery to pull out of, of an endless mm -hmm. war. Um, I agree. I, I think he he pulled the bandage off it was painful unfortunately he pulled our troops out of afghanistan to reload and either go to the pacific or ukraine it feels like i hope i'm wrong but it feels like we've got some people with itchy triggers once again in washington well it's not his fault that uh that putin invaded ukraine I don't think he was like looking to the future and saying, we got to get out of this war. Okay, so maniac's going to start another war and then we're going to be able to get in and really do some shit. Okay, so you, me, and a, let's say a, a woman or a living um, team, we're roommates and you're the strongest person. Well, if you want to sell this as a sitcom, she has to be Latina or black. Okay, 
let's change it from uh, a, a... Also, you're too old, so we're going to have to recast you with uh, someone younger and attractive. Okay. Younger and attractive than than I. Yeah. Like, like everybody. That's <laughs> We could cast yeah. everybody for that one. So let's say a uh, random black woman and then a guy played by Pete Davidson and me are roommates. All right. Let me go okay. with this analogy. And, and, okay. And I mean this. Okay. You're the United States. You're bigger than I am. You're stronger than I am. You're wealthier than I am. Uh-huh. Okay. You have the, the, the master bedroom. I live ne- and you have your own bathroom. I. Right. And because I'm going to, I need it because I'm bigger than you. So I'm going to be destroying it. Right. Okay. So I live in the room next door and I share a bathroom with, right. uh, let's just say a, a weaker, older roommate. I'm America. Sure. And the weaker old someone, no, no, I'm Russian. Someone in a hospice bed. No, no, you're you're America. Uh, someone weaker and older than you. So like uh, uh, the late Tanamishi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're America. You've got I'm America. Your, right. You're America. You got right. the bit. You, me, and it's Ukraine, America, and Russia all living in the same apartment. Okay, now I'm getting it. Okay, I wasn't sure what your analogy was. Norman Fell lives next door, and he's the landlord. Okay, okay. Okay. You're played by... Okay, so you have I would rather it be Don Knotts. Eh, you're right. Much better. Oh, Russia, I can't believe that you're invading Ukraine again. (laughs) Okay, so you're America. You're you're America in the master bedroom. I'm Russia. Masturbate room, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, of course. And I'm Russia in a in a I don't in a bedroom next door. Right. It's a, not great, but it's better than the other guy, Ukraine, who has like a shitty studio apartment, right? And we're all so living in a shitty together. studio apartment inside. Nah, of I'm sorry, not as I'm tired. Not as shitty. He's got like a small room, and and we right. share a bathroom. You don't have to share a bathroom. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you hear me say to Ukraine, uh, I'm going to take the bathroom for myself. You have to shit in your own room. Uh-huh. And Ukraine says, please don't do that. Please don't do that. And I tell you, America, I'm taking the bathroom for myself. I'm not sharing it with Ukraine. And Ukraine says, "No, we don't want to shit at the window. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do it, and then I'm gonna punch Ukraine. I'm gonna punch." Right. And that you now know, you're America in the master bedroom. You know that the people you share this apartment with that that Russia is gonna seize the bathroom, right, and beat the shit out of Ukraine. So here's, here's what would you do? And, and so would you say, well, it looks like my here's roommate Russia is going to, huh? But it looks like, couple. hang on, let me, I'm, this is a serious question. Okay. I, oh, yeah, no, it's, it is a serious question. You're living in the, the, the room with me, the apartment with right. me. And for two weeks, three weeks, you start telling everybody, you know, I got these two roommates and Russia 
there's no question he's going to take the bathroom beat the shit out of ukraine and maybe kill ukraine there's no i there's no question i know this he's told me and there's nothing i can do about it there's okay. no okay you know maybe i'll go get some brass knuckles for ukraine right maybe, maybe a knife but what would a reasonable person yeah what would a reasonable roommate do knowing that russia is going to seize the toilet and beat up ukraine what would you do first of all this isn't a roommate situation it is a roommate situation the neighbor across the hall situation no we're all living if it was canada or mexico it might be a roommate situation we're talking about like you're in apartment 4a uh ukraine and uh russia are sharing apartment 4c across the hall like no 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 i'll give you you know what i'm i'm in 5a uh, living i'm russia living with ukraine in 5a and you're america right living in 4a okay right yeah that's okay that i'll give but you hear it the echoes through the air shaft oh yeah at night like the screaming keeps me awake right uh you know the occasional hate fuck i get it um second second of all uh what would you do instead of killing the premise answer my question you're you're in the mass i do yeah what would you do if 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 the couple above you or below you Uh you hear i'm gonna beat up russia i I mean i'm gonna beat up ukraine i'm gonna punch ukraine in two weeks call 911 and let Tito handle it well suppose you are 911 suppose you are the the other thing is in this analogy ukraine and russia have been living together for 10 years and russia's been you russia have been allowing bikers to hang out in Ukraine's room. You've been like going in there and messing with the furniture and taking furniture you who, like. Who, who, who has? Russia has. Russia has been going into Ukraine's room and doing what? Yeah. Letting bikers hang out in there, uh, you know, sending biker friends in there to hang out, uh, going in there to, to steal furniture, knock things around. Right. You know, um, and America is hanging mm-hmm. out, right? And and saying to Ukraine, "What are you doing with Russia? Why don't you come join us? Why don't you come downstairs? And 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 f- why don't you start hanging with the cool kids? From why don't West you join West? the neighborhood watch? And then uh-huh. the neighborhood watch will come and have your back, right?" So in this in this scenario, it sounds like it's Ukraine's fault for not doing something. I think you're. I think it's. I'm a little tired, a little depressed. Oh no! Why are you depressed? Hang on, but I think you're right. I think it is Ukraine's fault for flirting with both the United States and 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 Russia. You're saying Ukraine is a cock tease. I'm saying saying Ukraine went to the club. No, no, I don't want to finish that. No, no, you're Um, saying you. I see what you're doing. You're saying that America lives downstairs russia lives upstairs and ukraine is living with russia but she walks around suggestively 
and America sees it occasionally and wants her to move in with nope. him. And so she's looking for trouble. I'm saying... Is that uh, what you're saying Ukraine, about Ukraine? Is that what you're I'm saying? saying? I'm saying Ukraine had a chance to maybe put a door in its room and chose not to because it was uh, in some ways convenient. Maybe an exhibitionist, maybe an exhibitionist, a little flirtatious with both Russia and America. I don't love this rape analogy. You're I'm not saying a ra- I'm saying that. Oh, maybe it is. <laughs> I just kind of want to put it out there that yeah. I hate this rape analogy that you're building. I wasn't going for a rape analogy. I was implying that. that <laughs> I'm uh, just saying I'm just saying if Ukraine wanted our help, they could have asked President Trump for it. And he would have said, here's some weapons, but I want it you is- to do but do a favor for me first. <laughs> He would have said, "We're sending you guns, but no bullets." Right. All right. Let me let me come up with a better analogy. Those guys. Those guys are so fucked. Hang on. Um, hang on. I'm worried that I gave you. Hey, a, well, a well let's talk about some happier news. No, no. Let me is... give you a different analogy. Okay. Okay. Another analogy. Okay. It's three guys living together. So it's the same analogy. <laughs> let me give you a different analogy. That has the same exact premise that we've been debating for the past 10 minutes. All right. Here's an analogy, David. Yeah. There's an opener, a middler, and a headliner on the roof. This is, ex- this is much better. And they're, right? sharing so like, the, they're sharing the club condo. No, no, no. Listen, they're sharing 90 minutes on stage, right? Yeah. And uh, Is this a math problem? The, the club owner comes up to the opener, right? Like the MC right at the beginning, and it's like, you know, I know you're supposed to do 15 minutes, but the middle kind of wants to do 45. Okay, the, the, the opening is it, act is Ukraine. The middle act it, is Russia right. and America is the headliner. And so the club owner's like, and who's the club owner? <laughs> Exxon. <laughs> it would be the oil. No, the oil companies. Right. Exxon. Right. Okay. You know, so so the club owner's like, look, this guy used to be a headliner. He kind of got bumped down, but he kind of misses that and you play and that would be you that you'd be playing the part of the failed comic you'd be the so you'd be russia i'd be actually i'd be the producer at the door collecting the money no you would play russia the failed as the failed comic okay. you're on your way down you used to be a headliner i you, never you, was a headliner you got old nobody wanted you so you're you're right. grateful to just oh, right. be, yes yes i started i started a eight-hour podcast twice a week. No, I'm the I'm America. I feel I'm the like head- I'm still no. in show business. No, 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 no. I'm the headliner. No, I eat during an, an interview because uh, my podcast lasts so long that it lasts over two meal breaks. <laughs> I'm I'm America. I'm the head. I'm reason, the closer. The, for some reason, even though half of the panelists show up, the, the segment is still twice as long as it should be. Okay, I'm not saying what I'm not saying the analogy between this and the situation in Ukraine. Uh, I'm trying, oh, but I like I like this. So, okay. So 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 you're the middle act. You're the failed comic. You're Russia. Yes, I, I failed the comedy, uh, but I'm still sticking in there. Right, and you're like, I, and as a favor, like, I'm America, and I take you on the road to open for me because you're. You're not a threat. You don't. And also, you know that all of my money has been stolen by like eight guys. Right. So it's like, even though I'm broke, there's still a ton of money coming into my career. Because you're Russia. Because I'm Russia. And Ukraine 
And we can, maybe we can get Zelensky. He's a comedian to play Ukraine in this. <laughs> okay, so well, okay, go the ahead. First time a comedian holds down a steady job and he gets royally fucked. Okay, so okay, so so Zelensky's on stage. I bet he wished he'd start in a sitcom about a guy who gets laid all the time. Hang on. So Zelensky's on stage, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And Russia accuses him of stealing his bit. Russia's like, club owner comes up to Zelensky and he's like, look, could you do me a favor? I know you've got 15 minutes and you want to work out because, uh, you know, it's like you're not really getting paid a lot. It's the only reason you're going on the road is to... right." get stage time on your belt so that one day you can work your way up to maybe being a middle act. Right. Uh, and But Russia really, like, just kind of wants to have all that stage time again the way it used to mm -hmm. when it was a major touring comic. Right. Oh, and they used to be a team. Russia and Ukraine used to be a comedy team. And yes, Russia... like the Sunshine Boys. I'm sorry? Like the Sunshine Boys. They were the Sunshine Boys. And Russia thinks Ukraine should come back and be a duo with him yes and it's like you know what i am going to take your time but the last 10 minutes can be the old act again but yes but ukraine doesn't want to do the old drunk driving routine <laughs> right it's it's dated right but, but but the middle act russia says no the audience will love it and Ukraine wants to be independent and have its own. I see. Okay. And the club owner's like, look, I know I promised you an eight ball of Coke if you did a set, but I'm not going to give it to you if you don't do exactly what the middle act wants you to do. That's the club owner. That's ExxonMobil. That's ExxonMobil, yeah. And I'm America, and I say to Ukraine and russia go long i want to fuck the waitress in the dressing room. hey listen i got some chicken fingers coming out in a minute <laughs> wow this is see this we should teach at the council of foreign relations we've made the geopolitics simple it's now it's easy to understand yes we made it relatable to a thousand people across the world you you should teach you should teach world history, world politics. Well, you really are just trying to get me out of comedy, huh? Uh, your act did that all for you. You didn't have to. When's the last time you performed? It's been a week and a half now, actually. Um, I've just been actually really busy. This has been a really busy time for me between uh, blowing off school. I'm sorry, you broke off. up. You blew who? I'm <laughs> who are you blowing now? Off school. It's the name of my dog. <laughs> so, uh, but you, but you're, but you're still in school. Your classes. Listen, between between school, you know, I'm writing for this pop culture site right now. I'm still doing my producing work, and I have to squeeze in six to eight hours for uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild every day. So I just don't have as much time for stand-up as I used to. Is that a video game? Oh, come on. What do, what, what do you squeeze? What is uh, Breath of the Wild? What is that? I have no idea what that is. It's a Nintendo Switch game. 
So you play video games. I I got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas last year. What are you, a, what are you a kid? What are you, a teenager? Playing uh, video I, games? Listen, it's nice to have something uh, to come home to that doesn't hate me. I don't have a girlfriend or a dog. I might as well have a fucking. You could. You could have had Bernie Ho. I could have had Bernie Ho, baby. <laughs> she loved you. She didn't love me. She loved the attention. And I've dated enough women like that in my life to last me a very long time. Okay, we have a, we have a couple questions from our. Are Zoom. we taking calls? Well, we're going to take uh, written questions. This comes from uh, anonymous. We have one in the we have one in the chat. Yeah, anonymous attendee has a question for Liam. Does the show suck? Um, well, it depends. <clears throat> if you're talking about Barry season three, which is premiering on HBO next Sunday, April 24th, uh, then I have some good news for you. Not only does it not suck, but Barry and the gang are better than ever. Uh, they go up to all kinds of shenanigans. This year, uh, Barry's girlfriend, Sally, gets everything she ever wanted in life a successful TV show and a lot of fame. And she learns it's not everything is cracked up to be. You can watch Barry and all kinds of TV shows and movies by subscribing to HBO max at hbomaxcom slash subscribe, uh, and use the promo code Liam MC. That's L I A M M C. But if you're talking about this show, yeah, it kind of blows. Somebody said over at YouTube that they'd rather watch you playing Zelda than this show. And that is, why don't you get a Twitch account? Wait a second, why don't you get a Twitch account and play video games? Well, and I'll watch you. Because here's the thing, I'm really, really bad at it. Like people watch those shows on Twitch because guys are really, I look like I'm good at video games, but I'm really bad at video games. Well, why don't you do a thing where, since you look like you'd be a master at these games, why don't you uh -huh. get a Twitch channel and tell uh -huh. people you're about to play Zelda, but you talk for an hour and keep them waiting before you, and you never play the game. I could have uh, I could have Professor Harvey JK on and delay it by an hour. The YouTube channel says, uh, Mary Ann Cummings says, I'd rather watch Liam doing a segment of Drunk History. I think this is, do you drink still? You know, you're sober, right? Sober for almost 12 years for us, Marianne Cummings. How dare you? Okay. You know, David, how do you know what Twitch is but not Breath of the Wild? That astonishes me. I, I've never played a... I, I think my son turned me on to Grand Theft Auto. This doesn't answer the question. Is, is, Grand, is Grand Theft Auto a game or just a great way to run over a pimp? <laughs> Why not both? I actually... <laughs> how, can you win a Grand Theft Auto? It's... You're, you're about to be extremely condescending, but I also own a PlayStation, and I'm even worse at Grand Theft Auto than I am at Zelda. But I, I just, I, when the kids are playing it, I like to sit down and just, just drive, go for a nice Sunday drive. And... I do that. That's how I play the game, because I keep fucking up the missions. So you I keep bumping up the what? Fucking up the missions. Is there a mission in Grand Theft Auto? By the way, I want to, I want to point out Dave in PA has uh, Chad doing a Grand Theft Auto right now. Oh, you're right. Oh, oh there he goes. Um, but I'm, I'm real bad at most video games. Then why do you play them? I actually figured out how to play Zelda correctly. 
Somebody but wants my, to know if I run over the prostitutes or the or the cops. That's a, that's a trick question. That's that, that's it. Hey man, There's no right answer. That's like when did you stop beating your wife? There's no right answer to that. <laughs> David David would never kill a prostitute until she asked for money. All right. You can't do those kind of jokes. Now I'm offended. I am good am I canceled? Uh, Can I get out of show business? <laughs> Uh, somebody wants to know if Liam is. That's me. Yeah. Are you? Have you ever worked as a VTuber, two two girl on Twitch? I don't know what that means. Can I tell you? I watched the funniest video. So I write for this pop culture site. As I said, we got co we we got this covered dot com. Uh, um, Joe wants to know how you did on your math test. I. Listen, I'm putting in solid B work in uh, this math class, and that is good enough for me. I'm taking five classes this semester, and my aim is to just fucking graduate and get into film school and keep going. So, Anthony uh, wants you got what'd you get on the uh, math test? I got a I got a eighty seven. So is that that's a B plus? My school doesn't do pluses and minuses. It's just a B. Okay. Uh, straight B. Again, dude, just get me out of a math. B? It's better than I did in school. Right. You, you did a 34 double D, which nobody was excited about. I, did, <laughs> I, got, uh, I got Gentleman C's. I, Gentleman C's is I, the I got name of a stripper you worked with is thinking of Roger anyway uh how was the bowling alley gig asks Anthony um well you don't want to hear about the rest of my school I'm trying to keep up with the questions that are coming in you really need to like have people email you so you can you know aggregate these questions and focus on the ones that you want Gregory to in YouTube wants to know if you're planning to make the Dean's list I've been on the dean's list the entire time I've been in school. For um, what? <laughs> the list for what? Jimmy Jimmy Dean's list. I've been eating a lot of pork sausage. <laughs> how, how can you make the dean's list if you're getting B's? Well, uh, right now my GPA is three point sixty six. I'm only getting B's right now in math, and I believe English. Hmm. And I'm getting A's in Spanish, so go figure that. You're getting A's in Spanish. That's great. C. You got a C. What what you get in Spanish? C. You got a C? C. Okay. Who's your teacher? What's your name? Sue. Hmm. Is she a good teacher? C. But she's leaving, isn't she? C. And you're mad about that. C. So what are you gonna do? Sue. Sue? C. Sue who? L-A-C-C. And I understand you're going to take her to the International Criminal Court. C. And I-C-C? I-C-C. You see. 
I heard you had trouble breathing. All right. We're not going to go there. Uh, all right. Yeah, I want to know where that was going to end up. I, oh, didn't I have one with a, uh, I sent you an email and you were CC'd on it? Yeah, those were some great times. Those are great times. How's Alex Brazell? I don't talk to Alex Brazell. Last time I talked to Alex Brazell, he promised to read the screenplay wrote. <laughs> Nobody reads screenplays. And because, and because he's in the industry, that's the last I ever heard. But nobody reads your screenplays. Oh, this. Nobody can't. Nobody. Nobody reads a screenplay. How long does true. it take you to read a screenplay? How long does it take me to read a screenplay? Uh, about eight months. No, not. How long does it take to read a screenplay? To really oh, read it. Oh, to read it? Uh, just to read it and not like take notes or anything? Yeah. About 75 minutes. 75 minutes, two hours. Right. And if notes, can you give me notes on my screenplay? How, how many? I didn't ask for notes. I just sent a screenplay. This is what I say when people say, can you read my screenplay? Five hours. You want me to invest five hours <laughs> of my time? This is how it's going to play out. That's well, half a podcast. I'm, I'm going to read your screenplay, then I'm, uh -huh. and I'm going to take notes, right? So that's okay. three hours. And then I'm going to call you on the phone and go right. over the notes. And you're going to fight me on every note. I don't fight anyone on notes. This is what I tell people. So it's going to be five hours of my time, right. which I don't yeah. have, for a right. screenplay that nobody's going to buy. And you're not going to listen to any of my suggestions. You're just going to make excuses and justifications for why you want to keep that in the script. First of all, nobody's what nobody's going to buy is that you don't have five hours to kill David. I don't. I'm a very. I'm a man who pretends to be very busy. You have a, you have a podcast, which you do 20 hours a week. And then uh, what else do you fill the, your time? the charity work that I do? You work with charity? I have, I have, I have, have my I have my I have my charity. What's, what's your charity? My charity. You met my charity. <laughs> I, I you're gonna have to finish this thought for me. I really. I was going with your joke. All right. Oh. Wait, wait, how about this? Yeah. Anyone in the YouTube chat? Can I eat? I'm hungry. Is it, am I being you rude? Eat while I, you eat while I lay down a roll. Okay. Anyone in the YouTube chat that wants me to wants us to answer a question can do it by super chatting, which is where you pay a little bit extra money to have your question pop up in the YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Well, you pay two bucks or three bucks, and then I'll answer your questions. Oh, that's good. And I'll weed out all the cheapskates of Watch yeah, your you're right. Freeloaders. Bunch of freeloaders. Let me see what's going on. While you while you are very professional. Hang on, is the money coming in? Oh, I'm not even on the YouTube chat. Oh. Hang on. Let's see. No. It's not <laughs> you know, I've watched YouTube channels where the money... I see people making a lot of money off the... Uh, well, off it's because the they're, they're on it. They're like reminding people to uh, someone call it begging people to keep super chatting 
Soup or chat? I'll have the soup. Anyway, so school is going well. I think I mentioned um, the last time we talked that uh, I've become very interested in student loan forgiveness as a political issue. Mm -hmm. Might be my number one issue now. Uh, I I think it might be the most important thing facing America for the next two years until I get a degree. Have you decided what school you're going to go to next? I uh, Well, have you heard about this guy named Bernie Sanders? He has a lot to say about student loan forgiveness. I can't tell if you're joking. Don't you want per- don't you believe in personal responsibility? David, how excited are you that the black lady is going to be a Supreme Court justice? Historic moment in American history. Mm-hmm. Especially because I remember you have you used to have this great bit about uh, the first black lady president. It was like this great five minute bit you used to do. You did the voice, you snapped your fingers. You did a whole run of jokes about gold earrings or what was that again? Testify to the hand. <laughs> Cause I ain't listening that bit. I sentence yeah. you to all that and a bag of potato chips. That yes. Bit. <laughs> uh, Liam asked Feldo, is he known? I didn't have, by the way, I didn't have a bit. Why would you do that to me? You're eating. I, I knew you couldn't argue. Liam asked Feldo, is he knows who Pril Patel and Rishi Sunak are? Well, there you go. That's what happens when you open the chat, when you open the show to the listeners. That's what you get. That's the kind of quality of question. What's the question? Rodrigo, I should get $2 just for reading that. Would you like to talk to Rodrigo? I love talking to Rodrigo. Can we bring him into the to the Zoom? I'll see if he wants to talk. Oh, Rodrigo. He's got his hand up. Hey. <clears throat> Hello, Rodrigo. Rodrigo's in Mexico. What part of Mexico? Puebla, Mexico. Uh, Southeast of Mexico City. Oh, like Oaxaca? North of Oaxaca. Okay. There's a super chat for $2. It says, Liam, tell us your favorite David Feldman joke. Look at that. Someone paid two bucks to ask Somebody played two bucks? It was a dollar ninety. I already told. Actually, my favorite David Feldman joke. And Rodrigo, I know we have a very important question from you, and I don't want to sidetrack. But someone paid two bucks to ask that question. And Rodrigo has to pay two bucks for his question. David uh, Feldman wrote a great joke about why a Jew is like a pizza. Why Jews different than a pizza? That's your joke. Sorry, mm-hmm. I don't want to fuck it up. I remember that joke. <laughs> By the way, I don't want to. I don't want to give the punchline away, but Google Google it sometime. And I never you get credit for it. Feel sad at the same time. They stole <laughs> that joke from me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they stole that joke and three gold teeth. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy 
who wrote that <laughs> joke. You know, <laughs> you don't think. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Anyway, that's not a funny joke. Yeah, um, the guy paid two dollars. <laughs> answer the question. What's your favorite no. David Feldman joke? My favorite David Feldman joke is the one about uh, the Polish guy who goes into a store. Oh, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Orders a Polish hang on, sausage. Hang on before you tell a Polish joke. I have a lot of Polish people who listen to the show, so tell it very slowly <laughs> so they can understand it. But Feldman wrote this great joke. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it basically it's like, this guy goes into a store and he orders a Polish sausage and the guy behind the counter is like, uh, Polish sausage, are you Polish? And the guy's like, what? I'm not, how dare you? If I walked in here and ordered a pizza, would you assume I was Italian? Huh? Huh? Or if I ordered some egg foo young, would you assume I'm Chinese? Why would you assume just because I'm ordering a Polish sausage that I am Polish. And the guy behind the counter said, because, sir, this is a hardware store. <laughs> anyway, that's on Feldman's album, uh, Paid Without Leaving. Right. That's what, I remember that joke. I, I, wrote that. <laughs> I think you did that on your Comedy Central half. I think you're right. Uh, I'll tell you my favorite joke that Liam ever wrote. Okay. A lady gives birth to a head. <clears throat> I remember this one. Yeah, this was you wrote this. I think you did this on your Comedy Central special. So this woman gives birth to a head, and she puts him on the windowsill for 17 years. And after 17 years, the doctor calls. He says, Madam, I've got great news. I found a body for Danny. Bring him in tomorrow. We'll hook him up, and he'll be happy. So the woman runs into the living room. Danny's sitting on the windowsill. The mother goes, oh, Danny, I have such great news. I have the greatest gift. Uh, you're going to love it. I have such a gift for you. And Danny says, I hope it's not another fucking hat. Ah, uh, that was a great joke. They got me a... Got me a writing job. I got you a writing job. On on weekend update. Yeah. Danny you know what I like about weekend update, David. Hang on. Yeah. Let me tell you the other joke that you wrote. Okay. Danny, just a head. Uh he's uh I, I did a run on heads. I was known as the head comic. You were the head comic. Danny the head. Just a head. Nobody. Yeah, the head. He was 14 years old, and he's on the swim team. And he keeps saying to the coach, put me in, coach. Come on, put me in, coach. And the coach goes, I, I, Danny, just we'll get you in. Come on, coach. Coach doesn't put him in. Finally, it's the end of the season, and it's their last meet. And Danny's just on the bench. Come on, coach, put me in. Put me in. And the coach goes, ah, what the hell. Puts Danny in for the 300-meter dash. The gun goes off. The coach picks up Danny the head and just throws him into the pool. And Danny just sinks to the bottom of the pool. And he uh -huh. loses the 300-meter dash. 
and the coach is fishing Danny out of the water with a net. And finally, Danny surfaces and says to the coach, <coughs> Sorry, coach, I had a cramp. <coughs> that was a that was one I did my special called Jokes for Kids. Jokes for Kids. Yeah. My favorite David Feldman chunk. Was that worth that was worth two dollars? That was <laughs> I'll tell one more David Feldman joke that I like. Uh, it's it's considered a classic. Yeah. Uh, there's a there was a woman uh, in a wheelchair. She's a paraplegic. Oh, well, uh, I don't want to hear this. No. Sitting in Coney Island. Well, you wrote it. I'm just I'm just repeating what you wrote. Just, no, just, don't do no, 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 I don't want to hear this joke. I don't I don't know what it is. Coney Island. Wait, are you going to do this later on in the podcast? I don't want to ruin your set. You can't make jokes like that. We'll get into trouble. What are they going to do? March on your... March on your... All right. Uh, Rodrigo, Rodrigo, what's your question? Uh, I had something to read. I was waiting for... Well, why don't you read it? Do you think you're strong enough to read it to Liam? Sure. Liam, would you not enter? I'm man enough to listen. I have spoken before about the conservative war on reality. We on the left are constantly outraged by things that make so-called normal people shrug and say, well, what do you expect? This is normal. This is what things are supposed to look like. We need to realize not only that people have been brainwashed for decades into believing that whatever we hate about the world is the only practical alternative. Even when we believe that we have risen above the propaganda, there are still many layers more that we can detect on our own. For example, John Stewart was talking about the media last week, and he managed to spend an entire hour talking about why the mainstream media keeps getting worse and catering more and more to whatever the lowest common denominator is, without ever coming too close to the forbidden ideas of what if the news shouldn't be allowed to turn any profit or what if we removed the profit motive or what if we had actual if imperfect socialism he came close to his revelations a couple of times but he managed to conclude that all we need is to have a disney executive start a news network from the ground up and the former new Fox News executive that visited his studio is now whitewashed because Fox News, Fox News let him go for calling a state for Biden just because Biden had more votes. If you are out there on your own having to reinvent the wheel over and over because you don't have a group of people you can rely on or worse, some of the people you rely on for political takes are pushing radical sounding solutions that make them look like quote unquote real leftists to disguise the fact that they're st stealthily pushing right wing talking points along with their Medicare for all hashtags. Um, if you don't have a reliable leftist support network, you won't even realize that gas is going up because everyone expects oil, gas, 
oil prices to go up, not because any suppliers have actually had their tankers seized or sunk, or even because rich companies know there will be emergency subsidies passed to bring prices back down, but literally because the only reason gas prices don't go up all the time is that companies getting $11 million per minute in subsidies still feel like they need an excuse to raise prices. You may even suspect this is the reason, but the more you watch the news, the more you'll convince yourself that giving these companies even more subsidies is the smart move. Uh, in Mexico's case, the Mexican Secretary of State and a few other cabinet-level bootlickers were recorded on video this weekend campaigning for the pre Mexican president in open violation of electoral law because next Sunday we're having a referendum on whether the president should resign that the president asked for after his party cut the budget for the electoral institute that organizes the elections and gives public money to political parties so they don't become even more corrupt. I'm still waiting for any reason for the president to demand a new referendum when his last one only got 15% of the voters to show up, unless he's planning to amend the Mexican constitution so he can reelect himself. And he's still arguing with the European Union that they're trying to tell him what to do when he's the one trying to amend the Mexican constitution so he can take over the lithium mining contracts from the mostly European companies that have contracts and haven't begun digging yet. And I'm sorry this explanation was so long, even as it sounds like a poorly written reality show, but if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it, and it's only been 112 years since the last time Mexicans started a civil war because the president re decided to re-elect himself. But many of the president's fans seem happy to go down ro that road again. Thank you. You know, that reminds me of my favorite David Feldman joke, uh, which is, uh, what do you call Santa Claus in Mexico? Uh, ho, ho, Jose. Rodrigo, well, that, do, you, do you think we should cancel him for that? Were you offended? I was hoping for a better joke, but he says it's yours, so I'm told. And, you know, I think the audience was also, but, you know, just... Uh, Rodrigo, um, would you would you like to debate Liam? Uh, sure, on one subject. Yes, David, on what subject shall we debate tonight? Maybe next week we'll do it. I'll, I'll figure out what Rodrigo and Liam could debate. I, I don't think you agree politically, right? I don't know. <laughs> I would I suspect you and Rodrigo. I, I genuinely did literally could not tell you whether or not I agree with Rodrigo on anything. All right. I cannot tell you either. All right. All right. Uh, I have to refund the chat room now. <laughs> how do I how do I refund the chat room? Did I see Professor Marianne Cummings? Donated a dollar. Did she put a dollar in there? Did she? I think I so. Know. I'm not on YouTube. She wants to hear that one dollar joke from David. Oh, David's pizza joke. 
No. Well, David, I'm going to let you tell your joke because you're, you wrote it. You want to hear that $1 joke from Feldo? <laughs> no, it's, it, that's, we can't do that. We'll do it after the show. We'll do it after the, the show. Zoom room. When the recording's over. No, we, I'll get blue. If you want to get disgusting and dirty, we'll do it for the Zoom room. Right. But I, I can't do it on the podcast. Here's the thing. Super chat. $2. Why don't we do a dirty show? Maybe we can make money doing a dirty show. Okay. That would well, be... Um, maybe we could do like after hours. Like where where we... Rodrigo, would you enjoy that? That reminds me that uh, we haven't had COVID squares and your friends, Marta Previt and uh, Jimmy Earl might have something to say about Matt Gates and his diabetes joke or whatever that was. About insulin. He said people should just eat better. We wouldn't need insulin if people ate better. Yeah, I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene is on tour with Matt Gates. Mm -hmm. Must be weird for him to bring an adult woman across state lines. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It is great. That's a great. I know. That's great. It's a great That's a good one. That's a good. You like that, Rodrigo? Uh, yeah, we, should, we, do, we should do make Rodrigo laugh. I don't think I. Oh, I've, I've made Rodrigo laugh. Actually, has, has Rodrigo ever put his uh, camera on? No, he's just, he's just a head. Sometimes he's just Sometimes. He, was born, he was just born as a head. Let's <laughs> hope it's not as another fucking head. Uh, let's go to Dave and PA, and uh, let's look at. Are are you finished here, Dave? Yeah, yeah. I have a question for Liam. Oh yeah. Oh. David and PA, was, I hope was that, bucks. was that you appearing on the gas pump today? Was the that stream? me appearing on the gas pump today? Yeah, right after the sports highlights. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, lost. I'm just busting you. Anyway, yeah, we, we were successful. We got some. Wow. Looks like we got, what, eight of these knocked out. Let me see those. We're going to send them to our mutual friend in Brooklyn there. Our friend in Brooklyn from the Molinari yeah. family. We have a friend in Brooklyn from the Molinari family. Yeah, so the sheep and back using sharp implements again, making nervous. Are you talking about Guy Molinari? I'm just talking about one of the Sorry? five fam we have we are we're, we're mobbed up here. Hey, let's plug your 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 bed and breakfast. I know Liam is gonna go visit you. I think you two should should uh spend a weekend there. I understand uh, your. I understand people who book through your website get a discount if they use the code LiamMC. <laughs> what is that about? Or do you? Is the LiamMC? Is that a pun on or are you? Oh no! no I just uh, I was watching a podcast. Oh, I thought you were genuinely trying to raise money. Oh God! Oh, I fell for it. No, no. There's there's a friend. There's someone we both know who uses he was dropped by a sponsor so instead of not doing live reads he just uses another show's promo code to make it look like he's still sponsored by this company 
That's literally all I can say. It just is the funniest goddamn thing to me. I want to know who it is later. But I think I'm rolling in I'll money tonight. Let me check the chat room. I think we're I think I really let's see how we did. Three bucks. Three bucks for who? Total. Oh total. Yeah. See, you have to remind people that they can they can like uh help pay your, your bills. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dave and PA, why don't we plug your bed and breakfast? Why not? Uh, in Airbnb, right. look up Small Farm Retreat in Millerton, Pennsylvania, North Central PA, close to the Finger Lakes Wine Trail, close to Corning, New York, close to the Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania, and really close to my heart. Aww. Even though it's kind of Trumpy up here. But people pretty much leave you alone. And uh, my property's 50 acres, and you won't see a soul. The whole valley is pretty much mine. Sounds so, like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody will hear you screaming. We're starting our cult up here. Nobody will know you were, you were even here. <laughs> the cops are in my pocket. You got it. Thank you. Yeah, anyway, go to uh, tinyurl.cc, Bertie's Country Cottage. Dave, are you near the Schuylkill River? That's near Philadelphia. Get a map. Oh, okay. I'm way up in North Central, way up in the North Dakota of Pennsylvania. And I'm the, uh, there. The voters can prove it. Are you near Gapville? Hi, oh. No, no, Gapville. That's a. Uh... No, that's more, uh, that's more uh, towards. Um, the Delaware River up north there. Uh, we're west of that still, about two hours. About halfway across the state, right up on the New York border. Gapville is one of the shittiest towns I've driven through in the United States. Oh, come up here if you like shitty towns. <laughs> oh, dude, I've been through <laughs> western Pennsylvania. I have like a five-minute bit about it. It's cool. more hillbilly than a lot of the south. Tell me about it. Come on up and uh, get some more material. Dave, I literally, I have a whole joke about this, but it's true. I drove through there. Hang on, you're breaking up. Hang on, you're breaking rentals. Hang on, hang on, you're breaking up. Give us, give it to us again. With who? Do, do the bit again. That's a billboard for a gun rental that way. What? Say it again. What? Give me the joke again. You're breaking up. All right. Can you hear me now? Barely. Well, I'm doing my. All right. Something's wrong. You know what happened? Yeah, well, people just a... don't have good internet, I guess. Yeah. Even my software is getting sick of this show. Liam? My, uh... All right. Yes. Yeah. I guess the McDonald's across the street hasn't paid their spectrum bill. That's funny. I like that. <laughs> That's a great joke. All right, we got to wrap it up. It's not a joke, David. When I lived in Hollywood, I spent a year and a half using my... You're breaking up. You know what? Who? You've just ruined the show, Liam. You've ruined the show. You're frozen. 
Liam, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you. That's it. Yep, bad in bad internet. Is are you did you fix it? Uh, I think Dave and PA stopped fucking up the Zoom feed. No, I think we have to wrap it up. I want to thank all our guests for coming on the show today. The brilliant Grace Jackson, Dave Cyrus, the Hershenfelds, and of course Emil Guillermo, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. The, Rodrigo. Right, I saved the best for last. Uh, the professors and Marianne, Professor Ann Lee, Professor Jonathan Bick, Professor Marianne Cummings, Professor Harvey J.K., Alan Minsky briefly, and Liam McEnany, and Dave and, and P.A., and Joe in Norway for the ASMR for the eyes. And that's our show. We'll see you at office hours, I hope. Go to my website, sign up for the newsletter and all that kind of stuff. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to, what, stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. To tell a dirty joke, he knows quite a few. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for right. Some days he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Yes, it's time right now for the David Feldman Show. Get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming away. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way.